Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Jandruff Wittellis, and this is Poker Fraud Alert Radio. 9.28 p.m. right now. It's raining tacos by Parry Grip, and that's actually made by someone older than me. You may think it's, like, made by kids. Now, the guy who made it is actually 51 years old, and it's a novelty song from a few years ago, which uh, I heard because my son plays Roblox, and... <laughs> That's a song that you can play on a little radio in Roblox. And I thought it was funny, and I decided to open the show with it. There's actually a 10-hour version of it. I think there's actually a 24-hour version of it you can play on, on a loop if you just want to hear it over and over and over again. I think eventually it'll, it'll qualify as torture. Anyway, we've got a free roll going. It started already at 8.45 p.m., and then it unstarted because I took it offline about 10 minutes into the free roll and restarted it. <laughs> and you probably won't find it very funny if you were one of the ship leaders then. But it was going to be a little while till I started the show. And, and since we had extra money to give away this week, thanks to attorney Eric Benzamokin, who threw in some extra, I said, hey, I, I don't want this much money to be given away when the show hasn't even started yet. So I interrupted the free roll, restarted it at 9.15, which actually already occurred. We're, we're past 9.15, but you can still get in. You can still get in until 9.40, and it's 9.29 right now, so you have time. $130 given away this week. 100 came from attorney Eric Benzamokin. I saw him at the World Series of Poker. We had a, a mediocre meal today uh, together at the American Bar and Grill at the Rio, and uh, I appreciate everything he's done for the show. And I want to tease something, though, before we get going. Next week, we're going to have him on, and he's going to talk about an interesting lawsuit which involves poker, and it's something that absolutely nobody knows about. Don't try to research this. Don't try to find out what it is, because nobody knows about it yet. But next week, it's going to be announced for the first time anywhere in poker on this show. Yeah. A lawsuit involving poker, and he will talk all about it. And then afterwards, I will post on the forum 
where you guys can read the lawsuit. It's very interesting stuff. I, I read it today. But uh, for reasons that you'll understand next week, it cannot be talked about yet on the show. We, we considered it, but uh, it's not going to be discussed. Now, you may be thinking, who's Druff suing here? The answer is nobody. I'm not involved in this at all, either on the plaintiff side or defendant side or in the witness side. Nothing. I'm not, I have nothing to do with it. But uh, Eric will come on and talk about it next week, and uh, I think you'll all be interested. And besides, you guys always like when he appears on the show. He's a very, very popular guest. So he gave 100 this week. Uh, $10 came from Limitless, who's now back on the forum. I unbanned him. Hopefully he will stay off the sauce. Flipper Fair gave $10, and BB, a radio listener who doesn't post on the forum, also gave $10. So thank you to all of these guys. $130 to be given away. First place gets 60 bucks. Second place gets 35 Third gets 22 Fourth gets 13 It's 60 35 22 and 13 Thank you to the four of you. I still have a little left to give away from someone else named uh, Rayo88. I didn't forget about you. We're just uh, holding over the money for next week. So thank you to everybody there. And get into the free roll. You still have eight minutes to wiggle your way in there. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You need a separate account, and the account needs to be validated by either me or Belly Buster. So PM... Belly Buster, that's Belly Space Buster on the forum to get validated. If you have some issue, let me know, and I'll see if I can push the validation through. The validation only needs to happen one time, but it needs to be done in order to prevent multi-accounting. There was a little vulnerability we discovered that people could just make second and third accounts and use other devices and dump chips to themselves. Whoops, we can't allow that. So that's the reason there's now a validation process. We want the tournament to be fair. And I appreciate every week we have money to give away that came comes from other people. I mean, occasionally I'll throw in a little bit to bring it up to 50 if we don't get 50 in a particular week. But usually 100% of the money comes from other people. I appreciate that. Very generous. And thank you to everybody who has donated to the free roll in the seven-plus years we've been on. We've now been on for more than seven years, and we've done more than 300 episodes. This week, we're going to mostly talk about the World Series of Poker Week 2. Actually, kind of the second part of Week 1 and Week 2. Our last show was 12 days ago on June 2nd, so there wasn't that much to talk about yet. I'm going to talk about some personal stories of the World Series as I played there for uh, almost two weeks before taking a break that I'm currently on right now. And we'll talk about some stories in the news regarding the World Series. There's no World Series that has ever passed by, at least since I started playing it, that has been without controversy. And this one is no exception. I I knew we would have material. I knew we'd have stuff to talk about. We do. There's a number of interesting topics World Series related. And that'll be the main part of our show. We've got a few other topics. I think we have four other topics that have nothing to do with the World Series. Uh, if you want to call it to the show, 775-FRAUD-55 is the phone number. 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's a phone number, which it's actually a phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston. Someone who listens to the show asked me about Mount, Mount Charleston. They're, they were going up there. They wanted uh, advice for, for hiking and where to go and where not to go and, uh, I gave them some general advice. I just I, I hate to tell people like specifically where to go for hiking because everybody has their own standard as far as what they find to be an enjoyable hiking trail. Uh, some people want something very challenging. Some people want something very easy. Some people want something in between. 
some people want something only that has you know, beautiful scenery. Some people just like a relaxing hike, just kind of out in nature. It's it's very hard to tell. And I've given people advice as far as hiking. And yeah, some people like trails that are mainstream trails where they feel safe and familiar. Some people like ones off the beaten path. I never know. Like I'll, I'll suggest something to someone like, oh, this is too crowded. I didn't like it. Uh, other times I'll tell someone they're looking too hard or they're too out of the way or they almost got lost. So I try to avoid giving uh, hiking advice. But there, there's trails up there at uh, Mount Charleston and the old rotary phone. Maybe you can try to find that in a cabin near the top of Mount Charleston and it forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808 is that number. We also have the call to listen line. The call to listen line is, it's very simple. You just call up and listen. You can't interact with me on that phone number, but you can call up and listen to the show. It's a great thing to use if you don't have a good internet connection. You don't like buffering or slowdowns when you listen to something streaming. I know. I've been there myself. I, I hate listening to things that are streaming because I'm just getting into it. And then it freezes up. And I go, oh, come on. What are you going to say next? Okay. Buffering, buffering, buffering. I go crazy. So I said, I'm going to invent something. That has no buffering. I'm going to make sure that if we have a call to listen line here, which was mocked and made fun of when I when I talked about putting it up, people said this is me being a, a 1980s fanatic that nobody's going to want to use it. But I, I proved them wrong. Almost a million li- minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. I'm not even exaggerating. Almost a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. We've had various phone numbers, but it's the same line. Uh, 605-313-0736 is the current incarnation of it. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line. If you forget that number or even want the alternate number in, you can go to the radio page, the radio tab on the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, and you can get them right there, all the numbers I just gave you. When we're not running live, you can call that number and hear one of our streaming reruns where we just run old shows Back to back to back to back to back to back till we come back on the air. So there's always something broadcasting on Poker Fraud Alert. Usually reruns, but live too. There's a lot of other shows that are slickly produced and they they record it first and go through it and take out the fail and make everybody sound great and make it sound so professional. That's not what this show is about. This show is recorded live. And other than we, when we have like some tremendous fail where I think it will make for a bad listening experience in the archives – I, I put it up as is, fail and all. And this is a long show. It's it's like six hour show often. So I don't I don't go back and edit it. What you're hearing, even if you're not listening live, you're hearing the live experience, which I think is important. And some people like that. Some people enjoy that it's real and not overproduced. In fact it's it's underproduced. We we produce the show during the show in many cases. You can listen in the archives on Stitcher, on iTunes, on the TuneIn app. On Google Play, those are various forms of media. I think we were kicked off Bullhorn for whatever reason. I haven't bothered to look into why, but I think we're off there. And Radio Public, which we were on for a short time, that just stopped working. We weren't kicked off. It just stopped working, and they weren't responding to me. It's a crappy platform, so screw them. So uh, just just stick to the originals. Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play. You can download the MP3 or play the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com. Just click on the MP3 graphic there on the radio page. So many ways to listen, whether live or in the archives. I, I want to make it easy for you. Ari Engel asked me on day two of the Big 50 event, why do I do this intro every time? Why, why can't I just skip it? 
And I said, I don't know. It's just it's a, tr- a tradition, and there may be new listeners. We've got to have some intro. But I've cut it down. You guys got to give me credit for that. I've cut it down. It used to be like we wouldn't get going until like an hour into the show. Now I've, I've cut it down. That's, that's the best I can do for you. It's got it down. I also have timestamps now in the description, so you can just skip past it if you want to do that. But you never know what you'll miss. Sometimes we squeeze things in there that are interesting. It's kind of a decision you got to make if you're going to skip past it. Okay, we're going to find Trader Ruski. We're going to add him, and then I'll go through the agenda. Then we'll get started with our topics. Um, while we're trying to reach him, I'm trying to think when the next show will be. I'd like to say it's uh, Thursday next week. That's, that's what I'm aiming for. It's Thursday the 20th. I'm not in Vegas right now. Don't try to find me. I can't find Trader Risky apparently either. Oh, there we are. What's happening, Druff? Trader Risky, uh, hello. Weird. Oh, I see. I see you. I see you here. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, I, I see. I, okay, I see you. It. Yes. We shut that I mean, I can't. You, you, can, you can leave it if you want. Okay. There we go. Now, no, because I um, it was. I heard it ringing on the radio, but then my phone wasn't ringing. But then I looked at. I had to like open Skype. Oh, okay. It was strange. Anyway. All right. Well, we're good. Okay. So here, we are good to go. Yes. Here, here's the agenda. Here is the agenda. Week two and late week one coverage of the World Series. I have three stories about myself, which we're going to do first because I'm feeling self-centered tonight. And then after that, we'll talk about things that have nothing to do with me. I ran deep in the Big 50. Last week, I was one of the chip leaders after day one. I will tell you what ended up happening. I already told you a little bit, but I I ran deep. I'll tell you how deep and uh, what I cashed and how I feel about how far I ran in the Big 50. The... Biggest live tournament ever in terms of entries. Never had a live tournament ever anywhere that has had that many entries. I ended up bricking all the other events pretty badly. The first half of my World Series of Poker is over, and I'm not happy with it. I'll tell you a bit about that. I got in a standoff at the Rio. A standoff where they wanted to come into my room... And do that safety check to make sure that I didn't have uh, Stephen Paddock-style uh, armaments in my room. And guess what? I refused to let them in. It's true. I got in a standoff. I told them, you can't come in. Why did I do that? Why was I willing to take that risk? And what was the result of this standoff? And I'm not exaggerating. There was a real standoff where they, they demanded to come in, and I said, absolutely not. I will tell you what happened. Stories that have nothing to do with me. The 25K Fantasy League has been thrown into turmoil after an event was added to the World Series of Poker schedule at the last minute, and nobody knew what to do. We'll talk about who is right, who is wrong in the dispute that came from that. And uh, also, I'm going to be a bit critical of those running the 25K Fantasy League, that this should not have been an issue in the first place. This was not run very well, especially for how much money is involved. Sam Severell, who's a an experienced high-stakes poker player, made a very, very uh, rookie mistake in at the final table of a high-stakes event at the World Series of Poker. He th- threw away his hand out of turn in a spot where it really mattered, where it really could have and might have affected the action. This is at a final table. There's been a lot of debate whether... This was on purpose, or if it was an accident, like he 
said and seemed to portray on the stream, and what should be done to him for what happened. We'll talk about that. Speaking of some controversy involving hands at the World Series, Maria Ho got in one at uh, an event I played. It wasn't at my table, but at the uh, 1K double stack event. It involved what I call a pseudo all-in. That's when someone is not all-in, but mostly all-in. They mean to go in, but they don't really go all-in. Something happened involving that and Maria Ho. I'll tell you what that's about and what the decision was and whether I agree with the decision. A poker table collapsed during a World Series of Poker event. I mean, it's really how it sounds. It just fell to the ground. (laughs) Actually, fell onto people's legs, then onto the ground. And uh, it caused some trouble and some hassle and some arguments. We'll talk about that. I've complained about late registration at the World Series of Poker, which is only getting later and later with each year. The $10,000 buy-in short deck event this year allowed registration on day two, as all 10K events do. And there is an embarrassment involving that, and this it just proves my point of how stupid late registration is. So we'll talk about what happened there. If you're in New Jersey and you don't want to come to Nevada, but you might you want to have a shot at a bracelet, now you actually can do so. There's a way to win a bracelet without setting foot in the state of Nevada. All nine WSOP online poker bracelets are now up for grabs to be played from New Jersey or Nevada, whereas before you had to be in Nevada. There is a reason why this may not have been possible, but it is going to be possible. It is happening. And if you're in New Jersey, you may want to consider that. I will talk about how a recent DOJ decision fed into that decision being made. Final World Series of Poker topic. There's backlash against Poker Go for moving some of their streaming content to a second premium service. We'll talk about that, and those are our World Series of Poker Week 2 topics. Notice we're, we're not talking about who won bracelets and who's doing well. I mean, yeah, Michael Mizraki won a fifth bracelet, and congratulations to him. He's obviously a really good tournament player, and there's no question about that. Not very good at managing his money, but uh, excellent at tournaments. Not very good at deciding which companies to represent, but excellent at tournaments. Uh, in my interactions with him, he's always been uh, very nice. So my personal experiences with him have always been good. But that that just happened recently, so I guess congrats to him. Scammer Adnan Mohammed. Remember we talked about him and his PP poker room, which was a scam, and he ripped everyone off? Someone hacked his voicemail and put those recordings on YouTube. So of course we're going to play them on this show. Of course we will. Someone sent them to me and said, you may, you may want to play these before these get taken down. I said, yeah, I'm going to save these just in case the YouTube gets deleted. And uh, I'm playing them on the show for sure. I'm going to immortalize these in this show because YouTube can take it down, but no one's taking it down from Poker Fraud Alert, and I'm going to play them. I usually wouldn't play someone's hacked voicemails out here because that's uh, not very nice to do. You know, someone gets their voicemail hacked, their their privacy violated. That's, that's not very good. But these these voicemails need to be played because they expose what a phony and a fraud and a scammer he really is. And it's very clear this guy's a scammer. So yes, I'm going to play his hacked voicemails. I didn't hack it. I have nothing to do with it. I'm just playing a video from YouTube. And if Adnan has a problem with this, then uh, he's he can feel free to contact me. And my response to him will be, pay people back, and then I'll consider taking it down. But I didn't do it. I'm just I'm just playing what I found or what was brought to me. A very attractive. 
26-year-old female Russian poker player has died. She died in a bathtub under mysterious circumstances. We're going to talk about that. Uh, pretty tragic story, to be honest, but something worthy of discussion. Uh, number one, that she was a, a popular poker player there in Russia because of her success and her looks. And and second, it, whenever a poker player dies, especially something that's not totally clear what happened, especially in a place like Russia, it's, it's worth discussing. And uh, either way, it's a tragedy, but it would be even worse if, if someone actually killed her and this wasn't an accident. What definitely isn't an accident, Randall Emmett, remember his whole spat with 50 Cent? He called 50 Cent Fofty accidentally in a text, which uh, took on a life of its own, and he owed uh, Fofty a million bucks. Uh, Randall Emmett apparently owes a lot more than people than Fofty. People in poker have also been ripped off by him. Some are currently owed money, and some were owed money and had to put pressure on him to get paid back. So we'll talk about the ongoing controversy with Randall Emmett and talk about what the hell's going on with him. How's a guy who appears to have so much money on the surface have such a hard time paying back debts like $500? Daniel Negreanu is in hot water on Twitter again. It, it just seems like a week can't go by without him getting into fights with people on Twitter. I'll, I'll admit that he gets trolled a lot. I'll admit that a lot of people start up with him a lot, but still... Uh, a lot of this is his fault, too. He recently made a suggestion that a satellite should be created where it's kind of like a lottery. Rather than winning in by skill, you, you win at least part of the way in by luck. And I'll tell you his suggestion. I'll give you my opinion about that suggestion. And then I'll read to you the angry debate that went back and forth between him and poker player Jonathan Zahn. Finally. Party Poker is not going to be providing hand histories starting a few days from now. You heard this right. If if you play on Party Poker starting in a few days, you're not going to be able to see your hand histories, which is awful. I'm going to talk about what they're doing and why, and I think you know what I think of it. There's a lot of ramifications from that. So that is our agenda for this evening. And as I said, I'll try to get back on in six days. I'm currently on a break from the World Series. I'm not playing events for a while. Next event is going to be in 11 days on June 25th for me, and then I'm going to be playing regularly through the end of the series, including even something scheduled after the main event. So I'll be pretty busy at that point, but we've got two weeks here that I'm just completely taking off. I'm not in Vegas anymore. I've left the town. I've left the Rio. And here I am. So... Uh, Why didn't I have a show for the last 12 days? Well, uh, part of the time I was at the Rio, playing tournaments, playing cash, just having the World Series experience. And then part of the time I was back with my family and didn't want to say, okay, I'm back now after being gone all this time, and and now I'm going to do radio and ignore you again. Like I I had to spend some time with my family, and now I I feel it's a good time to do radio. So here we are. I didn't forget about it, though. I was constantly thinking of radio. Every every time something happened, I thought, okay, this is going to be a good radio topic. By the way, I just want to mention something about radio topics. Occasionally, something will slip my mind, like the the very big story about the 25K Fantasy League just slipped my mind completely. We're actually going to not cover it by accident. I I, I knew all about it. I meant to talk about it, and I just didn't put it on the agenda. And and Mr. Tickle, who listens to the show, he's called in before. He's a, a a young Brit 
who lives in uh, in Russia. He said, wait, how, how can you not be covering this? I said, whoops, I meant to. Thank you. So we're going to be covering this. So when I post the agenda, which usually is uh, within a few hours before the show, uh, go take a look at it on the Flying Stupidity Forum on Poker Fraud Alert. And if you see something missing that you'd like to hear discussed, then just bring it up out there. I won't be insulted or be mad or, or say, you know, why is this your business? I, I definitely like the suggestions, and I usually take them. Occasionally I'll say, no, this isn't really worth talking about, but often what is suggested out there I will talk about. Most of the suggestions I get are good. So thank you to Mr. Tickle for reminding me of that topic. So I'm going to start out here talking about my World Series of Poker and how it's going. The Big 50, I started off very well. It was, it was a, a tumultuous day in a lot of ways. Um, you know... I think I'm going to reveal something. This is this is what you get for listening to this show. I'm going to reveal something that I, I've kept quiet. And I kind of kept it quiet because I, I felt it wasn't anyone's business, but I'm just in a... I'm in a mood right now where I, I just feel like being open and telling the truth. So I'm going to tell you guys something that I suppressed on the last show. Something that was unexpected what happened at the Big 50 involving me. Didn't involve poker. And then, then I'll talk about how the rest of it went. So we're, we're going to go back a little bit here. When I, when I last left you guys on June 2nd, I was coming into day two of the Big 50 with one of the bigger stacks. I had 682,000 in chips. We started with 50,000. I was 24th out of the 7,200 or so people that played on that day, on day 1C. Day 1C returned to play day 2C. So the people playing day 2 in my flight were the same people who played day 1. We hadn't mixed together yet. But that, I was going into day 2C from day 1C, and I was 24th in chips out of uh, 7,200 entrants and out of like uh, like 1,500 something left. So I, I was sitting very pretty there, but there was a long, long way to go. Very long way to go until it was over. So I, at the same time, and I said this, I, I knew that I had to continue getting lucky if I wanted to cash very big and run very deep. I, I knew the chance of me cashing at all was very high. I put it at like 90%. But the chance of me running really deep and making a lot of money from it was still pretty small, despite my big chip stack at that point. I knew that I was realistic about it, and uh, th- that was my feeling at the time. And I talked all about the various fails that happened there. I had to play in that warehouse, which is also the former bowling alley there that uh, – actually had crates sitting in there and that there was no air conditioning because there was there were plastic bags over the air conditioner that they couldn't get cut down for whatever reason. I talked about all that. If you want to hear all that, you can go back to the last show. I'm not going to rehash all that. Uh, when the whole thing was said and done, I, I finished with a great chip stack and felt good about the day. But there's something I didn't tell you guys that happened that day. And I'm, I'm going to reveal it right now, just because I feel like it. Let's go back 11 years to 2008, the summer of 2008. I had a girlfriend in 2008 named Miri, and I've talked about her before on this show. We broke up in 2008, kind of shortly before the World Series of Poker started. Not related to the World Series, but that was just the timing of our breakup. And it seemed to be a, a final breakup, not like a, a breakup where you get back together two days later. This is like a what appeared to really be a final breakup when we were going to be done. So I, I jumped back into the world of dating 
I see someone's calling in here, but I, I'm not going to take the call right now. I jumped back into the world of dating, and I, I it was interesting. I, I had not been dating since 2001. Some things had changed. I won't get into all those stories, but uh, one thing that happened in, involving kind of a dating scenario that wasn't even intentional. There was a girl who joined Neverwin Poker. There was no poker fraud alert at the time, no donk down at the time. Neverwin Poker was the forum that we were on. And I was a, I was an administrator on there, but uh, I, I guess I was like a small percentage owner, but poker, poker News owned most of it at that point. Uh, a girl joined it named Toots. She was from Texas. She was in her early 30s. She was attractive, and uh, she was single. And she was a single mom. I think she heard her. She had a daughter who was like five. And she used her own picture as her avatar. I made some joke about her really being a dude. I actually believed she was real, but I made some joke about her really being a dude. She mistook this joke to be me demanding that she prove herself, which I didn't. I wasn't going to demand she prove herself, but she she PM'd me her phone number. And said to call her to verify she's real. Again, she did this on her own. I didn't demand her number or anything. I wasn't going to demand anything. I really believed deep down. I was making a joke. But she gave me her number and I, I called up. And we got along very well on the phone. And we talked for hours that night. Then the next night, we talked for hours again. And the next night, we talked for hours again. And then she, you know, we were both calling each other. Sometimes I call her, sometimes she called me. Uh, she, it got to the point that she'd call me as soon as she'd wake up in the morning and before she'd go to sleep, she'd call me, she had a long drive to work. She'd call me on the drive to work and the drive home from work. And we were talking a lot every day, but she lived pretty far away. I was in Las Vegas. She lived in, in the Houston area. And what was a little bit weird about these, these calls was that, uh, we never progressed directly into talking about dating or having a relationship. We never had like, like we didn't talk sexually on the phone, nothing like that. And that's happened before with, with, with a lot of girls that I, I got to know over the phone. In fact, most of them eventually got there, sometimes pretty quickly. But with, with her, it didn't happen that way. It was just, it was almost like we were friends, but it, it was clear there was something more to it. And for whatever reason, the, the, when I tried to kind of bridge it to that topic, it, it didn't, I wasn't getting much of an answer. And I had a feeling the reason was that, uh, you know, she wasn't used to meeting guys over the internet. And I figured, okay, well, we're going to – she's probably just feels weird about this and kind of wants to meet me in person before saying anything like this. It was clear she wanted to meet me. She kept really pushing for me to fly out there and meet her. So finally the plan was I was going to fly out there and play a poker tournament in the area. But the main purpose really was for me to meet her. And I was going to stay with her. That was the plan too. I wasn't getting a hotel. Uh, unfortunately, a hurricane was scheduled to come, not where she was, but uh, a little bit east of there where the poker tournament was. So that was the end of the poker tournament. It got canceled. Now the question was, do, do I cancel the, the trip too, in case the hurricane goes uh, farther west and hits us? Like, am I stupid enough to fly right into a hurricane? But then I, I really wanted to meet her, so I, I threw caution to the wind, literally, and, and flew out there anyway knowing that the poker tournament was off and we're, we're, we're really just going to spend the time together. So we did, and, and then unfortunately the hurricane did come west towards Houston. This was, uh, I think it was Hurricane Gustav. 
in, in 2008. There were two hurricanes in the area in 2008. This is the first one of the, of the two. This wasn't uh, as major as the second one, but this was it was still like a real hurricane coming into the area where people had to evacuate. Uh, the hurricane basically screwed everything up. So we, we had before the hurricane moved, and before, when, when it was just uh, further east, and it was not threatening us yet, we, we had a great first day together. And I, I thought the whole thing was a big success. And she thought the whole thing was a big success. She she told people separately, which I found out later, that, that she really liked me and she you know the whole thing went very well so far, and I, I thought the same. After the first day, things completely went downhill uh, for various reasons I won't get into, but uh, the hurricane was a big reason for it. The, the hurricane put a lot of stress. We had to evacuate. She had to lock down her house and you know make, make, make sure everything... Uh, doesn't blow away, and it, it, there's a lot of stuff you have to do in preparation for a hurricane, which I've never experienced before that because I don't, I've never lived in a hurricane area. But uh, anyway, uh, needless to say, by the end of the trip, which wasn't you know, a few day trip, but by the end of the whole thing, uh, the whole thing had gone into the toilet, and uh, what had been, started off very successful turned into a big fail, and it was, it was very disappointing for both of us. And I thought, okay, whatever. That's the way it is. I, I came back home. That we, we we eventually talked again, and we thought to, thought about resurrecting it. And she was going to come visit me in Vegas. Anyway, that ended up not happening. There there was some drama that came along with that too. That I'm not going to revisit. Um, there were some accusations that trolls on the forum made against me that were completely not true, but that I, I couldn't completely rebut because uh, otherwise I have to I had to tell the whole story to in order to rebut these things. So I just let everybody wonder. But it, it was really much less exciting than everybody thought it was. Like, there, there really was no terrible thing that happened there. It was uh, just the hurricane came and we, it, it kind of nerves got frayed and uh, we ended up uh, not getting along by the end. And then we tried to resurrect when we got back and then, then things kind of fell apart afterwards. And I'll leave it at that, okay? So that was that. It wasn't devastating to me. It was disappointing. It was definitely disappointing, but it wasn't devastating. Uh, just one of these things like, wow, this whole thing was a big waste of time. Uh, I have not talked to her since 2008. So 11 years passed. And uh, she came to the World Series in years after that. Sometimes she came, sometimes she didn't. Uh, I, I had seen a few years ago, she got kind of deep in a No Limit event, and I saw her name up there, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what, would, I wonder what she'd say if she saw me around. I figured she'd recognize me, but but I in in the big crowd there I never saw her. We never played together. We just we had no contact. Well, that was until the big fifty, because on day one of the big fifty, they moved a girl to my table, and lo and behold, it was Toots. Yep, she was at my table, and this is before I had a lot of chips. I was actually kind of short stacked at the beginning. Um, I thought how, how, this would be kind of humiliating if she's the one who busts me because she was starting off doing pretty well. She came a little bit late. I was I was I came a little bit late too because of the losing my ticket thing. But uh, she came later than that. And I thought this is going to be so weird. We play hands against each other. And at the beginning, for a few hours, we said nothing to each other. We were completely like acting like we didn't know each other, which was really awkward. We played some pots together. I won every pot we played. It's just the way it fell. Um, she lost every hand she played against me. But uh, 
we we didn't talk until and I didn't know for sure if she knew who I was. It had been eleven years. I I, I do look a little bit different since then. I, I didn't know if she knew who I was. But I figured she had to because I, I was using the shampoo bottle to as a card protector and I had the poker fraud alert hat on. I mean how, how could you not know? We were as far from each other as could be on the table. We were completely opposite on the table. But still I figured she had to know who I was. Uh Finally, we interacted when we both had a common concern, and that was the warehouse. We were both very unhappy about how hot and uncomfortable it was there. Everybody was unhappy, but the two people at the table who wanted to do something about it were me and her. So we both went to the head floor man about it and both complained. Uh, I tried more of that route to put pressure on getting it done, Where as far as cutting down those trash bags that were blocking the air conditioning vents. She tried to go to facilities maintenance directly and tried to call them. And she, she tried her own methods to get it done. Neither of us were successful. It's just very hard to get anything done there. But, I mean, I'll give her credit. She, she, I heard what she was doing. She was, uh, her, what she was trying to do and, and the way she was going about it was pretty, uh, I, I thought it was pretty good in my opinion. I thought she was uh, doing a good job. And both of us did not succeed. But at that point, she started talking to me. Regarding what was going on, without still without acknowledging that she knew who I was, but she was talking to me in a friendly manner about it. So, um, before the next break, of all things, the final hand that got played. I, by this point, I had a lot of chips, and she didn't. The final hand that got played, I, I called King Ten off in the big blind to her button raise, and the flop came King Low Card Low Card, and. Given the stack she had left, for sure I was putting it in, and she had me out kicked, and so be it. Uh, so I check-raised her all in. She thought for a long time and tossed it. By the time she finished tanking and tossing her hand, which she later told me was some kind of pocket pair, lower than King's, she she was the only one left at the table besides me. So just me and her. That was really weird. So I said to her... You know who I am, right? And she said, yeah, of course I know who you are. How could you think I wouldn't know who you are? Well, it turned out she actually didn't know who I was for two hours. She admitted a little bit later that for two hours she just wasn't really watching that closely and didn't really think about it. And then she heard my voice finally, and it it, it all came back to her. Because my voice has been the same for 30 years. So she heard the same voice, and it came back to her, and she looked and saw the bottle, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who this is. But by this point, she knew who I was. Then they were doing a color up, so I had to—I was the one who was buying the chips because I was the biggest stack there. And she actually stood and waited for the whole color up to be done for me, so it was clear she wanted to talk to me during the break. So we, we talked during the break, and we we didn't bring up anything about what had happened in the past. We just completely ignored that. And she told me that you know she's married and, and has some kids now, which I already knew actually. People, some people came and told me this in the past, but uh, I just. Acted like I didn't know already, and uh, I told her that uh, I've been with someone for 10 years, and I have a kid, and uh, so we, we just engaged in some small talk about it, and I told her the truth, that uh, her pocket pair there was crushed, that I had a king. I decided I had a king. I said, I said, if you just had a pocket pair, you weren't in good shape, is what I told her. And uh, she ended up busting... During, I think it was those next two levels. She ended. I, I saw her bust. wasn't against me. I think she was zero and four against me at hands, but the bust hand wasn't against me. 
she didn't say goodbye or anything when she walked away. She just kind of walked off. But but during the break, she like spent that entire break, which was an extra break. It was like a thirty minute break instead of twenty. She spent that entire break talking to me. But but we didn't bring up anything about what had happened before. She didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. We just talked like we're just two people who hadn't seen each other in eleven years. So that happened. So so for those of you that that have heard these stories about you know all these horrible things I did, et cetera, et cetera, this is more evidence to put on the pile that it was all full of crap because. Uh, um, she, as I said, voluntarily went to talk to me during the break. She could have walked off after she lost that hand and folded. She stood around for five minutes while they were messing around with my, my chip stacks and the color-ups and on, I'm counting my chips. They didn't mess up the color-up. Uh, she stood there waiting for that to be done when it had nothing to do with her anymore, just so she could talk to me on the break. So uh, I, I wasn't going to put this out there. I was just going to leave this as something that, I told some friends of mine, but I didn't tell it to anybody else. But screw it. I'll tell you guys on the radio that happened. Some of you, this doesn't mean much to, but uh, it's kind of weird. You know, I, I didn't meet many girls through poker or through these forums. I, like very few. Like I, I got to know some girls who uh, I become friends with, but uh, like I never had any kind of romantic or sexual uh, relationships with with. I shouldn't say never. I didn't have many of them. There are very few of those in my time in poker, despite the fact that I've been in poker for so many years. And a reason for that is that I have been with long-term girlfriends for most of the time. But there there was some time where I was single, a few months in 2008, some time in 2009, uh, some time in 2001. And... Still, there, there were, really was not very much between me and, and other poker players. But this was kind of one of them. And it was kind of weird and kind of awkward that she ends up at my table. At all things at the Big 50, the biggest event, the, the biggest field event of all time, that's when she gets up at my table. Isn't that weird? It's not like we played some small uh, limit event or something and where, where the chance of her ending at my, my table is not that that low. But this, this is a tiny chance. Think about it. 28,000-something entries, and she ends up at my table. Day one. Crazy. I, I was shocked when I saw it. I knew she played. I didn't know if she was going to play this event, but I knew she was showing up most years to play. But I uh, I did not know that uh, <laughs> she'd end up at my table. That was really surprising. What'd she look like, Drop? I know the, the, the listeners want to know. Well, um, I, she, she looked somewhat different, but it's been 11 years, so I, I can't say she looked exactly the same. Uh, she looked different to the point where I had to kind of look closely and go, is that the same person? And I go, yeah, it's, that's her. But at the same time, I, rec- I recognized her enough to where, like, the second she sat down, I thought, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I know who this is, but I'm not sure because it's been 11 years and she's changed and she doesn't look, you know, like, quite the same as when I saw her in 2008. But, but it, that was what it jumped out at me immediately when she showed up at the table. And does, was she aware of Poker Fraud Alert and is she a listener? She's not a listener, but she's aware of the site. We didn't talk that much about it, but she was aware the site exists, and she uh, um, she didn't either. She pretended she didn't know, or she hadn't followed that I that I had a kid. I, I think maybe she pretended it because I would think that people would have told her this because it wasn't that long after I had met her that uh, Benjamin's mom was preg- was pregnant with him. It was uh, Benjamin's mom was pregnant with him in February 2010, and I met her in uh, I think it was July 2008. 
So we're talking about less than two years. So I, I think. And well, oh, sorry, Jeff. Go ahead. She either forgot or or she just didn't want to admit she knew and she didn't want to sound like a stalker. Kind of like when she told me about it. Oh, I'm married and I have these kids. Like I, I could have said, oh yeah, I know about that. People have been telling me, but like I, I didn't want to say that. It sounded like it would have sounded bad. So I'm like, oh, no, that's nice. You know, I'm glad to hear that uh, everything's going well. Like that's that's like what I said back. But uh, and would you? What was worse, the tent or the warehouse? Oh, the tent was worse. The tent was worse than the warehouse. The t- he's talking about the poker tent from 12 years ago. That was, uh, there were a lot of similarities, which I mentioned last show about between the big 50 and all the fail there and the 2007 poker tent situation. And even the registration, they, they had a lot of the same fail, including the, the online registration that was a failure. Like, uh, they really duplicated 2007 in many ways that were not good, but, uh, this was better than the poker tent. The poker tent was like 100 degrees. It was like literally 100 degrees in there. So that was, and it also blew down eventually. Not on me, but other people had actually blew down. So that was, that was worse than the warehouse. Oh, the funny thing was, I, so I tried to show, there, there's, so there's two listeners to this show. I'm not going to say who they are, but they know who they are. Uh, a male and female couple who I've gotten to know through the, through the show. And, uh, they were at the Rio and I, we were walking by the area where the warehouse was. So I showed them. In fact, the door was open. They left it unlocked for whatever reason. So it was really weird. We like walked in and it was just totally empty. They were a little afraid to come in too. They're like, "Yeah, are we committing a violation here?" I'm like, you know what? They're not going to care. This is a. It's it, right now. It's being used as a tournament room and nobody's in there. But you know, I actually played in here. Like, I'm sure no one's going to care. So I convinced them to come in. They even took a, I, I got to get this picture. They, they took a picture of me in the warehouse with my arms over the crates. So I, I got to get that picture. Anyway, they, they we walk in there and it's it's nice and cool and comfortable. In fact, it was kind of a little too cold in there. I go, what? They go, well, I don't know what you're talking about. It, it seems nice in here. I go, hold on a second. So I looked and the bags were all cut down. But there's one still hanging there, but but cut. And I'm like, this is why. Look at this. The air conditioners are all cut. The, the, they're all open now. This is why it's okay in here. And and then also it didn't seem that terrible because there's nobody else there. We weren't crammed in with hundreds of people. It was just us. So I, I seemed like such a liar in that warehouse. It seemed like a beautiful room. The crates were there, but it seemed like it was. It didn't seem crowded. It didn't seem hot. And I said, "You yeah, just picture this with no air conditioning and with 400 people in here." So um, I, I don't know if they're still using it at all. And they probably went in the morning, and it probably wasn't too hot until you know they put 200 people in. Right, there. right. And, and, yeah, yeah. It, it was terrible. Everybody thought it was terrible. So in fact, that that was as I said, that's what kind of what caused the the 2019 semi bonding moment between me and Toots. This is what started us talking was because we were both very uncomfortable in there and both trying to do something about it. Of all the people at the table, we, we were the only two trying to actively do something. So that's that's what kind of broke the ice. It was weird though. It was it was weird and awkward, but. I figured I had to say something. I was considering just like saying nothing, and then like, no, I've got to say something here. I've got to. One of us has got to say something. So it just seemed like I had to say something once we played a hand against each other when everybody else had left right before a break. So that was that. It was a, a weird moment there, and a, a lot of weird things happened that day: losing the tournament ticket, being in the warehouse, uh, having toots at my table, uh, cracking aces with Ace King. Uh, finishing with one of the top stacks out of 7,200 people, uh, ha- having a fight with the American Bar and Grill during dinner break and eating nothing as a result. A lot of weird things happened that day. It was a very weird day. Very weird day. 
Anyway, let's talk about what happened after that weird day. I did radio. Came into day two. This was an event, and I mentioned this last time, that I just, I didn't care that much about it before I played it. I was really only playing it because it happened to fall between the two 08 events I had scheduled to play. And I, I had no other tournaments to play during that time. So I said, okay, I'll play the Big 50. Totally didn't care that much about it. I, I did like the fact that the structure was very good. It's a surprisingly good structure for a $500 World Series event. In fact, I, I don't think you'll find many events with a better structure that are $500 buy-in anywhere. There were a number of logistical failures, as I've talked about before. But by the time I finished day one with that big stack, I was kind of excited. Excited, yet realistic that I would have to run well for several more days to do well. So on day two, I sat down and I was happy to see from my day two assignment that I did not recognize any of the names at the table and that it seemed, from what I could tell, that I was with a bunch of amateurs. And that's what it was. There there were like one or two people there who were just unknowns who were pretty good. But the rest of them were amateurs of varying skill levels. Some of them were amateurs who were decent. Some of them were amateurs who weren't very good at all. Uh, but, But it was mostly amateurs there. And I thought, how often do you get to sit down at a World Series day two at a table with mostly amateurs. doesn't usually happen that way. Usually day two is a lot tougher. But because of this event and its field size, and because of its good structure, there was we weren't in the money yet, but I got a good table draw of mostly amateurs. Despite that, I was not winning. So my 682K stack that I sat down with was quickly down to about 480K. And I thought, okay, I've still got a big stack, but that's not a good start. I was hoping to go up, not down. But then I started to do better, and I started to win hands. I hit my peak at 1.45 million when my queen nine in the blind, the small blind, ended up cracking aces. What happened was uh, the previous hand, I think probably the, the, the best opponent I had at the table, he, uh, he had raised in the cutoff and I, I had ace-8 in the blind, and I flopped the 8, I think bottom pair. So I decided to try to fire out. It was me, the small blind, and him. I tried to just fire out from the big to hopefully just fold. I didn't want to do like a check-call thing down. It just wasn't a good hand to check-call with. I kind of wanted to see where I was and let it go if I didn't uh, if he already had me beat. So I fired out. This guy in the cutoff raised me pretty big. Small blind folded. I tossed the ace-8. The reason I'm mentioning this hand is the very next hand I had queen nine in the small blind. He was on the button. Um, or he, was he on the button? Hold on, I'm getting confused here. Oh no, I guess he was. He wasn't the. He was. He was uh, the the other way, one one away from the cutoff. So it, it folded to him again. He raised. Came to my small blind with queen nine offsuit. I considered three betting him. I, I just thought he was trying to steal blinds twice in a row. And this guy, as I said, this guy was uh, like an aggressive, good player who seemed like a pro. I just didn't know who he was. So I was considering three-betting him. And usually I can do that, and people respect it, because I'm like the middle-aged white guy, and they think I'm probably not doing this without a real hand. But since that previous hand, I had fired out against him and folded. I'm like, nah, he probably just thinks I, I, I bluff now. So I, I don't want a three bet. I'm afraid he's uh, he's going to come over on me. Well, it's a good thing I didn't because he had aces. <laughs> so he would have four bet me probably and crushed me. Or maybe hit me with a big raise in the flop and I would have been stuck. So what ended up happening, the flop, I flopped a, a gutter with uh, Jack 8 little card. 
So I check called. And you know, he didn't bet that big on the, on the flop, so I check called, hoping for the 10, maybe the queen, but really the 10. Bang, 10 on the turn. So I check. He bets. I check raised about three times what he bet. He shoves all in. I immediately say call, and he yells out, Fuck! <laughs> he actually yelled that really loud at the top of his lungs. Because he knew, he knew if he went all in like that for all those chips, and I just snaps that call, that he's in bad, bad shape with aces on that board. And he was, he was drawing dead, and that was that. I was up to 1.45 million, he busted, I was feeling good, saying, aha, look at this, doing well again. Unfortunately, I never had more chips than that. The beginning of my downfall was not too long later when someone went all in, pre- in early position, folded to my big blind, and I actually said out loud, well, I'm going to need something good here to call. I look down, ace-king. I go, well, it looks like I got it. I call. So I, I, no, I, I it looks like I, I did get something good. I call and turned over ace-king. He turned over aces. Well, I didn't crack them a second time. So uh, the aces held. That took away 200K from my stack. And from there, I, I kind of spun my wheels for a long time, around 1.2 million. And uh, then, uh, towards the end of the day, I got moved to Ari Engel's table. I was directly uh, to his left. And this was a... Both tables I got moved to, both Ari's table and the one I was at before, were tougher than the table I started at. Not super tough. They had some amateurs at them, but there were some guys who knew what they were doing at at both tables. Of course, uh, Ari definitely knows what he's doing. Happy I positioned on him. The funny thing was, at, at the previous table, I looked like a, a nit. I was just fold, 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 fold. I just got trash every time. A lot of people just kept get, getting dealt hands there, and I'm getting, like, jack four offsuit every time. So that one, I hardly played any hands. I moved to Ari's table, and I'm just dealt a ton of hands. Not really top premium hands, but playable hands every time. So I'm just raise, 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 raise. I'm looking, I'm looking like the maniac there. Uh, and I won some pots. I lost some pots, but... Uh, uh, after it was all said and done, after about 20 minutes, and I played a ton of hands in that short time, I was about even at that table. Uh, then came the killer hand, though, that really started my downfall. And that was, I had 6-5 suited in late position. And I it folded to me, and I raised. And a woman, a 50-something-year-old woman, who clearly looked and played like an amateur. I mean, she she's, she played exactly what you would expect a 50-something-year-old white woman who's an amateur to play. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. So she flatted. The big blind flatted. All right, I think she was in the big blind. He was in the small blind. Whatever. She was the big blind. He, the other guy was in the small blind. The other guy was decent, and I was a little worried about him either putting a move on me or... Uh, Flopping something and check raising me. But anyway, I didn't worry about him flopping something at this point because the flop came 966. Excellent flop. No one's going to put me on a six. So, check to me. I bet the small blind folded. Just me and the woman. She calls. I'm thinking, uh oh, well, I, I, she's got a pretty big stack, probably equivalent to mine. I'm thinking, uh, if she's got a six here, I could have some trouble because I got to decide what to do if she goes all in the turn. But she also probably has, uh, she could have has something like 7-8. Well, what I decided I was going to do, because I had no kicker, um, I, I decided to put out a reasonably, uh, like a, 
the bet on the turn wasn't as the the turn was at king, and uh, I think it was nine six six with two spades also. So she could have a, a flush draw too. Um, I don't remember that for sure, but anyway, I know that an offsuited king hit the turn, and she checked. And I remember putting out a size of a bet to where if she check raised me, I was actually considered folding because uh, just of who it was. Anyone else at the table, I would have had to call, but with her. I knew she wasn't putting moves on me. So I bet enough to where it, it was like big enough to charge her, but I was I bet also not big enough to where I could consider folding. Well, she just called. So I said, okay, good. Now I just don't want to see a, the bad river card screwing me. Well, the river was another king. Yeah, there was a flesh draw. That's right. There was two, there was two diamonds in the flop. And I know it's the, the river was a king of diamonds. I remember now. So that puts the flesh out there, which of course doesn't hurt me because I've got the one card full house, but now what if she called the turn with a king and hit the second king? Well, very quickly she says, I'm all in. And I'm like, oh my god. I can't believe this has happened. She hit runner-runner kings. The only fortunate thing here is because who it was. I didn't have to worry about someone pulling a move on me. I just, I, I sat and thought about it, but I, I just can't picture a player like this going all in if she doesn't have the king. Like, how does she know I don't have the king? Like, I just couldn't picture a woman like that doing it. Putting her whole big stack at risk without that king. I thought, could she really be dumb enough to like have the flush and not realize the full house is on the board? Like, could she not? Is it possible she has the ace high flush and doesn't see it? Like, that was my that was the only thing I was wondering. I didn't think she was bluffing. I was just like, does she not realize that the flush doesn't win here? And I go, yeah, she's got to realize that. And either way, I can't throw away the rest of my chips, or almost all of my chips calling this off, so I said out loud okay if you don't have the king, good job and I turned over the six by itself to show I had flopped it and the table went, ooh and then, so Trader Ruski, she showed her hand, do you think she showed the king or not? She said I had a flush, young man <laughs> And she says, oh, well, I'm lucky I had ace four of diamonds. No, she showed me ace king. She actually, it's too bad she didn't blow me off of this preflop. I wish she just raised from the big blind with the, with the damn ace king. That would have blown me out the five six, and I would have lost a lot less. But uh, no. Now, I guess I am fortunate she didn't check raise me all in on, on the turn, because then I may have called it and then gotten heartbroken. Though I also may have folded. Anyway, yeah, I folded the river. She showed me the ace king, so she got there. Runner, king, runner, runner, kings, and then the very next hand I lost too to somebody else. This this uh, euro guy at the table I lost. Where I uh, twice against this one euro guy, I ended up with freaking two, three, four, five on the board when I didn't have an ace or six. Twice, twice he flatted me, and twice he got the two, three, four, five. One of the times he bluffed me off of it. He told me afterwards he had king queen and missed, and I check folded with nines. Uh, the second time he had queen six and called me from the big blind and got two, three, four, five on the board on the turn. And this guy, this guy tried to check raise me twice and failed both times. He tried to check on the check check raise me on the turn. I checked on the river. He tried to check raise me. I checked again. Then he turned over queen six. He had he had it and tried to check raise both of them and fly, and failed it. So anyway, I lost twice to him. When the whole thing was said and done, I had six hundred thirty-five k in chips, fewer chips than I had started with on that day. Very disappointing. The only bright spot was that Ari Engel gave me a compliment. That uh, he said that I, I I made some amazing reads and 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 uh, made some amazing decisions and came away with uh, 
a lot fewer chips than what I sat down with at the table. So at least I. I, I he didn't say for a limit player. Or no, no, no. He was, no. He seemed he seemed to be impressed. I think he expected me to just sit down and be a nit. And uh, which which he if he saw me at the other table, he would have said I was a big nit. But uh, but here at his table, it looked like I was like an active player who who thought about each hand. It was making good laydowns and it was making good bets. Like a, you know, I, I think I think he was impressed. I think it was better than he expected to see from me. But my results weren't good. And and I'm sure with all the tournaments he plays, I'm sure he felt the the heartache there with the the running kings that got me. I mean, think about it. I had six five on a nine six six board against Ace King and lost. <laughs> That's pretty bad. It has to come, and she had no suited either. It, it had to come either Ace Ace or King King for me to lose. It's pretty bad. What she have Ace King? Is she, that what she showed? Yeah, she had Ace King. So she called. She called just the two overs, huh? And she called pre and she called pre flop. She didn't re raise me. She, she flatted pre flop to my late position raise, and then and then check called the nine six six board with two black overs, nine six six two diamond board with two overs, and then hits the king. Check calls, hits the king again, goes all in. So that wow. Uh, at, le- at least she didn't check raise the river. <laughs> That's at least uh, I was also wondering what to do. Like I was actually going to value bet the river, thinking that she may have hit the the flush and was going to call it, but she just fired out the river all in. So at least I got to. F- lose zero chips on the river and i got to see what she had because i showed that's the reason i showed by the way is i hoping she i was hoping she'd show and she did but uh i also like to show like when i have it i like to show because then it, it gives my bets more respect when i don't have it i actually i i'm i really prefer at tables that people respect my bets when they're not respecting my bets i have a hard time when they respect my bets i i usually crush because i People don't expect me to bluff as much as I do, and a lot of times, like I'm, I'm picking spots to bluff where I don't think they have it, and where I make them believe I do, partially just for my image. So if people are respecting my bets, then, then I can really run it up, even if I'm not hitting hands. But if people are not respecting my bets, if I'm not like running well, I get crushed. So I, I showed the six, so they people see that I was betting with something, especially with all the hands I was playing. People were kind of—I could tell people were totally getting the impression at that table like I was just crazy. So, uh, so there are a lot of hands that didn't show down. Anyway, I went back to day three. Uh, at, at one point, I did run it back to 1.4 million, but from there, started losing every hand. Just started running into big hands every time. Uh, got crushed with uh, jacks twice and pocket tens once. The tens I ran into a flush that flopped and got out of it fairly cheaply. Anyway, um, final hand, pocket sixes. I was short stacked. I went all in. Uh, a, a good player at the table named uh, Daniel Zach, who had won a bracelet earlier in the series, which obviously was pretty early. He had just recently won it because the series had just started. But uh, he went all in over me. He kind of had about a average stack at that point. But he went over me, and I knew he's not going over me with garbage, so I was uh, not very happy with sixes for him. To, or Sorry, he didn't have... I, I had ace-four of diamonds. I didn't have sixes. He went over me. One of the blinds thought a long time and threw away nines. Well, the person in the blinds was pissed because Daniel Zach had sixes. He's the one with sixes. I had ace-four of, of diamonds in late position. He had sixes on the button, and one of the blinds had nines and threw it away pre. However, the flop came with a six. At that point, the blind was thrilled. 
I picked up a backdoor flush draw on the turn, but nothing on the river, and that was that. I was out in 666th place, knocked out by 666. Now, what do, what do you think that says? 666 in two ways. Knocked out by 666, and I was 666th place. I don't, I don't know if uh, that says that uh, Satan was watching me on this tournament, but that's what I was. My, the cash I got was $3,273. I had entered for 500 I did not rebuy. Some people rebought a lot in that one. You could re-enter. Uh, I think you're allowed one re-entry each day. I think you'd, you could re-enter a maximum of eight times. You could enter it at a maximum of eight times, you know, twice each day. I did not do that. My plan was only to enter with one bullet, which is rake-free for the first bullet, and that's it. I was going to enter once and only once, no matter what happened. So I entered once. I got down to 666th place out of 28,000-something people. Got three thirty-two hundred seventy-three dollars, and uh, that was that. How did I feel about that? Was I really let down that after that first day, where I was twenty-fourth out of seventy-two hundred, that I would finish? Yes, in the top two percent or so, but uh, uh, still uh, six hundred sixty-sixth place. Now nowhere near the final table or, or even the final hundred. Well, I, I felt okay uh, I, because I knew that I was going to have to get lucky so many other days to get really, really deep in this. That's the problem with those giant field events. And as I've explained before, those giant fields events, if you're looking to just cash, that's the one to play. You, you want to play a giant field event if you want to cash because even though it's the same percentage of people cashing, you don't have to win that much to cash at an event like that. You just got to survive. You don't have to win that many hands. You don't have to crush it. You don't have to run really well. So an event with uh, 120 people, you have to run pretty damn well to cash in the top 15%. An event with 28,000 people, uh, you can kind of just spin your wheels and let everybody else uh, fall off. So the bigger the event, the easier it is to cash, but the harder it is to run deep. So look at this. Let's, let's event, again compare the event to something with 120 people. With 120 people, if in, if in the top 2%, I'm finishing like uh, around third place. Third place, fourth place, that, that's where I'm finishing there if I'm, the, I'm in the uh, the top 2%. I guess third place, so second or third, not third or fourth. So second or third, if I'm in the top 2%. Here, I'm, I'm finishing 666 out of 28,000. So how many did it pay, Jeff? Like 4,000? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 15% of 28,000, whatever that is. If 4,200 people. So what was the minimal pay? 750. Interesting. Yeah. So, but so yeah. Let me tell you, this event was full of amateurs. If if you, and if, I don't know if they're going to hold it again next year, but if you have been considering playing a World Series event, and you don't want to spend a lot of money, you don't want to put fifteen hundred or a thousand into it, and you want to play against a lot of amateurs, this is the one to do. This one was definitely the most amateur heavy event I've ever played. The structure was good, so if you're a good player, you can use that to your advantage. And uh, the first bullet was rake-free. There are a lot of reasons why this is a smart event for an amateur to play. I did. I wasn't excited about it for exactly what happened, in that I did very well. I got past 98% of the field, but I still only uh, cashed 3273 for a 2500-something profit. Which is a pretty good return on investment, but, but still, it's, it's a lower buy-in event for me. And I spent a lot of time, and, and the chance of me getting all the way down towards the end is very, very small. You just have to run well for a really long time, which is very hard to do. Whereas, 
if I had that day one stack in, in a regular 1500 no limit event, I would have been a lot more optimistic about my overall prospects of, of making it really deep here. I was like, eh, it's nice, but I've got to, got to do really well going forward or it's not going to mean that much. So I kind of, I think I kind of did about what would be expected. I think I kind of had like average luck from that point forward. I did uh, barely survive the beginning of day three. I got lucky at the beginning of day three when uh, I ended up in an all-in situation of ace-king, ace-king versus queens and, and with a low board flopping. So <laughs> that's pretty much uh, bad news for me. The only way I can win is with uh, a four-outer, an ace or a king, and there I only chop. It was again, me, Daniel, Zach again, and some third guy who had both of us crushed with the queens. And then a king on the turn. And <laughs> so we... The, 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 uh, we chopped and we, we chopped that guy's money. He busted against us. So that kept me alive for longer. But uh, It's amazing how, how that happens all the time. Yeah. And then, but like that happens, but then yet I lose that other hand with a freaking 966 with 5-6 against Ace King. Isn't that amazing? And I, like, I, so I lose the 966 against Ace King, and I win the Ace King against Aces, and the Ace King, Ace King versus Queens on a low board. Like, how does that happen? But that's that's poker for you. So I I just don't like these giant field events for that reason. But again, if you're if you're looking to just score a cash, that's the best one to play. Now, speaking of scoring a cash, because I did, I have kept my streak alive. I've now cashed in 15 consecutive World Series of Poker. All 15 I've played, I've cashed now. From 05 through 19, every year I've cashed at least once. Unfortunately, the rest of the events I played did not go nearly as well. I played before that the 1500 I kind of made it through about the middle of the field, started off well, and then chunked it all off. I just stopped winning hands for the last few hours, and I was gone. So I made that through about half the field. I played the satellite to the 10K08. Made it through more than half the field, but didn't come that close to cashing. I played the 10K08 itself and got crushed. And this was really pissed me off, this one, because I got a good starting table. I had Robert Mizraki to my right, who's good, but a lot of crappy amateurs at that table. At a 10K event, just like last year, I got a great starting table. But unlike last year, I got picked up and moved from that table. We didn't break. They just, we need the big blind to come with us. I'm like, oh, fuck, they're moving me to another table. And sure enough, they dropped me at a hard freaking table of all these poker all-stars. Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know, but people knew them, and I could tell they were successful pros. They just didn't really know who they were. Um, I, I had uh, Chris Vitch, a.k.a. Death Donkey, at my table. I had uh, Matthew Woodward, a.k.a. Woodrow, at my table. I, I, a lot of good players. I think there was like one or two guys who weren't that good at the table. For the most part, everybody was either good or or a well-known, successful poker pro. who, And not even just like good no-limit ones who suck at 08. I mean like good ones who are also good mixed players. I'm like, this is exactly what I don't want. So I got moved from a – and then I talked to somebody else. I think it was Bart Hansen who uh, told me he was at a great table. That was a different table than my starting one. So, like, there were some great tables to draw out here. I got one of them, and I got moved away from it. Robert Mizraki must have really made the most of it because he ended up at the final table. So I got moved to a very tough table and just missed everything, just couldn't get anything going. I'd be dealt, uh, you know, ace, two, three, four, totally missed the flop. Every time. Ace, two, three, something, missed the flop. Whatever I had, missed the flop. 
When I flop something good, I end up chopping. I just couldn't scoop any pots. For the most part, I was just missing flops and, and folding. And in, in 08, uh, that's, you're, you're screwed when that happens. You're, you're not going to limit 08. You're not going to force anyone off. And if, if you all see a flop and, and your ace, deuce, ace, deuce, three misses, then you've just wasted chips. That's it. In fact, sometimes you just, you don't even bother continuation betting. Sometimes you just check fold because you know you're dead. So this, uh, it was like a slow bleed at the 10K 08. I didn't chunk it all off super fast, but I was just losing every single hand I played for like four hours and I was gone. And I think there was only like, I think the field was like 170 people or so, 170, 180 people. I think, I, I think like 12 people busted ahead of me. Uh, but the funny thing is that ODB, David ODB Baker busted ahead of me and he actually got the structure changed. There's a story about that, how he lobbied the World Series to change the structure in these 10Ks and they agreed and Seth Polanski came out and announced this and gave David Baker all this credit for it and all that and then he, he sits down and is one of the first ones to bust. He probably had the same thing as me. I'm not, I'm not saying he played badly. He wasn't at my table, but I, I just noticed in the list of people who busted before me. Like, when I have such a bad tournament, I'm one of the first ones out. I, I look like, who did even worse than me? And he was one of them. So I, I didn't make it that far. The Hanson kid, he got farther than I did. He had, he had it like this last year. He was one of the first ones out last year. That's when he went out and played video poker at high stakes and, and hit a 200k hand. But, uh, he made day two with an okay stack, but he didn't cash either. Ended up being won by Frankie Odell, who I know is kind of friendly with Brandon, because that's, uh, Brandon once introduced me to him on a break. And I played with Frankie twice at 08 tournaments at the end of 2018, at the beginning of 2019. I played with him at the, at the bike and a circuit event where he ended up winning it, and I, I was in 10th on the bubble, which is really annoying. And then I also played with him another 08 event at Commerce at the LAPC, and we both got deep in that one. But he busted before I did, and I busted about seven before the money. So I, I had a, a streak of 08 events where I was either making the money or getting very close to it, but not not these two. So that, that was a failure. Millionaire Maker. I took two coolers. First one was Jack-10 against Jax on a 8-9-10 uh, board on the turn. And uh, didn't win that one. That was against an amateur too, who played it really weird. And then the then the killer hand to me was I had uh, nine ten of clubs, open raised it, got three bet by a tight aggressive Asian woman to my left, called flop was king jack seven two clubs. So I flopped the flush draw and the double gutter, meaning I am a favorite over most hands, including aces, unless she flopped a set there. Maybe two pair also, but but definitely unless she's got two pair or better, I was ahead as far as odds to win the hand. So um, I had to make a decision. Do I try to uh, just check call it and lose the minimum if I don't hit? But then if I hit something, she's probably not going to want to pay me off because it's it's obvious I hit something. So think about that board, you know. So it, it's it's pretty obvious to her that I've hit a straight or a flush if if, if the card hits. And, and then I raise her. And I knew she's not the type who's going to pay me off light. So I was like, well, do I just play this aggressive and try to just get her to lay down whatever she has? And if not, then I've, I'm a favorite over her anyway, all in. And I thought, yeah. So that's what I did. And uh, we got it in. She had aces and brick, brick. And that was that. I was gone. 
So I was gone for the Millionaire Maker. Then I played the 1K Double Stack No Limit. Eric Benzamokin was there too. And didn't do much with that one. Had a chance to kind of come back when I had uh, another short stack went all in against me from the small blind with 9-6 with nine six suited. I had ace-queen, snapped him, and he outflopped me. And I was crippled, had to go to dinner, came back with a, a tiny, tiny stack that was basically all in on the small blind. And was happy to see ace-eight. Pretty good hand to be all in small blind, right? Except when the original Razor has aces. So that was the end of me. That was the end of my first half of the World Series. So not not very successful. I broke a few uh, streaks there that weren't good. It's not good that I broke them. I had a four-event winning streak, or cashing streak, shall I say, in preliminary No Limit Hold'em events. By preliminary, I mean ones that aren't the main. Bracelet events that are not the main. Dating back to 2017, the last four No Limit Hold'em bracelet events that were not the main, I had cashed. That was the 888 event in 2017. The uh, two 1500 No Limit events that I played in 2018, the only two I played, cashed in both, ran very deep in one of them. And the Big 50 in 2019, four in a row. Four in a row caches. Went to the Millionaire Maker looking for number five, did not do it. Then I had another streak going, and that was that whenever they introduced a new event for the year that was No Limit Hold'em, I would cash in it. And there's a lot that this includes. This includes the Millionaire Maker. This includes the Extended Play, which is now called the Marathon. This includes the, the Bounty event. This includes the uh, now-defunct 50-50 event where they pay 50% of the field, but I didn't cash that way. I ran very deep in that one and cashed like in the final 2% of the field. Uh, this includes the 888 event in 2017. I think there may even be one other. Every time they introduced a new event, I was cashing it. So this, this thousand dollar double stack was a new event. I thought, oh good, I'm going to cash in this, right? No, did not. So the only thing I did was I managed to keep my cashing streak alive. At least I don't have to sweat that one. At least I don't have to worry about this is the beginning of the year with all bricks. Unfortunately for everybody who invested in me, it is all bricks so far because the big 50 I had 100% of myself. That one I wasn't selling just because I didn't want to chop up a, a $500 event. So I hope I do better for you guys and for myself when I return on the 25th. A lot of poker yet to be played. We've got PLO8. We've got uh, three limit hold'em events coming up, including the 10K. We've got uh, the Mixed Omaha, which is a very good event, which is a combination of Big O, PLO8, and Limit 08. And uh, we may have one more no-limit event. I may play the 888 which is not part of the package, but I, I may play it. And then what else do I have? I think that's it. I've got the main, too, of course. So we'll see. That's my second half. Uh, people have asked me, can I meet up with them? When am I there? I've had a, people, a few people asking me in the last two days or so, can I meet up with them today? No, I'm not there in Vegas. Can I meet up with you tomorrow or the next day? No, won't be there. I'll be back on the night of June 24th. I don't play again until 3 p.m. on the 25th, so I, I have no reason to leave early on the 24th. I want to spend the maximum time with the family before I, I take off again for a while. And uh, so I'll be back on the night of the 24th. And then I'll be playing pretty consistently, but depending on how many day twos I make, uh, I may have time. Hopefully I don't. Hopefully I make day twos every time, so I have no time. But I will be there pretty consistently from the night of the 24th all the way through the almost end of the World Series. 
So if you're going to be there during that time and you'd like to say hello and meet up with me, I, I'd be glad to. Uh, I, I met up with a few people I, I didn't know before, and I was glad to meet them. I had some good conversations, uh, and I, I always enjoy meeting listeners. I always enjoy hearing the story, how they found the show, and hearing about them. And unlike Brandon, who's run pretty bad with meetups with people from the from the forum, from the radio show, uh, my experiences have all been pretty good. That, that's why I keep doing it. I, I haven't had the psychos yet. I, I have psychos that send me troll text messages and crap like that, but uh, as far as the ones I meet, everybody's been nice, and I've been glad to meet them all, and, and, and I've made some friends, and uh, I enjoy meeting listeners, whether it's... Uh, meeting you for a while or, or just quickly saying hello. So if you're going to be there after the 24th and you'd like to meet up, then just let me know. Text me on 775-372-8355. Anytime. Uh, sometimes I'll have time. I, what is the 24th draft? Is that a Wednesday, I think? I think it is. It, it is 10 days from now. So it's pro- no, it's, it is a Monday. It's a Monday. Oh, I get in that day. Oh, I get in Sunday before you. Sunday. Okay. Well, I'll see Trader Ruski there too. Beautiful. And Vintage One will be with me. Oh, Vintage One, yeah, see him too. Okay, so, yeah, and if you're someone who's met me before uh, and you'd like to meet up, I'd like to meet you too. So let me know. Just don't be insulted if I don't have time, though. There's Sometimes I just don't have time to do it, depending on my schedule, depending on what I do with cash games and how far I run in tournaments. But, you know, I'm there, and I won't be there till then. Uh, I won't be staying at the Rio for a while, so it won't be quite as convenient to meet people as it was the first time. Let's uh, let's move on here. I want to talk about a standoff I had at the Rio, since I just brought up the Rio. Then we'll get to the other topic that have nothing to do with me. So as far as the Rio went... Um, compared to other trips, the fail level was pretty low. I, I got there and the AC wasn't working well and the safe wasn't working right and it, it took uh, two different attempts to fix it before it was working finally. But uh, that aside, uh, when, once that was done, everything was okay. And there wasn't any fail for a while. One day I came back from a break. I was actually going up to the bathroom. I was going because it was one of those, I think it was one of the big fifty days, and the bathrooms were jammed, as you might imagine. So I went up to the room, and I come in there. I see my door open. I go, "Oh no!" The freaking maid came in. I always I always hang a room occupied sign, which is the former "Do Not Disturb" sign, and what that basically means to the maid is don't come in. Now they do this obnoxious safety check every two days, which is useless. But they they do this in response to the Stephen Paddock uh, situation, the mass shooting that happened in October 2017, they, they check your room every two days to make sure you're not hiding guns or whatever in there, which is so stupid because everybody knows they do it. They tell you they do it. And if you want to sneak a lot of guns in there in two days, you easily can. Uh, two day, Every two days, a check like that's going to mean nothing. But they do it just to provide the illusion of safety. But they're very hard line about it this year. In previous years, they'd say every two days, but then they wouldn't come anywhere near that. In fact, I, I went through like a 10-day stay where they didn't come once, and then... Then I went through another stay where they came like every four or five days. Here they're coming every two days very reliably. And I knew that. And I, I wasn't trying to fight that. I wouldn't call that fail. That's just a dumb policy and I have to deal with it. 
and I know there's no way to fight it, so I don't bother. I just let them in every two days. Uh, it's frustrating because you don't get to pick the time, so they just knock on your door. So if you're taking a nap or whatever, or, uh, even worse, if you're having sex, it's a tough luck. you got to let them in. Now, the, the sex part didn't matter because I was alone, but uh, the sleeping thing did. I'd, I'd be taking naps, and they always seem to come around when I'm taking a nap, and I had to get up and let them in. It's a pain in the ass, but yeah, I, at least I knew that was coming. Well, right after I busted the Millionaire Maker, which is after only about an hour of play on June 8th, I was about to go take a nap. And I get in the bed, I'm getting close to falling asleep, and I hear someone furiously trying to enter my room with a key. And I hear it going, like it's opening. It's not like it's not like someone who's trying to enter my room with their key, not realizing it's the wrong room. This was someone who had a key that works, that was just uh, not able to open the door because I had it latched closed, and I had also the the little thing on top you you, you put on the, the the latch and also the deadbolt. Like I had that on, so they it wasn't opening for that reason. But I could hear the mechanical lock turning and I go shit this is probably the maid I don't know why she tried to come in through this sign but she's trying over and over and over again so I get up and I go to the door and I say hello who is this and she goes housekeeping housekeeping I go yeah I I, I have a sign up don't come in I don't need housekeeping uh, housekeeping you check out I go no 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 I'm not checking out I'm not checking out to the 12th I had the room to the 12th I left before the 12th but I had the room to the 12th He's, ah, house, housekeeping, you check out today. I go, no, I, I, so finally I got tired of it. I opened the door. I, I quickly got, got dressed and opened the door. And she says the same thing. Uh, housekeeping, I check out at 11 a.m. You, you, you leave now. I go, no, no, no. I have it to the 12th. Uh, is it, you, you check out today. You were supposed to leave 12, 11 a.m. I go, oh, fuck. So I, I keep trying to get across to her and she doesn't speak English well. I keep trying to get across to her. This is incorrect. I'm not leaving today. I have the room to the 12th, four more days, and I don't want housekeeping. Finally, she understood and walked away. I closed the door. I'm about to go back to sleep. I go, oh, crap. You know what? They have to do this stupid room check, too. I bet the second I fall asleep, they're going to bang on the door about that. So I, I, I walk back down the hallway, and I, I, there's a housekeeping supervisor out there, which is good. So I said, well, first of all, why was this maid insisting that I'm checking out today? Do, do you guys have that down? I'm checking out today? Because if, if so, we've got to fix that. She looked, she says, no, I see, you're checking out the 12th. I said, okay, then what was that about? She goes, oh, I see what happened. The room next to you is checking out today. She must have gotten confused. I go, well, that's lovely. Okay, well, look, that's done. what's done is done with that, whatever. But uh, can we do the room check now so I don't get interrupted a second time? And if not, if, if you can't do the room check on demand, then can you just come and quickly service my room like for like a minute and mark it as serviced? And this way, that'll qualify as a check, too. Because every two days, you either need the maid to come and service your room, or you need the, the security to come in and, and check it. So I said, either one, but I just don't want like a real service now. It's going to take 20 minutes. Uh, I can either do like a super quick service or, or just check it. She says, well, we can't do a super quick service. We, we either have to do all or nothing. But, but yes, we can come and do the check now. I go, okay, lovely. So she and, another, and a maid came down to my room, walked through it, did the check. She radioed on her walkie-talkie that she's done the check, not to come bother me for another two days, to note it down that it's done. They said, okay. I just felt something was wrong. I just felt like there's going to be fail here. And I said, are you sure this is going to be okay? You sure they're not going to bang on my door? 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know, they, they have it noted down. I told them. I called the right department. They, they know they're not going to do it. I said, okay. I just, I just felt like something was going to go wrong. Then I couldn't fall back asleep. I was having trouble falling back asleep, so I stayed up a little bit longer. And uh, I, I did some research for that a trip I want to take sometime this summer. Finally, at about, I don't know, 4 o'clock, I decided to take like a four-hour nap from 4 to 8. So I set an alarm for 8 o'clock p.m. At 7 o'clock, I'm awakened by pounding on the door. Oh, no. And then I hear it again. Safety check! Safety... Actually, it's a woman. It wasn't that voice, but... A woman shouting safety check. I go, shit! Exactly what I was afraid of. So I got up, and I said, this was already done. And she says, I don't show that. We need to come in. I said, nope. You already did it at 11 a.m. or 12 p.m., something around there. Go take a look. Go look at your records. She says, our records show that we didn't do it. We need to come in. And I said, again, you did do it. You can find the housekeeping supervisor who was working at that time and ask them. And she radioed down to someone who, who noted that it was done. So you need to check on this. I'm not letting you in. She says, you need to let us in. It's just going to be very brief. It'll just take a few minutes. Just let us in. That's, that's the easiest way. I said, no, I'm not opening the door. I said, look, clearly I can't go anywhere. So stand in front of my door. Don't let me out. I'm fine with that. And call down and find out. And you figure this out. So I absolutely would not let her in. Now, what was my plan? What, what if she called down and, and still they said she has to come in? What, Trader Risky, what do you think I would have done at that point? I think you would have just let him look and get it over with. You're 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 partially right. I would have, I would have eventually let them in if they absolutely insisted that it hadn't been done, and then I would have raised hell about it and demanded something. Because I, I'm paying for the room at this point. Like I, I'm not getting exactly. You get a big discount coming. Right. I, I wasn't. I, I was actually paying at this point. I was no longer getting any comps here. I got I got some comps in the middle. A, a nice uh, listener to the show got me uh, some days for free there, which I really appreciate. Uh, it's, it's actually no one any of you guys know, but uh, very nice guy. Met up with him during the series and uh you know we had talked before that on on facebook a lot and uh so i appreciate that this guy did that for me but um by this point this was a room i was paying for and i i was gonna if i was forced to i would let them in and then i was really gonna raise hell about it but but instead she just walked away she says okay i'll look into it bye and, and walks off well that's not exactly what i wanted because this doesn't tell me it's not going to happen again this just means she's going to walk off somewhere and look into it and maybe come to the wrong conclusion. So I'm like, well, crap. I, I, you know, I, one, I can't go back to sleep now, which I, I had slept about three of the four hours I wanted to anyway, but I, I, I kind of couldn't relax. I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't want them coming in when I'm not there. Like I, I just wanted this solved. So I called down to the front desk, and they, they looked into it, and they came back and said, you're correct. It was checked. We show, it, we show right here it was checked at uh, the time you said, and that was a mistake. And uh, I said, well, can you make sure that they understand in whatever department does these checks that it's not supposed to happen? Yeah, we'll email them. I go, well, that's not going to help. By the time they get this email, it's probably going to be too late. They'll probably have come back. So I made a big deal if they they contact that department and make sure they understand. And 
Anyway, it was a big mess. They put me on hold a long time while they find a way to do that. It was, it was a huge mess. And they, they conceded, so they conceded both things to me. They conceded that yes, the maid tr- trying to force enter my room earlier that day was a mistake. And, the, and also, the, the second safety check was a mistake. So I said, I keep being interrupted. My sleep keeps getting interrupted unnecessarily. I understand the safety check. That's fine. But twice now there's been an attempt to enter when they shouldn't. And they said, yeah, you're right. I, so I, I said, can you give me something? So they gave me some food credit. Nothing that exciting. But uh, they gave me a small food credit, which I just accepted, and that was that. But uh, they didn't come back. To their credit, they did stop them from coming back until two days later. But what a pa- freaking pain in the ass that safety check is anyway. It, it is so stupid. And it may not sound that bad. You may say, oh, it's every, once every two days you let them in. Who cares? Because they just come. They show up randomly. And they, there's a few problems, a few things I hate about this. If I'm not there, they just let themselves in. And I hate people coming into my room. And I'll tell you why. We talked about this on a previous show, but I'm going to say it again. When nobody is allowed to enter my room, then whoever enters it is... Prime suspect number one if something goes wrong, if something gets stolen or whatever. Because I've had to do not disturb up the whole time. So, for example, the maid can't say, well, look, I, I came in to clean. No, because you're not supposed to be there. The, the people, If no one's supposed to be there and they enter anyway, then they have something to answer to. Once people are allowed to come in, anything that happens, there's no way to prove it. So let's say the, the safety check person sees something they want to steal, and they steal I can accuse them, and they'll say, no, we didn't do it. This guy's lying. My word against theirs, I get nothing. So I absolutely hate, and for this reason, it alters my behavior, where I have to take things along with me when I'm not in the room that I'm afraid I might get stolen. Because I'm so afraid of these safety checks that people will just come in and steal from me. And it's not paranoia. I mean, you're really just having people come into your room that have an excuse to be there, and if anything disappears, you, you can't prove it. So there's that problem. There's the interruption problem, where if you're sleeping or doing something else, you've got to stop and let them in. And there's the fact that they don't help anything. If I wanted to get a lot of high-powered guns in the room, even with these safety checks, I easily could. Now, just in case there's any FBI agents or Las Vegas Police Department uh, officers listening, I wouldn't do that. I don't have any desire to do that, and I never would do that, and I'm a nonviolent person. But if hypothetically I wanted to do so, I could. Why? Because they're checking once every two days. It doesn't take very long to do it. Just because Stephen Paddock took four days to do it doesn't mean he needed four days to do it. It just meant he knew he could do it over four days. But if pressed to do it in two days, could he have done it? Yes, very easily. If there's a second Stephen Paddock who wishes to do the same thing from the Rio, could he get the same number of weapons up there? Yes. 100%. Not even in question. So this whole thing is just the illusion of security, and it's a huge pain in the ass. Some, someone said to me, oh, it's like TSA at the airport. No, it's worse than TSA at the airport. TSA at the airport, they've got their problems, and they're a little bit intrusive, and it's been shown that people can get things by them, but it's still a layer of security. It's not useless. It's not perfect, but it's not useless. This is useless. A check every two days that people know is coming every two days is 100% useless. Very easy to get around, very easy to anticipate. This does not stop anything. It's just Caesars claiming they're doing something. That's all it is. 
And if you disagree, try, tell me. Tell me how you think this prevents anything. Tell me how a once every two day check prevents people from sneaking weapons up there. Especially since there's no one, there's no guard really watching who brings things up to the room and wh- what they're bringing. There really isn't at the Rio. There's, there's usually not a guard sitting there. Occasionally during certain hours where they, where they're concerned that people may be uh, coming up to mug people or, or prostitutes coming up or whatever, they, they do post them when they're checking keys, but not most of the day. So during the rest of the day, you could bring suitcase after suitcase there and no one would see it. You could, you could sneak a lot of weaponry up there in a few hours if you wanted without ever being detected. So this is dumb. It's just, it's just they don't want another thing like this to happen and then have them have to say, oh, look, we, we took no action. We, we have the same procedures in place as, as October 1st, 2017, and it happened again, and you know, I guess it's our fault this time. Like, this prevents them from having to say that. This is where you can go, well, we're checking rooms every two days, so well, we didn't expect this. We, we didn't think someone could get guns into the room undetected every two days. Wow, I can't believe that. Well, we learned from this one. The truth is, what Stephen Paddock did is, is very hard to prevent, and there's only one way to prevent it, and that is to force everybody who brings suitcases up to the room to go through a metal detector. That's the only way. But that would cost money. It actually is, is reasonable to be done because not everybody checks in at the same time, so it wouldn't be that big of a line because people are staggered throughout the day when they're checking in. And if you don't have luggage, you could just walk right through without any uh, metal detector. But they're not worried about little handguns getting through. They're, they're worried about uh, like high-powered weaponry that have to be snuck in through uh, suitcases or other big bags. So if they, if they, and ha- is that every hotel, by the way, Jeff, that has to do it? Every Caesar's property. Obviously, that, that's, their, that's their internal policy. They don't have to do it. They're, they're choosing to do it for the appearance that uh, they're, they're doing something about what happened with Stephen Paddock in 2017. That, that, and it's, it's useless. It's totally useless. I, I, I'm not one of the people who complains when they take additional safety measures when something bad happens. I'm not really the big complainer about that. But in the, when it's totally useless and it's just for show, then I am the big complainer about that. And that, that that's what this is. And nobody... If you disagree with me, try to logically explain to me how this is doing any good. How this would prevent a second Stephen Paddock incident. It, it, there's no way. It wouldn't. Unless the guy's a complete moron and hasn't researched it at all and isn't aware of the policies there and leaves guns sitting in his room for more than two days. That's the only way that, that would catch anything. But anyone who just stays there a few days by himself just to test it to see what the property's like, and they get that interruption once every two days. They go, okay, well, now I know. Now I'll bring all the guns uh, in a window shorter than that. <laughs> that's, that's all you have to do. Don't want to give advice to the would-be spree killers, but that's that's all you have to do. Doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. Why didn't I just open the door, you may wonder. Why, why not just let them do another one? Just, just the principle. I, as I said, I would have if really pressed, but I was not going to back down. Screw them! Like they, they made the mistake. They can go correct it. I'm not, I'm not getting dressed and going through all this crap again because they made a mistake. So I gave them the chance to walk away and figure it out. And if they absolutely forced me, I would open the door, and then I would have really raised hell. So that was my stay at the Rio. Was not sorry to leave. Was happy to uh, be away for some time. Happy to uh, see my family again. Someone's texting me that this, this is a, a pointless fluff piece. They, they wanted meat to the story, someone texted me. thought there was going to be some meat to this story. It's a pointless fluff piece. Actually, I think that was a different... I think it's about a different segment. 
Uh, I only alleged for run a bracelet I just saw drop. Yeah, he, he did. Maybe he can pay a few people back now. Yeah, I was going to say. I thought that would be a topic. <laughs> I, I guess I guess the pointless fluff piece, it was texted about an hour ago, so I guess it was a different fluff piece. I don't even know which fluff piece I'm ta- he's talking about. There's, there's some fluff piece someone's unhappy with who, who texted me. And, uh, okay. Let's see here. Someone texting me, hey, Druff, have you seen New York Poker King, a.k.a. Adam Mohammed, this summer? Saw some interesting posts on 2 Plus 2. Look forward to the show tonight. Yeah, we're going to talk about him, but no, I haven't seen him. If you want to text me, 775-372-8355, you can also call the same number, 775-372-8355. 775-FRAUD55, you can call the Mount Charleston line, 702-430-1808. Let's move on to some World Series topics that have nothing to do with me. We'll, we'll get past the, the fluff piece. I, I, I am Greek just said in the chat that Mueller just won the horse event. I guess Greg Mueller just won an event. Hmm. Awesome. Known names are, are winning the events now. We've got uh, Michael Mizraki. We've got Elliot Lesra. We've got Greg Mueller. Okay, so let's talk about the 25K Fantasy League and the controversy that has been going on involving that. This is what happened. This is uh, something that was texted out by Alan Kessler. I don't know who wrote it. I don't know if he wrote it or he's texting out somebody else's thing that they wrote, but this is what he texted out or tweeted out that explains the situation. 25K fantasy dispute. Before I get into that, let me talk about what the 25K fantasy is. People have really gotten into the whole fantasy poker thing during the World Series of Poker. And I, I don't mean poker fans. I mean pro poker players will put down $25,000 each. Sometimes people will combine into a team and put it down. But uh, each entry is $25,000. And they pick the players that they think will do the best at the World Series. And there's a certain scoring formula they have. And whoever ends up with the most points wins. And I, I don't know if there's a second place, third place. I I haven't really looked into the details of it. I never take part in this. But there's constant talk about it. Constant talk. In fact, I forgot who they were talking about. But there was some anger at my 10K08 table that someone on their fantasy team, I think someone named Adam. And no, it's not uh, Adam Schwartz. But so, someone named Adam. I think it was Adam. Can't say for sure. But I think it was Adam. That they top were, three get paid, by the way, draft. Top three. 150, okay. 150 for third. Okay. So someone named Adam was, was not playing that event, which they were very angry about because he was one of their bigger picks. And uh, he claims he's just resting for the millionaire maker, and they thought that was so stupid because the, the 10K08 is a good place to possibly make points because it's a relatively small field. It's a lot easier to make big points in that than it is at the uh, the millionaire maker, which is a bigger field. So people were very angry that he didn't play. So that's people get very into this whole thing because there's a lot of money at stake, and people pick their teams, and it, it just you you can't play these events, especially these 10K events, without constantly hearing about fantasy stuff. And this is where a dispute came up. Remember, people select the players that they want based upon both what they perceive to be the skill of that player and their schedule. So a great player who's going to almost barely play, someone who's going to play like two events the whole year, would be a terrible pick 
for the 25K Fantasy League because he just is not going to cash that much, or at all, because he's hardly playing. Somebody who plays every event they can, who just plays day after day after day, who busts something to enter something else, that's who you want to pick. Because you're not, the fantasy is not about the person's overall profit at the World Series. It's about the caches and how deep they run when they make these caches. That's what gets them points. It, it doesn't matter if they enter things in brick. Yes, they lose the money when they, they lose their own money doing it, but you want to pick someone who's playing a lot of events. And if somebody says they're going to play and doesn't play, that irritates people who, who pick them at fantasy. And then there's, uh, and it be, also sometimes they'll be consulted. Like someone will be asked before you pick them because there's a lot of money at stake. Again, you ask someone, hey, what's your schedule? What are you going to play? And if they list a ton of events they're playing, then you pick them based on that. And if they end up not doing it, then you can kind of be irritated. They're not required to, but you can see how that irritates people. This also does kind of suck if, if you're, you're kind of expected to play by people who are making you one of their fantasy picks and you really not get anything out of it. So it's, it, I can see that being annoying. And the strategy in this is to find kind of the underrated players or the ones who play a, a very active schedule that people don't necessarily think about. Uh, for a while, probably not anymore, but I remember one of the good value picks in previous years was Ryan LaPlante because he played everything he could. He just played like every single day at the World Series, and yet uh, he wasn't being picked that early. So you you could get him uh, relatively easily on your team back then. I, I, I bet people are wise to this now, but I remember he was one who was was a good pick at the time, a good value pick. So you're looking for ones like that. They had certain rules to the 25K fantasy, so we're, we're going to get into that now. This is what Kessler tweeted. The rules of the 25K fantasy draft say it includes all open events. There is there is a scoring system based on what position team members finish and the field size and the buy-in of each, each event. A 50K unlimited re-entry no-limit bracelet event was just added to the schedule, just meaning after the World Series start. This is like a an event they just threw in there that wasn't on the original schedule. The dispute involves whether or not this event should be included in the draft. One camp says that the rules specify that the draft includes all open events, and that since the added event is open to all fantasy team members, it should be included. The other argument is that the players were drafted based on the posted schedule, and that if the schedule included an additional 50K event that some teams may have drafted differently, differently, which is basically saying that if that event was on the schedule in the first place, you may have picked players who would be more likely to play that event, since it's a, a big buy-in event. And maybe you think this guy is good at, uh, a particular player is very good at these very high-stakes, no-limit events. And with this on the schedule, it makes someone more appealing who otherwise would not have been as appealing. They're saying that's not fair, that they're, this is being added here when people didn't know it was there. That's the people who are saying that it shouldn't be included. So that was the dispute. The rest of this tweet says, They agreed to have a three-person arbitration panel hear both sides and make a decision. We should have gotten Eric Benzamokin in on that. This is what he does. Uh, this added event, being included or not, will most likely affect which team ends up winning, and this can have to this can end up affecting hundreds of thousands of dollars being paid out. Should the points earned in this added 50k event count for each each team's score? So that's the question. It's a good question. Now, first of all, I want to say that those organizing this 25K Fantasy League 
did not do so very well. I cannot believe that something that is for this much money and has become as high profile as it has in recent years does not have some kind of clause in there about added events. You would you would totally think that they would have already covered this in some way. Even if it hadn't happened before, they, they really thought it was impossible that an event could be added? Well, has it ever happened? I don't remember that happening in recent years. But even if it hasn't, you'd think there would be something that they would they would think about that could possibly occur and say that uh, if an event gets added, then here's the rules. But But they just didn't cover it, which I think was a huge mistake. Uh, when the whole thing was set up, but is couldn't you say that it does include it if it says all open events? Right. Well, no, I understand both sides. I actually understand. I'll tell you in a second who I agree with, but I actually understand both sides. This is not one where I think one side is outrageous in their thinking. I I, I lean more one side to the uh, than the other, but I can understand both sides. Uh, by open events, for those of you that don't know, it means that events that anybody can enter. So the seniors event is not an open event. The ladies' event is not an open event. Even though you can technically enter it as a man for ten times the money, it's not the same thing, so that's not considered an open event. The casino employees' event is not an open event. An open event has to be one that if you have the money, that you can enter it at the standard buy-in. That's what an open event is. And there's no restrictions on who can enter otherwise. So this is an open event. It's an expensive event, but it's open. Uh, I think the one-drop was eliminated too. I think that was one that was an exception. But no matter, that doesn't have to do with this. How about the tag team event? If there's two people on a team, do they both get the same points? I'm not sure how that works. That's a good question, but I'm not not sure how that works. But the question is here, since they didn't have any rule in place regarding events added later, but yet people drafted their teams based upon a schedule that changed because they added an event... Should it count or should it not count? And there's there's a reasonable argument on both sides. One would say, as Trader Ruski mentioned, that if it says all open events count, that if this is open, it should count. The other says that this greatly could have affected people's drafts, and it's not fair that this is on there. And that can just unfairly and arbitrarily help certain teams. Well, my feeling on this, and I can ask you after this, Trader Ruski, is that it should count. Because this is just one of these things where if, if you don't have a rule against it and if it fits all the requirements, then you have to allow it and then next time address it. So if they say all open events, then all open events count. And the, realize the reverse can happen. You can have like this Adam guy or whoever it was that chose not to play an event they totally expected him to play. You can have people that get sick and can't play. You can have people who die and can't play. I know that's not likely, but it can happen. Uh, you can have someone get very deep in one event but and miss the next event that they were going to play and yet not earn that many points because maybe they get deep in something where they there's still a lot of people left and they, they don't get that many points for them and then they miss another event that you really expected them to play. There's a lot of ways people can miss an event you expect them to play. That you drafted them because you thought of such and such event is good for them to play, and then they don't end up playing. That can happen a lot of ways. It does happen a lot of ways. So this is the reverse of it. This is where there's an additional event that certain people may enter. And I think that there should have been something there to cover this. They should have really thought of every possibility that can happen at the World Series and cover 
what the rule would be in these search situations, but since they didn't with this case, I believe they should just count it. And whoever plays it, plays it. Whoever doesn't, doesn't. And that's that. And the truth is, yes, it will affect teams where if somebody wins this who is on a team, they'll get a lot of points they wouldn't have otherwise gotten. But I don't think, because their team has a lot of different people on it, some who play high rollers and some who don't. And if you if you have a team that with nobody that plays high rollers, you really uh, have drafted poorly. You're going to want people who play high rollers on the team. So it's I, I think every team is going to have people who enter this thing. So I, I think they all probably have a relatively equal shot at this. Now, there may be some, since it's unlimited re-entry, there may be some players who will just fire 50K, 50K, 50K over and over to uh, to try to win it. And if you have one of those guys, then that's best for you. But 50K is enough money. I don't know how many players would do that. That's a lot of money to keep firing over and over and over again. It's not like a 1K where someone will just fire unlimited times. So for 50K, it's pretty hard to repeatedly fire that. Unless you're like Dan Shack or someone super rich, but then they're not the best players. So the ones who are the best players are less likely to be able to fire the 50K over and over and over again. So I, I say that this is fine. This is It's not the best situation. It's, it's going to be problematic for someone. It's going to screw someone when it's all done, but not having it will also screw someone. There's no way to make this 100% fair for everybody. I just think the most fair solution is to allow it because it meets the qualification of other events and because on the flip side, people will miss events that you expected them to play. So why not allow additional events that also would fit the qualifications that weren't originally on the schedule? That, that's my opinion. What about you, Trader Risky? thousand percent it should count. Because I just think it's like, People, first of all, people are not signing up just because they tweet or post their schedule. Doesn't mean that they're definitely playing. And plus, there's sixty plus events, so there's no. It's not affecting your draft. No way. Yeah, and and now some people said that there were certain events that were disqualified, like the one drop. So therefore, maybe they would have disqualified for this event. But from what I can see, um. This is one that probably would have counted if it was scheduled previously. It's not like this is identical to some other event that was excluded and that technically it's open and they have to allow it. I, I'm pretty sure this would have been accepted. For sure. And if that's the criteria you're using for somebody to play events that big, then you know, you're counting that anyway when you pick somebody that's going to play in the 50K or whatever. That person's already on your team. Yeah, and I, I think the way it was worded, I don't have it in front of me, but what people are saying is that uh, the way it was worded is that this is for all events. Ex- it doesn't say all open events, I guess. I guess it says this is for all events except for these, and it's like listed listing ones that aren't open like and the one drop. Like I think that's the way it's worded. But But if you think about it, if you go back and think, would this have been included if it was announced prior to the World Series. And I believe, yes, it would have, and that that should end it right there. The, right there, if it would have been there, then it is. And, and that's that's just one of the things that can happen. There, there's a lot of luck in these things when you're doing a fantasy draft. And, and 
these things happen. And I, I do fantasy baseball, and there's things that sometimes come up. And usually the way you have to decide them is you have to go by what the rules in your league are. And then sometimes you change it the next year to, to fix it. But you have to go with whatever the rules state. And if there, there's no rule against what you're doing, then it has to be allowed. That's, that's generally how fantasy baseball works. And that's how fantasy poker should work, in my opinion. So, um, Which would be a good argument for them to make that look at what other fantasy leagues do. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of different opinions on Twitter about this. Most of them tend to say, most of the arguments I've seen on Twitter here are agreeing with us. Most of them are saying that it, it should count. There's some saying that it shouldn't, but most of them say it should. And then I also think that they just need to be really specific. Like they, they could have just said, the following events apply, nothing else does. This way, if they add something else, okay, it's very clear. If it's like only these events, you list them, that's it. And is the drafting, is that the big argument for the people that disagree with us, that people would have drafted differently? Yes, that people would have drafted differently uh, based upon this event's existence. But, but you could say, again, you could say, like, like take the guy who chose not to play, the, this, the 10K event that uh, people thought right. they would. They, they could say, well, we wouldn't have drafted him, but he chose not to play, so they're screwed. At least with that guy. So there's a lot of unknowns that can happen that don't have to do with poker play. And I think this one is one of them. This is just kind of an un- unknown thing. It's kind of like, like in fantasy baseball, uh, your star player that you drafted gets injured. Okay, it sucks. It's probably going to screw your year, your year up, but uh, that happens. That's part of fantasy competitions. And this is, this, is another, this is an unexpected thing that was not specified either way in a rule. And if there's nothing against it, in the official rules, it has to be allowed. That, that's what I think. I can understand the other side, but uh, because it doesn't say it's only the such and such events, and because it doesn't say anything about events added late, and especially because events like this have been allowed, that, and because it's very likely it would have been allowed if it was put in originally, then just allow it. And again, I think people would have probably had someone on their team anyway who was likely to play this. I think people probably attempted to put together a balanced fantasy team of, of players who play this type of uh, these high limit type of events. They probably probably people want some high rollers. People want some uh, very prolific players. Who may not play the high rollers, but play a ton of other stuff. People who play a lot of a lot of mix. You want you want to get kind of a, a, a cover everything. So I, I bet most of these teams have someone who's going to enter this anyway. Yeah, that's that's another good point. The criteria they would have used to pick that player already exists in other tournaments, right? So they wouldn't have. It's not like they added some tournament that's just so different than everything else. Right. Yeah. Now, someone said, uh, "Give each team a chance to pick a new player." The order of the new pick is based on the current rank of the teams in the fantasy league. If you're first, you get to choose the new edition first, and so on. 
there's a few yeah, problems. That should have been. Uh, well, there's a few problems with that, though. Someone can pick pick retroactively someone who already did well. <laughs> that's, that's the biggest problem. Well, but just for that tournament, though, they could have had it just for that. Oh, tournament. just for that tournament. Okay, but then there's some other problems. If, if if you let the first place team pick pick first, that's just allowing the rich to get richer. Well, I no, think. I think they'd have to let. I think they'd have to. Yeah, I, I think they had to. What did they decide? By the way, did we get to that yet? I don't even know what the. I, you know, I, I don't know what the what the ruling was. Let me see if I can find this. This this came up uh, on June twelfth, so it may not have been decided yet. Let me see the if there's any uh, resolution to this. That's something I didn't bother to research, and I probably should have. Uh, let's see here. Uh... I'm having trouble finding it. Yeah, I can't find it. Somebody in the chat room knows. Let me know if this was decided. But I don't know. I do not know. Well, that's... And it, it is 25kfantasy.com for those that want to sweat it that don't know you are up. Yeah. 25kfantasy.com. And, and no one no one pick Greg Mueller. <laughs> you know what? I... I don't know how much he used to play, like a lot, and he. I, I don't know in recent years if he's played as much. For some reason, I kind of had the feeling he hasn't played quite the schedule he used to. He made the final table with me at the five k limit hold'em six years ago, and I. Uh, I had thought that uh, he, at that point he was playing everything. In fact, when he busted the, when he busted in seventh at the final table, he went in late regs like a fifteen hundred event. That, that's that's some dedication. Like I couldn't do that. I couldn't get off a final table and go just start an event new. But he did. And the person with the second most points, by the way, um, Scott Clemens went for a buck. Yeah, the, the, I heard talk about the Scott Clemens thing right, when he won the bracelet. People were talking at, at my table about that, and they said that uh, – I don't know if he got picked, but I, someone was saying that they wanted to pick him or something that they, they thought he would be – Yeah, good, he got picked for a buck. Yeah, so yeah. It probably, maybe it was someone who had that team. They're talking. I think it was someone who picked him because they they said how they heard he was back and that he was good and he just hadn't uh, done anything in a while. And they just kind of felt like he was going to break out this year. So it's, that was a good pick. Uh, this I see the team right now is called Team Maths. And they have uh, Scott Clements, yeah, Mike, Michael Norrie, Joe McKeon, Elia Lezra, Marco Johnson, Scott Seaver, Brandon Jack Harris, and Bryce Yaki. And uh, what's interesting is the values here. The, like Michael Norrie went for twenty one dollars, was actually more, and Elia Lezra went for twenty six dollars, which I, I would have said was an overpayment, but then he won a bracelet, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And, and Scott Seaver for four dollars, I would think, is a good buy, unless he's not going to play as much this year. And uh, Bryce Yaki at sixteen dollars. I like that one, though he's not doing well so far. He's only got eight points. It's, it's funny, like my analysis without like unrelated to the results so far. I'm totally off on everything except the Scott Clements for a dollar. I would have agreed that was a great buy. But like Michael yeah, Norton, yeah. Like, sorry, the third most points went for two bucks. Like look at that team, Russia, one hundred twenty-four for two bucks and fifty-three points for a buck. Yeah, that's that is some good value. Ch- yeah, that's like, crazy. Right, yeah. Like, like Chance Cornuth for for two dollars, I think, is a tremendous buy. Independent of him doing well already, I just think that that, that would be a great buy. But I, I don't even know this Mikhail Semin, but he's doing well. And then uh, 
but then the the big players they spent a lot of money on, John Raisner and Benny Glazer aren't doing that hot yet. So that's why that team's not in first. Otherwise they'd be they'd be crushing at that team. They're they're currently in fourth place, but they they have two cheap players who are who are doing well and but then they they have these two expensive players who haven't done much yet. Uh let's see here. I see Matt Glantz as a team. Yeah, and they got Mike Watson for a buck two with thirty five points. That's not bad. Now, here's, here, David ODB Baker has a team. In fact, I think he's one of the organizers of this, but uh, he has himself at $83. <laughs> and he's got five points so far. Uh, he, he picked Ray Hansen for a dollar. That's a good buy. Ray Hansen's a good player, and he's overlooked by a lot of people. He's just someone who... He's, he's a lot better than people realize. He's just kind of someone you don't think about. So that's why they... How'd they get Justin Bonomo for a dollar? How did that work? I don't understand this. How, how do you get Justin Bonomo for a dollar? Maybe Sam. No, maybe he was going on vacation or something. It must have been something. I like can't that. imagine he wouldn't be playing a ton. Yeah. How, how do you get him for a dollar? I mean, he only has thirteen points. Maybe, maybe right, he because he plays basically every tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, and he, play, and he, like play, and he plays super. Up. He plays super big too, like super big. Uh, maybe he just has, has a light schedule. Um, they have Ari Engel for a dollar. It's a good buy, even though he's not doing that great so far. And uh, Shannon Shore for a dollar, who's also he's kind of like a Scott Clements, a guy who did very well in the two thousands, kind of fallen off, but he has one hundred twenty seven points. So uh, that's it. let's see what Matt Glantz has. He has Chris Klodnicki, Phil Hellmuth, Rep Porter. Rep Porter for four bucks is a great buy, and he's got thirty two points. So that was a great buy. Uh, Matt Glantz has himself for three dollars, and uh, Jesse he has Jesse Martin for thirty eight, who's only scored a point. Jesse Martin, you know, he's, he's a very good player. Um, I don't know if I'd take him at thirty eight though. I mean, I'd take him for he's worth a lot more than like the lower values. But I'm just thinking of like per, terms of points. I'm not sure if I'd have taken him at thirty eight. Uh, so far, it's not working out. Uh, Helmuth and Klodnicki are the ones who've made the most for Team Glantz, currently in 8th place. There's a lot of poker left to be played, so uh, a lot more to do. Uh, this Team Maths is way ahead. Them and Team Schaefer are doing the best right now. And this Team Alberto, they're, they're way in last with 67 points. And believe it or not, on Team Alberto, the team that ha- that actually has the... Uh, the guy on that team who has the most points is Alan Kessler. <laughs> Alan Kessler for twelve dollars is thirty-eight points. Everybody else uh, isn't going anywhere, including uh, Chris Ferguson for sixty-one bucks. He's only made seven points so far, and uh, Randy O'Hell for fifty-one bucks made one point. Ismail Bojang. Forty-one dollars, only eight points. So they, pretty much every player they have there is is not doing very well, points-wise, except for Alan Kessler, who's got thirty-eight. It's interesting. I, you know, I didn't have an issue. I didn't really have a desire to look at this until right now. The Granu's in eleventh place. His team's not doing well. And uh, wait, Negranu didn't buy himself. How's that possible? How did Negranu's team not buy himself? I guess he got outbid for himself. Isn't that weird? Like to have a to have a fantasy team that you're, you're playing in a fantasy league and and you're one of the main players people pick, and you get outbid for yourself. Someone actually thinks you're worth more than you think. Well, I mean, yeah, and I mean, even Matt Glance probably let himself go till deep rounds for twelve bucks or 
I think I think no, I think he was less. I think he was like three bucks or something. Oh, was it three bucks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I, th- I think they got a good buy with Nick Schulman at ten bucks on the Grounders team. It's just he's not made many points yet, and uh, that team's not doing very well yet. They spent a lot on on Brian Hastings, who hasn't done much. And same with uh, John Monetti and David Bakes Baker also have been failing. They got they got Brock Parker, Brock Parker for a dollar. He hasn't done much, but that's a good pick. Maybe one day I'll start winning tournaments again. I'll get on here for a dollar. In, in years past, I would have, but it's been too long. It's been too long since I've done much. All righty. Interesting thing to look at, though. There are twelve teams, I believe. All for uh, 25k each. Um, I, I wonder how many people are in each team as far as... I guess it depends how much they're willing to contribute to it. Like, if I did this, I would definitely want to be part of a team that puts the 25k together. But like, I, I'd have to know more about uh, everybody's schedules and what they're going to play. Like, things like Bonomo for a dollar, I would have no idea how that would happen unless like you know he's barely going to play. Okay, we have a call coming in. Caller, you're on the air. Caller, hello. Todd, how you doing? Who is this? This is Rob from Pittsburgh. Hello, so what's going on? I got a question. The, the thing with that fantasy draft, uh, one one thing that you kind of caught my attention with, you said Negreanu is not... On his own team, correct? Yeah. And they're playing for about 300K in this fantasy league? Yeah. Overall, yeah. Okay, my question to you is this. If we get down to the end, not we, but if they get down to the end, and Negreanu's team is in second place, and the team in first place is the team that has Negreanu, and Negreanu is in a tournament, and has a chance to possibly advance, but if he doesn't advance, his fantasy team moves up from second to first and grabs three hundred k. Well, yeah, he does, so he doesn't grab three hundred k. Well, it's, it's well, no, 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 but it's one hundred and fifty for first, one hundred for second, fifty for third. So I don't know that there'd ever really be that situation where like fifty k would make that big of a difference. Yeah, I was I was, was going to say I, I was going to say that Negreanu, he's someone who, if anything matters to him, it's the points and the player of the year. This is something that he likes to play, but it, it wouldn't be worth it to him for to, to throw a tournament to either lose out on a bracelet or lose lose out on player of the year points. That's what really matters to him at this point. Uh, the money doesn't matter as much to him, and winning the fantasy league doesn't matter. I, I can tell you that's secondary to him. So I, I wouldn't be worried about that, especially with him, because like player of the year is so big, such a big deal to him. Okay, I thought it was three hundred k winner take all. I didn't know that they because for three hundred thousand, that's a lot of money. He might decide to sleep in and not go play a tournament. You know, the last day or two, just you know, so he doesn't put himself in a position where he screws his team out of 300k. Yeah, that would look... you're saying it's only 150. Yeah, and it would look bad. It would look very bad, and also he's just very obsessed with winning bracelets and player of the year, and this is kind of secondary. He enjoys it, but this is not something he's going to throw tournaments for. I understand. I understand. Okay, well, I'm up here still. Been up here for about two weeks. Got another week to go. Getting my head caved in, but uh, No, that's not good. Have you you played events there? What are you going to do? What's that? Have you played any events? 
I played a lot of events. I haven't cashed in any though. I yeah. just, I just, I just went out in this deep stack tonight after listening to you for about t- two hours on that radio show. Yeah. Uh, set over set on a flop uh, with like forty five minutes to go at the end of day one. And uh, what are you going to do? No, it sucks. Got man. it in. Thought I was good. And... No, I'll tell you. If, if I if I didn't have the big fifty, I, ha- I if I if I didn't have the big fifty that I went deep in, I would be feeling like every tournament I play, I just get crushed. That's how I felt so far this year. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's there's no question about it. And when uh when things aren't going good, it's frustrating and you know, you take a step back, you look yourself in the mirror and you think, "Real wow. Should I should I even really be taking shots at these things?" Yeah. And as soon as you get out of bed the next morning, you can't wait to get over there to re-register for another tournament. Yeah, and and also it's it, like it, crack. It, 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 it but it does get in your head. You Blood from punishments. Yeah, but it does get in your head. I know you you get to think maybe maybe I don't belong here, maybe I suck now. Uh, maybe I have no chance, and, and then and then you you finally get one where you're doing well. And you go, oh wow, this is great. Oh, this is easy. Wow, I can't believe I doubted myself before. So so it's 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 go, it's all over the place. Your emotions on this, depending on how things fall, and it's it's easy to get down on yourself, especially because when you start losing, you start over analyzing the hands you lost. Could I have lost less? Could I have you know not been part of the hand in the first place? To, you know, did I play it like a fish? You, you really start analyzing it. Where if you play something badly and win, then you can easily just overlook it. In fact, I, I, I remember someone made a point about this. I remember someone was trying to say if you make bad decisions, get good results. A very wise person that that, that doesn't mean you made the right decision. Oh crap! It was Annie Duke. Never mind. Okay. So uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. Hey Todd, I'll be listening. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right, so let's let's move on here. Thank you to Rob from Pittsburgh for the call. And we'll move on to the Sam Soverell controversy, which happened a little while ago, but after we did the last show. So this is the first show I've done since the whole thing happened. And I'm going to play you a little clip. Unfortunately, it doesn't reveal... It's, it's, it's audio, You're going to hear audio, and this is a, a video thing, so... Not going to play it for too long, but this is a situation where a fold out of turn happened at a very bad time, where it really could have affected the action at a final table of if the 50k event. So this is a uh, a high roller event, the uh, 50k no limit hold'em, and here we go. Trederuski, can you hear? By the way. Can you hear the sound? Oh, sorry, I can. Yep, you can. Okay, good. That's, to get over the hump, and that's 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 how you do it. I've sold oh, stuff yeah. before to get into poker tournaments, so it wouldn't be the first time. This is four-handed, by the way, at the 50k high roller event at the World Series. I sold my soul. <laughs> oh, get a ride uh, over here. Hello, ace queen suited. This is very bad news for Dmitry Yurasov. As Ben Heath has more than enough to make this call. Now, just to set this up, Dmitry Yurasov is already all in with Ace 10 suited. Um, ben Heath has Ace Queen suited, but has not acted yet. He's in the big blind. And uh, then Sam Soverell has Jack Nine suited. He's the open he opened. Yurisov came over him with all in Ace Ten suited. 
And then Heath has to decide from the big blind what to do. So I guess Sufferall is somewhere somewhere not on the blind, not on the button. Yurisov's on the button. Heath is on the big blind. So Sufferall goes first. Raise. Yurisov all in. Back to Heath. Ace-Queen suited, who actually has the best hand of these three. Sufferall has Jack-9 suited. Uh, Yurisov has Ace-10 suited. Heath has Ace-Queen suited, all different suits. So Heath has not acted yet to decide what to do. He has to decide first what to do about Yurisov's all in, which... Is a lot to think about because if you if you may say oh ace queen suited that sounds great well ace queen is not a very good hand a lot of times all in pre flop a lot of times it is crushed by ace king a lot of times people who go all in pre and no limit tournaments have ace king in which case you don't want ace queen even suited you just don't want ace queen in that spot it's a terrible spot for ace queen so when you see someone go this is a big mistake a lot of novices make at no limit hold'em tournaments is that they overvalue ace-queen pre-flop and call all in. Now, if a short stack goes all in, you're thrilled to see ace-queen and you call it, but uh, if they're not a short stack and, and they're going all in, then you, you have to, especially someone going all in over an initial raiser, then you have to think, do I really want to get in with ace-queen? So here Heath has to think about two things. Number one, now it is four-handed, but he's got to decide, number one, do I think my ace-queen is good against uh, Yurisov's all-in? And number two, what about... Sam Sufferall, who open-raised and hasn't acted back yet, what if he's got ace-king or better? We don't know. He could have crap or he could have something very good. So there's two players you've got to possibly think about you're facing with this ace-queen. He has them both covered, but still he can you know get a fairly sizable dent in his stack. To show you also, the pay jumps were pretty important here since it's a big buy-in event. Fourth place was going to get 458k, Third place, 640K. Second place, 917K. And first, almost 1.5 million. So it's back to Ben Heath with Ace Queen suited. And what they have to do here, if they want extra time to act, they actually have a little button they throw out called extension, which gives them a time extension. And they, they get a certain number of these that they can use for the event, and then that's it. Then they have to, or I think per day they get get them. But when you've used up those extension buttons, then you can't get an extension anymore. So this is on a, a time clock. And he Heath decided he's going to use it now. And he has shown a willingness to get it all in there against both Sovereign and Yurasov's stacks with less than ace-queen suited. Albeit he was the opener in that situation and not calling a three-bet all-in. I think I have 49.25. This is going to get called, I'm pretty certain, and Yurisov's going to need some help. Time extension. So, okay, so right there. You can't hear it, but you can see it. Savarol looked at his cards, quickly tossed them in the muck as soon as the uh, extension button went out. And then immediately seemed to notice his mistake. Kind of like put his hand to his mouth like, oops. Why? Because he folded out of turn. Because Heath hadn't acted yet. Heath was like, he throws out the button saying, I need more time to think. And then Several throws his hand away, thinking that the button being thrown out is actually like calling chips. He actually thinks he's calling and he's just throwing away his, his jack nine. And then he, he has an emotion on, like, on his face. He puts his like, hand to his mouth, going, like, like, 
what I just do. So let's listen to the reaction here. Being used there. That was the carry cat. Awesome. He <laughs> put his hands on his head. Did now, he not throw something forward? He threw the, the. It's understandable, but yeah, I mean, it was the time. Yeah, but this is kind of an outrageous spot to do it. I mean, so he's conceding here that his mistake was. It's an outrageous spot to do it because that really affects now whether Heath makes the call. Because now Heath doesn't have to worry, well, what if Sufferall's got something huge? Now Heath only has to worry about what does Urasov have? Because Sufferall's folded out of turn. What happened? Ben Heath was actually exercising a time extension. Sam Sufferall saw him throw it in there, thought that Heath was folding his hand, and folded in turn. And and I just thought it was on me. As a result... Yurasov appears very agitated. The, the, the Russian you're hearing is Yurasov jumping up and, and, and muttering in Russian and, and complaining to his rail about what just happened here. Because it makes it a little bit easier for Ben Heath to make the call, does it not, Scott, knowing what's going on with Sovereign? Of course it does, yeah. And, uh, man, a very, very delicate situation. I mean... And one that could potentially land Sovereign a penalty here, could it not? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess so. It's, it's so tough because we have video footage, you know I mean? We saw Ben throw something in, and you, we, you've commented on Sam sometimes, you know, it looks like he's not completely focused on what's happening, and he just... It was an innocent mistake, made a mistake. Say. There was no angle know? there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no ill will, so... He's not trying to open the door for Heath to make a big call. Well, I, hold on. Maybe he is, though, and we're going to get to that. There's some suspicion that's been raised by some players that maybe he was, and maybe this was an intentional mistake that was made to look like an unintentional mistake. I know it's in this. So he ended up calling. Ben Heath ended up calling. This is where Poker's uh, an ace. And the board ran out. I won't bother to play the rest of it. The board ran out, and uh, the ace queen won, as you might expect. In fact, it made it back to our flush. It made the nuts, but it, whatever. It was it was the big favorite anyway in the hand. So Yurisov was out in fourth, and Sufferall moved up. At worst, to finish third, which is where he finished, which means he finished with an additional uh, almost $200,000 for finishing third instead of fourth. Well, some people were saying that they believe this was a mistake. That it seemed to make sense that when he threw out the extension button or whatever that thing is, that the motion of it hitting the, the felt that that confused several quickly into thinking he was either folding his hand or throwing at a chip to call. But either way, you know, which, whichever one he thought it was, at that point he had acted, and at that point it would have been fine to fold. That the only thing that him throwing out would have not been okay to fold was the extension chip, which was thrown out there. So the question is, was, was several aware of what was really thrown out there, or did he really think that Heath was finished acting? At first glance, it does appear that Sovereign really just made the mistake and felt very bad about it, and looked very embarrassed. However, Isaac Haxton did not agree. Isaac Haxton decided to speak out about this on Twitter. He wrote, If this is reported accurately, anything less than disqualification and fourth place money for Sam is insufficient. 
you absolutely can't let people get away with this shit at the final table of a 50k. Um, he went on to say, you can watch the clip at one quarter speed on YouTube. Watch the succession of places that Sam's eyes go before he mucks. Watch the time bank card get collected by the dealer and moved across the field and watch Sam's body language in the two seconds after he releases his cards. Interesting. So he's claiming this is all an act. Uh, that's a very good question, and I've watched it myself. I haven't done it at the 0.25 speed. Maybe I should do that. He said, and, and then uh, Matt Savage chimed in and said, uh, the way you're so insistent seems like this kind of thing has happened before. No way someone gets disqualified for this mistake, but it does seem like a careless and maybe convenient error. How can you disqualify the high roller player of the year? Haxton then said, I've never seen anything this egregious before. But yeah, he certainly has a reputation for getting lost on his way to a new table if he's about to be the big blind, which is, is known to some people as creative walking. That is where you're, you're moved to another table and you see from a distance you're going to be the big blind and then you, uh, you, you, you walk the wrong direction on purpose or, or you, uh, you, do, you, you create some kind of stall in getting there. And then when you get there, the big blind is just passed and now you get to come in uh, for free behind the button which is an advantage, especially if you're short. So there's accusations that he has a reputation for doing that. And he says, uh, he also mucks losers in mandatory showdown all-in spots and demands new setups as a stalling tactic. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about there, he said that mucking losers in mandatory showdown all-in spots, there's a rule at the World Series of Poker that if someone's all-in, that the winning hand and the all-in hand have to be shown. So if you're all-in and you lose, you can't just muck your hand. And they're saying that uh, he's known if he's all-in and his hand hasn't been shown yet and he sees he's losing or drawing dead, that, that he'll just quickly throw it away, even though he knows he's not supposed to, just to avoid giving away information. As far as demanding new setups, he's, they're referring to a setup means a, a new a new deck of cards, and it takes some time where they uh, they had to bring they bring out the new deck of cards. They they have to shuffle the whole thing a few times. They have to get it ready, so that takes some time. It stalls the game, and uh, in a cash game, it, it just stalls, but and wastes everyone's time. In a tournament, that that can be a stalling tactic to slow down your table, so this way other people can bust ahead of you. So they're saying he has Ike Haxton is saying that several has a reputation of doing all three of those things which are all forms of angle shots. So he said, yes, I just watched it, and I'm 99% certain it was intentional. It is a respectable acting performance, but he notices his mistake too quickly, and all of his movements from the moment the time bank card hits the felt are unnatural and overacted. Well, I went back and watched it. Again, after reading Ike Haxton's comments. Now, before I continue, I want to say a word about Ike Haxton here. I don't like him. I think he's a hypocrite. I think he's someone who always postures that he's so moral and good, and then in reality, he's not. For example, when uh, Brian Hastings was multi-accounting on PokerStars, Ike Haxton, who actually worked for PokerStars at the time, knew about it and chose to say nothing. In fact, he not only knew, but he actually played in the same games as Ike Haxton, or as Hastings 
knowing there was Hastings there instead of a, a known fish. What had happened is Hastings took over the account of a known fish and, of course, really tricked people into not only playing him, but playing him uh, believing he was a fish. Big edge there to do that. And Haxton was aware that was really Hastings. But you know who else was supposedly aware was Doug Polk. So he didn't take nearly the same amount of heat as Haxton for this. But anyway, Haxton did that. So Haxton, he doesn't have a clean record himself, but he likes to pretend he does. And he likes to, Haxton really likes to virtue signal. He likes to try to act outraged about something and act like uh, he's the one who would never do such and such thing. But yet, you know, he played in that uh, high-stakes Poker Stars game with Hastings multi-accounting under a fish's account and said nothing. Hastings also attacked me and Brian Mikon for basically no reason on 2 Plus 2 a number of years ago. And I'm not bitter about that. It's just, I just never liked the guy. I just always found the guy was kind of a hypocrite, kind of arrogant. Just it always seems like he's talking down to people. I just never liked him. But anyway, in this case, I think he may have a point. So we go back to this. Go back to the video I played. And you won't be able to see it over the radio, of course. You'll have to go watch for yourself. But I, I'm going to sc- scroll it back a bit when this first happened. Ben Heath was actually exercising a time extension. Oh, let me go back a little further back. Where's it happening? <laughs> first happens. Need some help. So he, he here he is. So I'm going to slow it down, actually. Just like... Uh, Let's see. Speed. We're going to change it to 0.25, like Haxton suggested. I haven't done that yet. We're going to do it all together. I'm going to watch. I kind of agree about the overacting, because he does notice it very fast after making the mistake. He just fold it and then kind of like sit back and then then go, oh, wait a minute. What are, like, I was thinking if this happened to me, I would have... If I folded by mistake this way, I would have folded. I would have just sat there thinking I folded, and then everyone would be staring at me. I'd be going, what? And I'd go, oh, no. Like, a, like I would have had to be told what happened, or I would have had to, like, analyze it. What It seemed like the second he folded, he knew he did something wrong, which is a little bit weird. I'm going to play this in slow motion. Sounds weird. <laughs> I'm going to turn that sound so we don't hear that. Okay, so, so I see him. He's He grabbed his cards. He's looking. Throws it away right away. Let's see how long it takes. It hits the felt. Yeah, and then he looks right at Heath and immediately has like a... His eyes go wide like he's shocked. He It does look a little bit like overacting. Like he's... Like someone told him, act like you're really shocked now. It's like you're in acting class and say... Well, but didn't at that point drop the dealer say time or something and that's when he knows, that's when he well, we'll go back I and- agree he was seemed to be overacting so I'm watching it with you for some reason I can hear all your clicking the keyboards I can't hear the video so I just pulled it up on my computer I don't know Here, I think that's I think that's much different than taking a long way to your table when you're forehanded for a bracelet oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean yeah I know it's uh, I know it's a lot more severe but going back here, let's let's hear it again. I I, I just restarted the. Let me restart one more time your sound so we can uh, maybe we can hear it this time. Okay, so let's do this here. Oh crap! Turn the turn the sound down. Let's start again here. 
be certain, and Urasov's going to need some help. So he's kind of looking down. Time extension being used there. The time extension being used there is by the announcers. He can't hear that. When you hear time extension being used there, that's actually by the the dealer's not saying anything. It's the announcer. Oh, I thought the dealer said it. No, that's yeah, my bad. No, that, so, so he looked at, at Heath, and they're like, oh, then that's when he opens his mouth. But it, it it really is kind of like he knew it, but then feels like, well, okay, now I've got to do something to make it look like I discovered it. So he looks at Heath, and they go, oh, and it really does kind of look like overacting. That was the Carrie Cat. Awesome. Did, I, <laughs> I guess Carrie Katz did it at one point, so that's a Carrie Katz, but... <laughs> did now, he not throw something forward? He threw the... the I, it's understandable, but, yeah, I mean, it was the time... Yeah, but this is kind of an outrageous spot to do it. Well, here's what happened. Huh. There is some overacting there. I mean, that's he's got a point. Let me look, He's saying look at his eyes before that. Let me see this here. To get called, um... Certain and yeah, it just kind of looks to me like he's looking at his, his, his chip stack. Time extension. You know what? Something else I'm noticing. I'll tell you one other thing I'm noticing. When he folded, he had his head down on purpose. That that's one of the bigger indictments here. When he folded, not to say you can't have your head down as you fold, but I think about when I fold at the World Series. In a spot like this, where it's like I raise, someone goes all in, and I've got a hand like Jack Nine, I definitely don't want to run it out. Sometimes I'll do a fake thinking, so I'm not giving away my hand was weak. But uh, when it is time to fold, I'll pick it up, and I won't like, bury my head down. I'll, I'll look at the table and throw as I throw it. Here it really looks like he's going out of his way to like keep his head bowed down to really make it look like he's not looking at anything. Which you'd think he would, if this is an act, he would have to do to make sure he's not looking at the time chip. That is kind of suspicious that he's folding by keeping his head down. But he did have a very mediocre hand. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure he's folding the Jack Nine there. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the. Right. Uh, so the minute he sees the guy act, this is which he thinks is acting. I'm just saying that when he's folding, let's let's say he thought, let's say this is legit, and he really thought the guy acted in some way. When he folds, I don't see what the reason is to keep your head down like you're not looking at at anything. That's unnatural to me. Usually, when people fold, they don't try to avoid looking at you. They usually fold and look straight ahead. Here, he had his head facing straight, like down, like he's trying not to look at anything as he's folding, which is kind of weird. So, I don't know. At first I was thinking, yeah, this is a mistake, but between the overacting and the, and the head staying down, like he's forcing himself not to be looking in that direction, I am starting to wonder if he did this because he wanted to influence the action. If he, if he, wanted, uh, if he, he wanted them to run it out so he could move up in the money. I don't know. I just think he had the same amount of chips as Yaroslav does. And I just think since Heath had double both of them, I just don't think he's ditching it. Oh, no. Okay, so you're right about that. I I think, and they were saying before the call was even made, before this happened, that Heath had been calling both of them down pretty light. 
so that uh, it was unlikely he was going to lay down the ace-queen there anyway. And I think Heath even said when the tournament was over that he was going to call it anyway. So it probably didn't matter as far as the results. But the, but the question is, did Several do this on purpose? And also, regardless of whether he did it on purpose, we, nobody can say for sure. Only he knows this. But what should happen? He did, he did make a mistake. He did do something that he shouldn't have done and that it, it could have affected whether it was called or not. So should he have gotten a penalty? And should he have gotten disqualified, at, at the very least, like, kicked out of the tournament at that point and forced to finish in fourth place? So, um, I don't believe... Yeah, he, he ended up with no penalty. And... Uh, Paxton said that he thought that he should have been forced into fourth place and disqualified, or at the very least. Uh, I think that's over. That's an overreaction. I think he should have gotten a round penalty. Isn't that standard draft if you muck out a turn? Yeah, at the very least, he should get a round penalty. Right. It shouldn't be no penalty. There should definitely be some kind of penalty here, even if it was an accident. Uh, but it, it, it should have... It really should have been some kind of penalty, in my opinion. But I, I think if I was forced to guess here, I would think he's aware of it, just because there was some overacting and because of the weird thing with keeping his head down. I just think about how I fold and how most other people fold in this type of spot. They don't try to avoid looking at people. You may try to avoid looking at people if you're all in or something. You don't want to give things away. But when you're folding, you're just like, okay, I'm out, and you throw it, and you keep your head straight up because you have no reason to hide anything. And here he didn't, and that was kind of weird. Not much more to say there, but that's uh, that's just my opinion on that situation. I do think that a disqualification there, because it can't be proven that he did it on purpose, would be too much, especially given the magnitude of this event and how much money is at stake to force someone into fourth place there. You have to be pretty sure that... I mean, they, that is not that egregious. Of, I mean, it's not that egregious. It's, it's not clear enough to... to yeah, it's not clear enough for a disqualification or, or a, a, a forced, a forced uh, next out... But uh, I, I think some of this is Haxton virtue signaling like he likes to do. But some of this, he's got some points about the overacting. And I, if I had to guess, I would think he, he was aware. But there, I also will concede there's a chance, a decent chance he wasn't and it was a dumb mistake. It's also possible the overacting was he didn't really feel that bad once it happened, but he had to pretend he did. It could be that too. Like, like he legitimately screwed up, and he, then he thought to himself, "Oh, yeah, I've got to pretend like this is terrible because I, uh, I don't want to be criticized. So now I'm going to act like I feel so bad when I really don't." That may be what the overacting was. Um, you know, say say that uh, you're out somewhere and you accidentally elbow somebody in the face that you kind of dislike anyway. <laughs> so you're not trying to elbow him in the face, but you just you accidentally did it. But in, in reality, you're like, oh, you know what? This guy kind of deserves it. <laughs> so, but but you don't want to make it look like you elbowed him up. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that to you. So you, you act all like you feel terrible. In reality, you don't. It may be like that. Well, we had another one, another less controversial one, but still an interesting discussion topic involving Maria Ho in a a less high profile spot. This was at the uh, 
the one K double stack event, the very last event I played, where I went out with a double gutter and flush draw, and didn't catch up. Uh, but this is what happened. Maria had 130k, which was, I think, decent at that point. You started with 40k, but this is towards the end of the day. She had 130. I think she's probably run average, and she had the other. Per- the other person had her covered, so she raised pre-flop. Uh, the blinds were 6k, 12k, and there was also a 12k big blind ante. So there was already uh, 30k in the pot. She may have been, I don't know if she, she may have been below average. It couldn't have been that far. But this is the final level of the day, and there's there's already uh, 30k in the pot, and she has uh, 130k total. So she made kind of a weird preflop raised to 105k. Which is weird because there's there's no hand you could have there where you'd fold for your final 25k. If you only had 25k behind, that's pretty much 130k all in. I mean, I guess a mega fish could fold and not understand that, but uh, Maria Ho, definitely, if she's putting in 105k of her 130k in chips, unless it's a bluff on the river, where, like, if she's pushed all in and has nothing, that she's folding. But pre-flop, 105 out of her 130k in means she's all in. For sure. I don't know why she started out raising 105, but that's what she did. And it's even possible she just forgot to say all in and just grabbed a you know a big stack of chips, which is 105k, and then put that out and say instead of saying all in, just let kind of let it sit there, figuring she was getting the 25k in anyway. Well, what happened was that the player in the small blind said, well, how much is that? And the dealer counted it out and said 105. So he said, okay, I call. And he turned over his hand. He didn't even see the other 25 back there. He thought this was all in. Well, Maria apparently thought she was all in too. So she turned over her hand. So now both hands are face up. Queens against ace-jack. She's got the ace-jack. The small blind has queens. But she's still got 25k behind. Which this guy has covered. So, then they uh, ran out the board without even... It's not like at that point they realized it and went in. They, they, the flop was jack to 10 But they didn't realize that she had the 25K back. So, the dealer just dealt out the board. So, it wasn't even like they checked it down or something. Here, it was assumed it was an all-in when it wasn't. So, the board ran out jack to 10 So, the queens were still in good shape. But then an ace on the turn put Maria way ahead, and a six on the river, she won the hand. So the question was, did she get 105K, or did she get 130K? So she argued she should get 130K, because both cards were turned over, it was clear it was an all-in, and that for whatever reason, the, the opponent thought she was all-in, and that this should be implied that this, we're just running it all-in. Because there was no further betting. They just ran the whole board out without giving them a chance to bet. The guy just said call and turned over his hand. 
However, there was a counter-argument that she never set all in and never attempt to bet that final 25k, and that had it gone the other way, had the ace not fallen on the turn, and she lost, she could have just said, look, this is all I'm betting. I didn't put the other 25k out there. So I, I should still have 25k behind. That she only asked for this after the hand was over, and she won it. It's not even like on the flop it was dealt, and she's like, okay, now I'm all in for the final 25. She never said anything, the whole board ran out, and then she's like, hey, you know what, I'm actually doing the whole 130. So the floor was called over, and the floor ruled that she does get the other 25000 because the opponent accepted her action by calling and tabling his cards. But the second the guy just says call and turn over his cards implied that uh, he's putting her all in. And the dealer didn't put the big red or whatever color it is all in thing in front of her? Uh, no. Nothing was put out there. It was just the bet was 105. He said, how much is it? The dealer says 105. He puts out, he says, I call and throws the hand out. And then she turned over her hand. It's not even like she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, this is, she didn't say anything about, whoa, 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 I'm not all in. She just turned over hers too. Almost like she kind of thought she was all in. So, uh, it, right. But she did that after the, after the, after the river, right? I mean, she didn't say it on the turn or something. No, she else, said nothing right? until it all got dealt out. So, so first of all, knowing Maria, she doesn't have a reputation, unlike the several guy, according to Ike Haxton. Maria does not have a reputation of angle shooting. So people think this is probably an oversight, and that she just... Uh, and she plays very high limit events now. It's, it, it seems strange that on, on the first day of a 1K event that she'd be angling like this. And she has a reputation to protect, too. You know, She's, a, she's in a lot of uh, poker media these days. She's, a, she's really trying to have a, a, a very good standing in poker, and the last thing she'd want is a scandal over something like this. So I, I don't, I'm, I'd be very shocked if she was doing this on purpose. I think I, I don't know why she made that weird raise in the first place, but uh, I think the whole action with the guy saying how much did I call, I think she forgot she didn't put in the other 25K, and he didn't see it, and that's why it ran out this weird way. The question is, what do you do at this point? Now, you may think there's something in the WSOP rulebook that would cover this, but there actually is not. There are some rules which may cover this, but don't specifically cover it. So rule 104 says, poker is a game of alert, continuous observation. It is the caller's responsibility to determine the correct amount of an opponent's bet before calling, regardless of what is stated by the dealer or participants. If a caller requests a count but receives an incorrect information from the dealer or participants, then places that amount in the pot, the caller is assumed to accept the full and correct action and is subject to the correct wager on the all-in amount. Now, that would seem to support the decision here, but he did call for the correct amount. He asked, how much is it? The dealer said 105. He said, I call. However, there's also rule 105 that says, all in with chips found behind later. If a bet's all in and a hidden chip is found behind a participant has called, the event tournament director will determine if the chip behind is part of the accepted action or not. If not part of the action... uh, uh, it, it, I think A, it's referring, I don't know why, oh, it, if, if A bets all in and a hidden chip is found, they're saying A is like to the person, person A, they bet all in has a hidden chip behind, kind of like with her. Uh, if, if not part of the action, A will not be paid off for the chips if he wins. If A is loses, he will not be, he is not saved by the chips, and the event tournament director may award the chips to the winning caller. So this is actually kind of a, one that, is meant to hurt the person who makes the mistake, where it's it, an attempt to angle shoot will fail, where it's saying that if you win, 
in a situation like this, you don't get the extra chips. If you lose, then you're gone anyway. This prevents people from angle shooting like that by hiding chips back. So this one would seem to be ruling against Maria. But then there's also rule 70, face up for all ins. All cards will be turned over face up once a participant is all in and all betting action for the hand is complete. If a participant accidentally folds or mucks their hand before cards are turned up, the tournament staff reserves the right to retrieve the folded, mucks card, folded or mucked cards if the cards are clearly identifiable. So, Rule 104 seemed to be what they ruled on here. But Rule 105, you would think would rule against her. However, she never said all in. So that's probably what they said. This is Rule 105 doesn't apply because she never said all in. Even if common sense would say she would have called it all in, she never said all in. So I think the way the guy ruled this was that the guy thought it seemed to think he was calling it all in. He called for a similar amount. Not quite the same, 105 versus 130, but, but called for a similar amount, all in. Turned over his hand. And then both players tabled their hand out. At which point... Uh, it, it was pretty clear that both meant to be all in here. And that's that's how it was ruled. Kind of a combination of Rule 104 and, one, and, and number 70. And Rule 105 was determined not to apply since there was never a statement of all in. So it was assumed that she's not angle shooting because she didn't actually say all in. If I had to rule on it, I actually would have said she just gets 105. But at the same time, if she... If, if it ran out and and she didn't, uh, I actually would have let her keep the final twenty five if she lost because she never said all in, and I would have said it's a mistake. And I think you have to draft because if you're like like you said, if she lost the hand, then I don't think they're taking her extra twenty five k. Right. You know. So this so this this is what uh, I think it, it it was ruled incorrectly because it's it, it's the rule went in her favor for winning but probably wouldn't have gone against her for losing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my problem here is that I don't think it was intentional, but I think both people missed the 25k. I don't think it was an angle. There wasn't evidence it was an angle. So it appears to be that both just missed the 25k and and she never said all in and she forgot to say it and the other player forgot to make her say it and they just ran out, so it was a mistake on both ends, so the 25k just isn't part of it. And if she wins, she wins, you lose, she loses, the 25k is just not part of it. It's like a 105k bet where they just check the rest down. That, that's that's uh, the way I would rule it as. And that that would be that. And was she the one, like, asking for it, asking them to come over? Yes, or? yes. She she said I should get the other 25k. So she did She did that's make surprising. that demand. Yeah, that is a little surprising. But uh, she she decided she wanted to get the twenty five k. I think like I think she really believed she was all in there. But but you know going back, she didn't say it was all in. She never put the chips back out. So I I don't think she deserved. I think she may have gotten this somewhat because she's a name player and they get favoritism. I think that may have happened. So I don't think she was angle shooting, but I think she got an advantage out of that she didn't deserve. Uh, that, that's I, I just think it was like an unfortunate thing where she decided to take advantage of it because it fell her way. I I don't think if she lost it she would have been saying, "Well, I'm out now." Okay, I guess I guess I got to give you my final twenty five k. I'm sure she would have argued the other way. I wish we I wish we could see like an alternate reality where that ace doesn't fall and she loses, and then see what she would have said, and then put the two together. That would be kind of funny. Here's here's a. Uh, 
comment about the Haxton thing in the chat room from Saw24. He said, uh, Haxton is always a fucking crybaby bitch. He's 100% wrong and out of line. Penalty of disqualification is ridiculous. So he doesn't like Haxton either. And then he says regarding this, big surprise, it's in favor of a named player. She was she 100% would have argued the other way, so it was an angle. I don't think it was an intentional angle. I think it was kind of an after I don't the, think so. I think it was the after the fact angle. I'm surprised she called him over, though. She fucked up. I, I think you, she should have ate it. Yeah, I, I think it was an after the fact angle. I think it was Nachi went in doing this going, ha, 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 I'm going to save 25K in case I lose the hand. I think it was screw up on both ends and then at the end, well, let's see, well, this I need it, I need it to be ruled to benefit me now. So let me argue this way because I won and I would have argued the other way if I lost. So that's, uh, I, I think that, that that's... Uh, yeah, and as far as Saw24's comments, I mean, I agree. I mean, to disqualify someone doesn't have to be something like major. Yeah. What are they disqualifying people for? Yeah, it's, it is... In fact, I've I mean, seen, nothing that has... Right, I've seen it before where players are are really, really, really abusive to everybody, to the floor, to the other players, to the dealers, just over and over and over again. It takes like four or five times before they finally get disqualified. Like I, I've seen it where like way too much stuff happens before disqualification occurs, and I, I feel sometimes they're too slow with disqualifications. This one would it would have been too much because you just can't see the guy's intent it, because it's possible, and and, and in fact not totally far-fetched at all, that it was an accident, you can't disqualify him for that, even if it was in a bad spot. Yeah, and while, while it certainly seemed like, you know, maybe he was acting, you know, overreacting, I don't know. It's just, that's intense when you're down to four. So, you know, I mean, I think he could, I don't know. And yeah. he's probably trying to save face because he knows he looks like an idiot. Yeah. I, I think that, even if the guy is kind of known as an angle shooter, I, I, I think there was overacting. I think it's possible. Is it? I, I, I would even go, because of this weird thing with putting his head down as he folds, if, if forced to pick a side on, on whether he did it on purpose, I'd say he did, but there's just not enough proof. There's just, you, you, you can't know what's in his head. And that's, you, the only way you could disqualify him is if you, had, if you could see into his head that he was actually thinking, I'm going to pull an angle here. But since we can't... Yeah, but, but I think he's also thinking, like, am I going to, you know, am I calling an all-in for basically all my chips... Well, no, he knew that he wasn't. No, he knew he wasn't. He knew he knew he's folding. The question is, did, did he really think that chip that hit the the felt was like a fold or a calling chip, or did he really like, or did he know it was a time extension and th- use this as an excuse to do this? And that's the question. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is. I mean, I guess if you think about it, because he was kind of even with chips with the guy that went all in, he definitely. I mean, I guess he definitely wants the the guy that was right to call. Yeah, especially because so it's a, such a big a, difference in money. It's it's a two hundred k, almost a two hundred k swing there to just to let the other guy bust. Right, and he has a chance that either the guy's going to get knocked out or he's going to have another player even with him. Yeah. So I don't know, but still DQs. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't give him a round penalty. Yeah, at least give him a freaking penalty. They gave me a freaking penalty in the World Series uh, main event on day six because I accidentally uh, turned over my cards thinking the hand was over because I couldn't see somebody called because of all these stupid ads on the felt and sometimes you can't see the. the the chips that well on the felt, so I'm thinking it's folded. I, I think it's raised, fold, 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 fold to my big blind. I turn over eight five offsuit to just you know show them I'm folding a trash hand, and it turned out someone had cold called, and I just exposed cards. It was the only time I had done that the entire event, 
I had no other warnings throughout the entire series. I never get warnings in general. Like, I, I don't think I've ever gotten a warning at the World Series. And they give me a, a full round penalty when I was short stacked. On day six of the main event, I was pissed. I was going, come on, you got to be kidding me. Everybody agreed it was, it was uh, accidental, too. Not one person thought I was angle shooting. Except Tristan Wade, who told them it should be a penalty. He's all, I, I agree you didn't do it on purpose, but it should be a penalty. I was so pissed at him for this. Like being a stickler for rules, probably just to, you know, just to eat up my stack a little bit. Pissed me off. He apologized later, but that doesn't take away what he did. But anyway, that's like they'll give me a penalty for that, and they won't give him a penalty for this. It's stupid. He should have definitely gotten a round of penalty, or at least a two, at least one round, maybe two rounds, but not uh, not disqualification. All right, moving back, moving along here. There was a collapse at the World Series of Poker, and you may say, "Big deal." That happens all the time. People collapse in in their with their chip stacks. But it wasn't a chip stack collapse. And you may say, well, okay, well, I guess uh, some player was too tired or had some other health problems and uh, he collapsed. That's not what happened either. No, the collapse I'm talking about at the World Series of Poker was actually a poker table collapsing. Yeah. This was table number 57 in the Brasilia room that just out of nowhere collapsed during play. It just went down. I don't think anything happened to make it occur. It probably just wasn't very stable in the first place, and it went down. Well, what happens when a table collapses? Let's think about this. People's legs are under the table, so what happened is the table fell onto everybody's lap. <laughs> so think if you're you're playing at the World Series of Poker, and you, you hear like this loud noise, and all of a sudden... The uh, the table is on your lap. Crazy. That's what happened. Well, as you might imagine, the chips kind of got jostled there and fell down. I don't think they fell off the table, but they got jostled all over the place, and people were trying to figure out whose chips were whose. There's some pictures on social media about it. You can find the pictures on uh, Poker Fraudler if you go to the World Series of Poker, the 2019 World Series of Poker Forum on Poker Fraudler, you can see the pictures of it. And you can see a picture of it on the ground as the dealer is sitting next to it still. And uh, you can see people arguing over their chip stacks and what stack they really had before this happened. Which I can see is infuriating. You know, you have such and such a number of chips, and people go, "No, no, no, those chips are mine." You go, "No, no, no, I know, I, you know, I know, I had uh, you know, 85k here. No, you didn't. Uh, you know, I had 115k, and right now I only have 105. So that 10k must be mine here." Like I can imagine the arguments that happened. So this is very unpleasant. How this happened, I don't know. What did they do after this? Well, they just they treated it as a broken table. Which it was. It was a literal broken table. And they moved them elsewhere in the tournament. In its place was empty floor. There's just an empty floor at former table 57 in the Brasilia room. Between uh, 56 and 58, there's just an empty space there, which you can see there too. I don't know if it's been replaced since then. It's not clear why it fell. I don't know if the legs were faulty. I don't know if it just wasn't set up well. 
but the table actually fell. Weird things. I was not present for this. It happened, uh, I think it happened the day after I left Vegas. I left on the 10th. I believe this happened on the 11th. But I was once present for water dripping from the ceiling and soaking a World Series of Poker table to where the table had to be shut down for that reason and moved. This is at the main event when a very severe thunderstorm blew in and punched a hole through the Rio roof. In fact, I posted a picture of it at the time that was taken. Somebody took a picture from a Southwest Airlines plane landing. And it looked like the movie Independence Day. It looked like something was uh, like an alien ship was over the Rio and was uh, firing uh, some kind of beam to destroy it. Except it was a cloud. It was a dark cloud with a looked like a beam shooting down to destroy the Rio. It's a very very strong and uh, sudden thunderstorm that pounded the Rio, punched a hole through the roof. I think also in the Brasilia room. And they actually had to shut down a a table because water went all over. And I saw that. I wasn't that far from it. Water didn't get on me or my table, but I saw it. And I saw them uh, send us to an early dinner break so they could stop play and and, and get a hold of this whole thing. I I tweeted about this, and it actually made deadspin.com, which is a pretty big site. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, my name is Tyrone Chan from Vegas. Yes. I do I do have a, a question about uh the the rake in the po- uh in the poker uh the role series of poker. You're talking about cash games? No, I'm talking about the WSOP cash game on the tournament on the I know the the main event is seven uh, percent. Yeah, uh, and then uh, other event is is almost ten percent, right? The the rake goes up for if the as the events get smaller. So, for example, yes. the the year they had the the Colossus and it was five sixty five. This year the Colossus is less because the the big fifty was pretty much replacing it. But uh, the year that the, the when the Colossus was five sixty five entry, sixty five of that went into the rake. So thirteen percent came out of the pool. So only five hundred of the five sixty five made it into the prize pool for the Colossus. So- so that was 13% because that was a cheap event. But the, the 10K events, I actually think they're 6, 6%. Maybe they're 7 now. Last I looked, it was 6%. But as they go up, the percentage goes down because they're they're getting more per player anyway, so they don't need as high of a percentage. Here's my question to you. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I think that you, you're probably an expert poker player. Uh, I mean... Uh, uh, you, you probably a very good poker player. Well, I hope so. What, what percentage do you have advantage? Well, I don't over- know. So, I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. It, it depends on the event, to be honest. And uh, and that's why when I sell pieces of myself for the markup, I, I tell people, I'm not saying this is my advantage over the field. I'm just saying this is what I'm charging here. And if you want to buy it, buy it. And if you, you know, for the entertainment, if you don't, you don't. But, uh, um, there, there's certain advantage, there's certain events where I have a bigger advantage than others. For example, the Big 50 was one that I had uh, one of the bigger advantages because there were a lot of recreational players in it, and I do very well against those. But there's no rate. 
there's no rake. I know, but but uh, at least on the first buy-in. But 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 I'm I'm not even putting that aside. They're, they're two separate questions. One is one is how much is your edge over the field, and second is what is the rake. And yes, I, I know what you're, why you're asking this is because you know is your edge enough to overcome the rake, and that's a good question. Uh, there's other events. Yeah, that. There's other events like uh, you know some of these 10K events, which are tougher. And I don't know what my edge is because there are some actual fish in these events that you'd be very surprised to see playing a 10K event given their skill level. But then there's some very good players in there. And uh, so, so what is my edge in there, if anything? I don't know. That's why I lowered the I lowered the uh, uh, the, the markup to lower than that, uh, to, to lower than it was before, to down to 15% for those events. And then there's also within the uh, the events I play that are not the 10Ks, there's differing edges, like one where I have among the biggest edges of the ones I play is the 1500 limit hold'em. Why? Because I've been a limit hold'em player for almost two decades. I've been a winning limit hold'em player. I'm the, the 12th highest limit hold'em casher in all time in, in money cashed in, uh, in the World Series of Poker history. So I, I think all this speaks for itself that in a limit hold'em event, especially a fifteen hundred event with a lot of fish, that that I, I've got a, a, a very big edge on the field. With uh, the ten k event, there we got a lot of really good limit hold'em players in there, but then we also have some fish. But so so it, it's kind of all over the place of, of where my edge would be in, in these events, and um, does it overcome the rake? And maybe in some cases it doesn't, and. I, there's no way to know that. I, the, truthfully, I mainly play the World Series uh, just because I enjoy playing it. Um, Money-wise, my time would probably be spent better like at Commerce playing cash games with a lot of the good players out of town. That's that's the truth. But uh, but it's just something. This is exactly some of my uh, some of my question. My point is that uh, that uh, for. A, you know, let's just say uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel, uh, some of the best poker player in there. Are they paying for prestige, or are they playing because can they overcome the rake? I, I think so, but but I think you're right. They're also they're mainly playing for prestige. The, the the bigger name players, they want the bracelets, they want the player of the year points. They they want the notoriety, and that's why they everybody plays for different reasons. And I I admit I'm not so much for the prestige, but I I just enjoy the World Series. I enjoy the excitement of it. I enjoy the attempt to win a second bracelet. And these these are all uh, selling points to me to play. It, it's not always about money. Now, if I was on a a, a tight bankroll, I probably would skip most of this and and just stick to playing cash where I felt I had the biggest edge. So that's uh, that that's the answer here. I I think that's a very very good answer, but uh, let me just get on further. You said uh, uh, a average player go go to Vegas. Not I'm not talking about WSOP. Uh, I'm talking about, for example, that I noticed I play at Excalibur quite a bit. I've always thought it is sucker to go play in a tournament. Tournament, a small buying tournament, because that rake is twenty seven percent. Yes, or that's some a, casino is even more. 
Right, and it is. It is, and that's a problem. And you're not going to long term. You're not going to beat that even with bad players for two reasons. Number one, the rake is insane, and number two, that the structure is usually not good. So there's too much luck involved. That at some point, even if you're way better than other people, it's not going to matter because there's just all in pre flop, and whoever's got the better hand wins. So, so that's there's too much luck involved in those. They still get people playing. Number one, because they don't realize how bad the rake is and how hard that is to beat. And number two, some of the people have small bankrolls and. This is their chance to win something. So for some of these people, the, the top prize at these low buy-in tournaments is big money to them. And this is all they, they can't afford to go play cash at a level to make that type of money. So they'd rather play a negative EV situation where, where maybe the lightning will strike and, and they'll be the winner. And they'll win a few thousand dollars. And that's, that's why people play those. What are some of the things for your sample? You pay a wing or a Venetia that uh, they have at the... Big stack tournament. Uh, uh, the, what, what's their rate? Do you know? Sir? No, I don't. I don't. I don't play those. I just, you know, I'm not really a tournament player. And I've explained this to people before. I'm a cash player who who, who who plays at the World Series. What, so, so that's I, why I'm trying. To, I'm trying to understand how is tournament player make a, make their living. Be, it's very hard. To beat the rate. It's very. They got to beat the rake. They have to beat the travel expenses, and they also have to beat uh, the variance because there's incredible variance in tournaments. Because you have to finish in the top few spots to really make a lot of money. If you just keep min cashing, you're gonna you're gonna bleed away money. So so there's a lot you have to overcome. And I've said this before. People like Ari Engel who can make this work. I I, I really admire them because it's very very hard and it's very very soul crushing to go through these these long slumps where you don't cash big and uh to, to be able to make this work i know i i wouldn't want to do it that would not be something i would want to do i would definitely want to be uh you know to, to make money reliably at poker i think cash is a, a much better option so that's uh that's what i would do and I, I i do wonder i've always wondered how many people who just play tournaments are are winners and and how many are are just losing money or, or losing their backers' money, and even though you hit, you see them hitting a lot of big scores, Negreanu one time I think it was two years ago. I'll give him credit for this. He was up front and said, "I cashed two point seven something million this year, and that looks great." But uh-huh. but I actually bought in two point eight something million, so I actually lost this year, and that shocked people because it looked like he was having a great year, and he actually slightly lost. Now he didn't really lose because Poker Stars was putting up a lot of that money. But putting that aside, v- buy-ins versus what he cashed, he lost, which 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 shocked people. So that's uh, I'd love if everybody did that, and I, I I give him credit for being transparent like that. And you know, with Negreanu, it's always a mixed bag. He does some things I really respect and like, and then he has he also uh, uh, says stupid things and gets in stupid arguments that he shouldn't. So it's it's a, it's a mixed bag with him. But yes, it's, it's true. Uh, you 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 give me great answer. I I truly appreciate. It's it true that for most of the famous poker player, they went both. At one time in their life, they went both. Yeah, a lot of them because have. Of, yeah, yeah. A lot of them have, and, and a lot of them lack any because uh, because they cannot be, beat the rake, right? You no, know, it's, 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 it's you it's, might have. 
it's not so much that it's it, with with the big game poker players that go broke. It's usually poor self control or res- responsible or irresponsible behavior that causes them to go broke. They either play too big and the variant gets them. They play tournaments that are too big. They 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 gamble in negative expectation spots in other forms of gambling like sports betting or casino games. Or even if they're playing positive expectation spots, they are playing too big in these in these games. Uh, they, they spend too much because they, they start off doing well in tournaments and they think it's going to continue at that rate and it doesn't and they, they bleed away their money just in, in uh, uh, overspending on stupid things. There, it's, it's sometimes it's a combination of all this. Sometimes it's a result partially of, of drug and alcohol abuse. There's a, there's a lot of different things that get poker players who, if they were responsible, could be sitting on millions of dollars and are not and are broke. And, and, that's, uh, and unfortunately, it's rare to have those that approach it responsibly. And it's even more rare because I've said before, sometimes what makes someone really good is also what makes them bad. And what I mean by that is that the type of personality that is sometimes required to be uh, a successful tournament player, for example, which is someone who who doesn't have fear of busting for someone who... uh, just willing to put it out on the line, someone who just uh, approaches the game with no fear, unfortunately, they can't just turn this off in their regular life. So then they approach the rest of their finances the same way, and it doesn't work out well. So that, that's why a lot of times the, the most responsible players are not the ones who are the top most successful ones at the table because the, you know sometimes the being good with money also prevents you from being as crazy at the tables that could actually work to your advantage in the tournament. It's very hard to just be one way when you're at the tournament and then be one way when you're away from the tournament. It, it, you can say, in theory, you could, but it's it's tough. So sometimes what's good about someone also is what's bad about them and, 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 and breaks them. And that's very true in poker. So that, that there's just so many different reasons. But there's most players go broke at one point or uh, go broke several times or... If they're not broke, have a lot less money than you'd imagine. And uh, that's why it's a tough thing to do for a living. And that's why before you get jealous when you see people cashing for these very large amounts of money that you wish you could win, uh, you have to ask yourself, what did they have to do to get here? And how much are they going to have a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? And a lot of times it's not what people would would picture. So anyway, thank thank you for your call. We're going to move on here. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Some good good, uh, thought-provoking questions there. and uh, Mm -hmm. He sounded like a Tyrone, too, didn't he? He did sound a a little different than what I'd expect from Tyrone, but uh, you you never know. (laughs) So... uh, Let's see here. He, he called him. He's called him for the last. Me, it had me thinking of the Iceman when you mentioned Tyrone. I think we need to get him <laughs> on the show again. People have asked for that. People have asked me to bring the Iceman on here. Okay, let's let's move on. Uh, we're, we're getting closer to the end of the World Series topics. The short deck event. Short deck poker is a form of poker that's that's slowly gaining popularity. It was pushed pretty hard a few years ago by Durr, pretty much because his his master. Uh, oh, what's his name? An Asian guy who was convicted of the... the or, or, was accused of the World Cup ring. Now I don't remember his name anymore. Why, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, right, the Asian guy. Um, yeah. Oh, God, I can't remember. Paul Fua, that's it. Paul Fua, he, yeah. he's the, he's the uh, Asian master of Tom Dwan. I think he's the guy who's, who's been bankrolling him and uh, 
putting him in the games of Macau, whatever. Tom Dwan was pushing the game of short deck on YouTube in these awkward-looking videos some years ago, clearly because Paul Fool wanted him to. But but it's finally caught on, and a lot of people, especially high-stakes players, seem to like it. And it's it's simply a form of poker with the twos, threes, fours, and fives removed. And what this really changes is that it becomes uh, much easier to make straights, and it becomes uh, much harder to make flushes. So this changes the hand rankings. In fact, there's two forms of short deck now. In some forms of short deck, a straight is actually below three of a kind. In some forms, it's above three of a kind. But in all forms, I believe, a flush is better than a full house because a flush has gotten so much harder to make. So you have to keep this in mind uh, when you're playing it because these draws are not the same as they are in, in full deck poker. You, you flop a flush draw, you think of your odds of making it, and then in reality those are different odds. And same with making a straight, your odds are a lot higher. So you, you, there's a different strategy to it. And I thought they would have a 1500 event in short deck this year. And if, if, it, if they had had one, I'll tell you what I would have done. I actually would have learned the game. I don't know it very well. But there are some eh, kind of simple primers out there about it where you can learn the basic strategy. And I would have taken a shot at it just because I tend to be good at new forms of, of games that people don't know very well. I can kind of reason my way through it once I kind of know the basic strategy that's correct. Uh, so I would have taken a shot, but not for 10K, especially against the 10K events going to have a lot of people who actually play it a lot at higher stakes. So I wouldn't have, I, that's why I didn't enter that or consider it. But there's, there's only a 10K short deck event, and it's already taken place. Separately, I have criticized the situation with the day two buy-ins. They've allowed later and later registration at the World Series of Poker for one reason and one reason only, money. With every registration, they collect rake, and that's the whole reason they're running the World Series. It's for rake. So, the more people that can enter, the more rake they make, and the later they allow registration, the more people enter. So they have been allowing later and later registration, and in these 10K events, they're actually allowing day two registration, which I think is really obnoxious. The problem here is that I feel that at some point, late registration becomes an edge. You may say, okay, then why don't you do it? Well, kind of tying it in with what I just said to Tyrone here, I'm not there at the World Series uh, just for money reasons. I'm Again, if I if that was if the whole point was to walk away with the most money, I would probably stay at home and go to commerce and play cash when the good players are gone at the World Series. But I enjoy the World Series, I enjoy the competition, I enjoy the play, and I, I don't want to show up on day two where I have to basically flip for the to double my stack so I can have a playable stack. Because if you show up on day two, you're a short stack, you may be playing two minutes before you're gone. So that's that's not why I'm there. And in fact it even feel kind of cheap to me if I ran deep that way by waiting until a lot of the field was gone and registering then. But but truthfully, if, if you've got a deep bankroll and you don't care about the fact that you're going to play for a few minutes at a 10K event, or even not a 10K event, registering as late as you can, it probably is, I'm not sure about this, and in fact we had a debate about this at a cash table when we were discussing late registration and some people felt one way and some people felt the other. 
but it, it, I think it probably is an edge to enter as late as possible, as long as you're willing to accept the variance that comes with it. Because I, I do think there's increased variance doing this, but I think it actually gives you an edge. Why? Because even though you miss out on winning a lot of the money that fish are contributing to the field, because a lot of the fish are gone by that point, you're also doing something very important for tournaments, and that is surviving. If you enter as late as possible, and there's, say, 70-75% of the field gone, then you have survived past 70-75% of the field, which at tournaments is a big deal. Because it's not just automatic you do that. You can sit down at a tournament and play your best and be against the worst players and be one of the first ones out just because you don't run well. Even if you just try to fold, 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 fold and say, I don't, I'm not going to play a hand, then yeah, you'll, you won't bust right away, but then you'll have a tiny stack and be crippled and probably not make the money anyway. So here you get to take your starting stack and essentially leapfrog a large portion of the field that's out as if you just sat there and played even money the entire time. Didn't win, didn't lose. Which might be an edge. Now, I had people argue at a cash game I was playing that this is not an edge. They said, look, you don't get to play all the fish. Most of them are gone. This is a disadvantage. I said, no. They said, explain how it couldn't be. I said, okay. Let's say you could enter on the bubble, on the actual money bubble. You'll be a very short stack, but let's say you could enter with a starting stack on the money bubble. Would you? They said, yeah, of course I would. I said, why? They said, because you know, you just got to wait for one person to bust and you're in the money. I said, right. You'd be a fool not to do that, right? They said, yeah. I said, okay, let's say two off the bubble. Would you do it? Yeah. What about three off the bubble? Yeah. So I said, so okay, so you're admitting that there is a point before the money that's close to the money where it's definitely an advantage to enter, right? They said, yes. I said, okay. Then what makes you say the point on day two the people are entering is not that point? And they go, hmm, you know what? You may be right. <laughs> Maybe you're right. <laughs> Once you put it that way, then people go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is an edge. You've got to think of it first in the extreme way of the entering on the bubble and then kind of back away from that. Not back away, but back from it to where you say, okay, well, what if it's not this extreme, but still in this direction is it still an edge? I think it is. Someone demonstrated at, not a 10K event, but at a 1K PLO event last year, they had a prop bet. I think they had the prop bet with Matisau. I forgot who it was. They had a prop bet that if they enter as late as possible in the 1K PLO and fold every hand, no matter what they're dealt, can they make the money? They bet, and they actually won. They had 200 in chips when the money hit, so it was very close, about as close as it can be, but they, they won. They actually cashed folding every single hand they were dealt. That, to me, really said that the late registration has turned the World Series into a joke, at least as far as cashing is concerned. Because you could actually sit a monkey there at PLO. I'm not kidding. You could sit a monkey at PLO and have the monkey fold every hand. A monkey could be taught to do that very easily. And a monkey could cash. Now, again, it was very close, but can you imagine cashing at PLO, 1K PLO, just folding every hand? That's a huge flaw. That shouldn't be allowed. But it was. It happened. So the question is, um, what about these 10K events where people can enter with a starting stack on day two? How many hands do they really have to win to cash? 
Now, the blinds are bigger because it's a limit event. So I think it's, you can't just fold into the money that way. In fact, I'm sure you can't. But I still don't like it. Now, why am I going into this rant when this is a short deck topic? Well, let's go back to the short deck. On day one of the short deck, they got uh, 61 people entering, which wasn't very successful. Of those 61 people, how many made day one? 18. (laughs) Now, why is that so funny? Because that meant you could register on day two with 18 people left in the event. Isn't that insane? They weren't in the money yet, but uh, you could register with 18 people. Well, word got around about this, and everybody had the same idea. Well, okay, first of all, you, you, could, you could rebuy. And second, um, people who hadn't bought in yet, well, wait a minute, I can, I can show up here with 18 left? Fuck yeah, I'm coming in. So it's not, it's not only about the chance to cash, it's also about the chance for a bracelet. You, know, you come in uh, with 18 other people, why not? I mean, if they talk about an easy path to a bracelet compared to normal. So it turned out they actually got a lot of day two registrants that normally would not happen. They, it went from 61 registrants on day one to 114 total. It almost doubled the field. So they actually ended up paying, uh, I think, uh, 19 spots, 18, 19 spots or something. I think it was 18 spots they paid. Uh, the winner was uh, Alex Epstein, who had played the game before. Though he had never had a, uh, a World Series of Poker cash in his past. He was a short deck player, and uh, he won the bracelet. He's actually a, a PLO cash game specialist. But this kind of bothers me. I mean, I thought that was really a joke that, that with 18 left, people could go register. Yeah, they got 53 uh, more players entering at that point. So there was a, it went from 18 players to uh, like 71. So fine. That wasn't that bad. But let's say there weren't. Let's say people just didn't. Let's say people hadn't heard of this. Let's say the word didn't get around. People could have registered with 18 other people. That's it. Played for a bracelet. It's a joke. This really needs to be revisited, but the problem is the influential people in poker don't want to talk about it because they're the ones registering late. Who registers late? Not not the fish who who's just there to have fun at the World Series. It's the pro players who are playing other events the prior day or who have such deep pockets, they don't even want to waste their time with a day one. They only want to take a shot on day two and and double up and see if they can do something, otherwise move on to the next thing. They're the ones that want to continue. So they are the voices that are most respected. They are the ones who will be listened to. When they talk, the World Series sometimes listens. When everybody else talks, the World Series tunes them out. Sadly, that even though this show is... uh, The existence of this show is very well known by the management of the World Series. 
I'm not just guessing this or, or, or being arrogant here. They, they told me. <laughs> I was told that, in fact, uh, a few months ago by uh, someone in management at the World Series, that they're very aware of Poker Fraud Alert and what it does and what type of show. It, they, they know everything that goes on here, and they, they become aware when we criticize things. And they don't like it either. They don't like when I criticize it. Though it was acknowledged that I will defend them sometimes when people make unfair accusations, and they've acknowledged that as well. So they, they're not, they don't hate the show. They know the show exists, and they know that I say good and bad things about them. But uh, despite that reach that I have here, in spite of the fact they know we're here, and they know what I say, unfortunately, I don't have influence. On one hand, they don't want to like, really piss me off, but on the other hand, like when I suggest something, it kind of falls on deaf ears. Whereas if I was a bigger name tournament player, then I'd have more pull. So, unfortunately, people like me complaining, it doesn't do any good. Even though they know I'm right, but they, they just, they want the money, and there's not outrage by, from the bigger players in the game, because they like the situation. They know it's bullshit, but they like it. Also, think about the people who are trying to get as many caches as possible, as many bracelets as possible. The last thing they want is to be shut out of events where they can't enter because they were in something else the entire day one. Now, if you bust something late night day one, or late night, uh, you know, where, where the day one of the event uh, you wanted to enter is finished, now you can enter day two, or before you couldn't. That's what, They like that. So these people will never advocate for stopping this. That's why the people like Negranu who are very influential, will never say, oh, let's stop the day two. You know, Negranu likes to say, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong. Let's stop this. Let's stop that. He'll say nothing about day two registration because he loves it. It helps him. Let's him get more player of the year points. Let's him have more shots at bracelets. So all those players whose voices could make a difference are never going to criticize this. That's why I'm one of the few who speaks up and says it's stupid. But it is stupid. Someone just in the chat, short deck is fucking gay. <laughs> I haven't played it yet, so I can't tell you if it's fucking gay. It, it seems interesting to me. It's a kind of a new thing. You know, I I would like to take a shot at it. If I saw like a, a short deck cash game going that wasn't like insanely high like they always are, I'd play it. If there was a $1,500 short deck tournament, I'd learn it as well as I could and play it. But... I, I, I have a feeling that 1500 is coming in, in, in future years, and maybe I'll play. And you're saying if Flush beats a full house in a short deck? Yes, because it's, it's so hard to That's make a Flush. Yeah, it's so hard to make a Flush with those, those uh, four cards gone from each suit. Okay, so I want to talk about the nine online events that are now accessible from a state aside from Nevada. That you now you can actually play the World Series of Poker. I'm not talking about the circuit, but the actual real World Series of Poker and win a bracelet without setting foot in the state of Nevada. Talking about New Jersey. It has been announced that if you're in New Jersey, you can now play all nine WSOP online bracelet events. 
which was in doubt at one point. You may remember that there was the reinterpretation in November of the Wire Act, the 1961 Wire Act, which in 2011 was interpreted to mean it does not, it does not apply to poker. And that's what opened the door to legalize online poker in certain states, basically whatever states want it. Well, in November 2018, there was a re-reinterpretation and there was a new opinion issued by the Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel stating that all kinds of online gambling that crosses state lines are illegal, according to that Wire Act. Well, that describes online poker in its current state, legalized online poker, because the player pools on WSOB.com are merged between Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware. So when you place a bet in New Jersey, you're often betting against people in Nevada. So definitely, online betting is crossing state lines. There's no question. Now, how could WSOP.com continue offering such games, given that it's a foul of the law? Well, it's because it wasn't officially yet. What happened was that the Department of Justice gave a deadline to comply. Originally, it was April 15th, which would have probably forced WSOP.com to separate the player pools again. However, then it was delayed until June 15th because of a lawsuit that the state of New Hampshire filed involving this matter. Well, in a new memo signed by Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, the compliance deadline has been moved again from June 15th to December 31st, 2019. And what this means is that for the entire year of 2019 now, they don't have to worry about this. And therefore, the states can all continue sharing players. So for the World Series of Poker, they said, hey, if... This is true, which it is. There's no reason that people in New Jersey can't play for the online bracelets. I don't know why Delaware is not included in this, but somehow it doesn't appear they are. But yeah, now you do not have to be in... Uh, oh, I see what it is. It's because uh, WSOP.com isn't officially in... Uh, Delaware, it's only the 888 network. So the... I see why it can't be Delaware, because to, to play a World Series of Poker event, you have to actually be on WSOP.com. You can't just be on the 888 network. So Delaware, their cash games are on the 888 network, as are the other cash games at WSOP.com. But as far as the WSOP tournaments, it has to, it's only on WSOP.com. So it's just that's the reason. But New Jersey, which does have WSOP.com, now they can play the online bracelet events. And they can actually win an online bracelet without setting foot in the state of Nevada, which is now the first time that's ever been the case. Before it was impossible to win a bracelet 
unless you were physically standing in Nevada. No longer the case. Now you can never enter Nevada and win one of the online bracelets. I'm against the online bracelets. I think the online bracelets are stupid because it's just a totally different thing. Online poker and live poker are totally different. And I think a bracelet should only be for a live poker win. Uh, You can make a, a separate award for online tournaments. I'm not saying online tournaments aren't valid, but they're just different. And I don't think they should be merged. When someone says, I have a bracelet. Oh, what event did you win? Oh, I won the online whatever. It's not the same thing. It's just not... And not only that, but with online poker, you never really know who you're playing. You never know if uh, someone took over the account at some point, or a bunch of people are in the same room, advising each other. Like, for example, let's say some amateur player is just running really well in an online bracelet event. And he's the chip leader with uh, 27 left. And he calls his friends and says, oh shit, I'm the chip leader with 27 left, but I'm terrified these good players are going to crush me here. I can't run this well forever. So his, his better playing friends, the, the much better player that, he, that he's friends with, uh, either stay on the phone with him or, uh, or rush over there to where he's playing and help him out. Maybe even take over. No way to know. No way to tell. So you don't even know who you're really playing against. Whereas at the live World Series, that's not possible. Whoever it is has to play it through themselves. You can't uh, switch off or get advice from other people during hands. Not possible to do. So there's something a lot more pure about a live poker win. I just think World Series of Poker bracelet should be that. But anyway, if you you want an online bracelet, you can take a shot at one. The World Series of Poker for the first year ever is offering online bracelets, nine of them, to those... And then didn't they used to do the final table live? Yeah. Pretty certain. But they don't with this? Uh Oh, what is this here? (laughs) You hear that? I started started this stupid thing of of, of Sam Savarol again. Oops. Yeah, yeah. There, you used to have to go finish it off at a regular final table, which I think maybe because of the ex- the concerns I just expressed there. But uh, that's not the case anymore. So you really just can win the whole thing online now, without it ever coming in Nevada or ever showing your face in real life. Though I assume they'll they'll identify you when you win. But other than that, you uh, you don't have to show your face as you play. No one has to know who you are until it's over. Final uh, World Series. Wait, I just, how, how, sorry, Graf. How many of those do they have this year? Nine. Nine? Yeah. Actually, we're going to have... Just Vegas and New Jersey, right? Just Nevada and New Jersey. Anywhere in Nevada, anywhere in New Jersey. Okay, I'm going to throw in an extra topic tonight at the end of this World Series segment, but we're, we're at our second to last one now, which is scheduled last. There is a backlash against... Poker Go for introducing a a partner where basically now you need two premium subscriptions if you want to see all of the final table content. I don't know why I played that sound. It just kind of felt right. What's happened is that Poker Go has separated some of the events out to where they're carried by uh, CBS, uh, where you need a a CBS, uh, I think, all-access or some kind of premium pass to watch those events 
And this has really pissed people off because before, if you got a Poker Go subscription, you were, you basically could watch any final table that was streamed. Uh, so there's first uh, two problems. First of all, they used to stream uh, a lot of final tables on Twitch, and you could watch that for free. That's gone. And now you'll need both a Poker Go subscription and a CBS All Access subscription to see all the final tables. So, for example, the $1,500.08 final table, which I could have made in theory but did not, didn't cash in that, but I played it, that one was on CBS All Access. And that's already gotten people angry. Poker Central actually had the nerve to tweet this out as if this was a good thing. On June 2nd, they tweeted out, In the weekend with Omaha 8 or better final table action, coverage starts at 4 p.m. ET, blackout restrictions apply, United States can watch live on CBS All Access, the rest of the world on Poker Go. So they're trying to brag, hey, if you're not in the U.S., hey, you can watch it on Poker Go. And everybody's like, uh, yeah, this is kind of shitty. <laughs> Most of us are in the U.S., and uh, this sucks. We need a second subscription somewhere else to watch this. So a, a Twitter user named Jason Morton wrote, add me to the list of people who will not renew. This is BS. I'm not paying for a service to have it blacked out and sent to another service where I have to pay for it again. You guys should have streamed on both. Don't screw over your existing base. Bad business. Someone else named uh, Storm22 wrote, Why the fuck am I paying for your app if what I'm paying for is blacked out in my area? <laughs> Good points. This isn't the same as the already annoying blackouts for the Major League Baseball app, where if you buy a Major League Baseball app subscription, that your local team is blacked out, which is for television reasons, which are stupid. But this is even worse, because this isn't blacking out anything local. This is blacking out the entire country. So what they're basically saying is if if you're not somewhere that CBS serves, which is the U.S., then, yeah, we'll let you watch. Otherwise, F you, you have to buy a second pass for a separate service from a separate company. Which is crap because people subscribed believing that they were really going to get all the final tables, and now they don't. They, this is obviously something having to do with money. People... Uh, obviously... Uh, Poker Go must have benefited from uh, selling selling off some of this content to CBS All Access, so they get more subscriptions. I'm sure they got a pretty penny for this, because they're producing it, and now a third party gets to buy the content from them, so I'm sure they are making pretty good money from this, and they're like, oh, you know, screw, screw the subscribers. Let them... And, and I have a feeling the reason they're showing only to the rest of the world is because I think the rest of the world can't get a CBS All Access pass. The broadcast networks are kind of funny with allowing online access to those outside the country. I'm not sure why, but that's always kind of been that way. There's some people who actually fake being in the U.S. so they can watch some of these U.S. network streams that are just blacked out for the rest of the world. So I think that's the reason the rest of the world just can't subscribe to CBS All Access. And that's why Poker Go provides it to them, because they have no option. But in the U.S., they're like, okay, well, you have the option to buy this second pass, and if you don't, F you, you're not watching it. So people, they want to see the 08, exam- the 08 table, for example, they can't. And this pisses people off, especially when Poker Central promotes it. It's one thing to sneak this in, but they're, they're doing it and bragging like this is a good thing. This is pr- pretty crappy. Pretty crappy. I just want to put that out there if you're considering still buying a, a Poker Grow subscription. Just make sure you know what you're buying and what you're not getting. And you can go to their website to figure out what you're really going to get to watch and what you have to watch on CBS All Access. 
I really think this is cutting it up in, into too many pieces. I mean, come on, final tables at the World Series, you've got to cut that into two different premium services? It's ridiculous. It's not like there's 500 of these per year. It, it's, it's a seven-week period. It's kind of a niche audience to begin with. Why, why force them to buy two subscriptions? It's so dumb. It's a dumb business model. It's, it, it, gets the, it gets the audience angry, and I bet there's a lot of people who just aren't, are just in principle, refusing to do it. I don't even know if this is a smart move overall, even if it makes the money short term. Okay, we're going to move on here to a bonus topic, and that is about the poker chips. This is barely being covered anywhere, but there has become a situation where there's a violation of something that they had going at the World Series for a long time in order to prevent chip stealing being worth doing. And I I was concerned about this before. When I talked about the upcoming World Series a number of months ago, and I talked about the new starting stacks that were much larger than they used to be, and I said, I hope that there are a ton of different chipsets because these are no longer even with the buy-ins. And what I mean by that is that it used to be that aside from a few events, that everything was uniform. That you'd get a certain number of chips that corresponded with the amount you paid to buy in. So last year, it was five times. So if you bought into a 10K event, you got 50,000 chips. If you bought into a 1K event, you got 5,000 chips. You bought into a 1,500 event, you got 7,500 chips. So this way, the cost per chip in every event, except for a few, was the same. And in those few that deviated from that, they had different chip sets. So this way, some of these cheaper events where you get maybe 20,000 chips for a $500 event, you're playing with a different chip set, so if you steal some of those chips out of the event and bring it to a different event, it's not going to help you because they're totally different chips. But when they reused chips, the chips are always worth the same as far as the amount of chips you get per dollar spent in the buy-in. And that's the best they can do. Now, yes, people could steal chips out of an event in the later phases when those chips are not worth very much or temporarily steal them in case they need them. So, you know, let's say you've got a big a big stack late in an event and let's say a $5,000 chip a 5,000 chip isn't worth very much anymore at that point. The blinds are so big, so you you sneak one out or you sneak you sneak out some 1,000 chips knowing that you could you know, kind of sneak them back in if you really need them. And your plan is to then sneak them into another event at the very beginning using that same chip set and it it's worth a lot more comparatively because at that point it's very meaningful at the beginning. And maybe that's been going on. But still, at least the value of the chip per dollar spent on buy-in was the same. And that's the best they can do. Beyond that, they're just going to watch the cheaters aren't grabbing chips and moving them to another event. But where you really incentivize this chip-stealing and transferring behavior is when you can buy chips a lot cheaper at one event and then take them to another event where you're, the chips are, you're receiving chips at a different ratio compared to the buy-in. And someone pointed out that the chips that were being used for the, deep, the $600 Deep Stack World Series event where you get a lot of chips, I forget how many, but a lot of chips, are the same chips that are being used at the 
3 p.m. 10K events. And they took a picture of them, and indeed it was the same chipset. And that was very, very disturbing. That was very, very bothersome for me to see. Because this is what I've been worried about. It's one thing for people to sneak out the same value chips, essentially, of what, what you're paying per dollar. But when you're getting chips much cheaper in some events, you can enter a cheap event, like, like a $600 event, and get a big chip stack. And then you can sneak out some chips to bring to a 10K event where per chip they're worth way more. As long as you're willing to cheat like this, this is a very positive expectation thing to do. And it really encourages it to be done. There's such an edge to gain from doing that. Now, I wouldn't do this. I'm not a cheater. I wouldn't do this. But there are people that would. And this is encouraging it. And maybe this year people weren't aware this is the way it was going to be. But definitely next year they will be. Or maybe later in the series they will be. So why invite this? Why not just buy some more chipsets? Is it that expensive? They make so much money here. Buy some more chipsets. That's that's really, really bothersome. And... I am uh, worried that there is going to be cheating now. Whereas before, I don't think there was much of this going on. I'm really concerned. This was tweeted on June 3rd by Kenny Hallert. That's uh, at Spacey, S-P-A-S-E-Y, S-P-A-C-E-Y, Spacey, F-C-B, F-C-B, like Frank, Charlie... Boy, FCB, Spacey FCB, Spacey's with EY. Kenny Hallert said, The thing that worries me today at the World Series of Poker is the same chipset is used in the $600 30,000-chip start as in the 5K and 10K, 30K and 60K start, respectively. Haven't seen Men the Master around, though, so maybe we're all good. <laughs> That's in reference to Men the Master, who is uh, known to angle, shoot, and cheat in many ways over the years. But I replied back saying that it's very worrisome for the reasons I just stated. That people were making jokes about men. But listen to this from Kalen McNeil. I don't know who he is, but he tweeted on June 4th. Had a 25K chip go missing after making change. Day D and no help from the floor. My advice is hide all the same color large denominations no matter what they are, what they say about big chips out front. Now he's talking about that someone just grabbed a chip at some point from someone else. I think he's trying to say someone stole it from somebody else. But whatever. Um... Yeah, that's even worse. You steal it from somebody else's chip stack and then bring it to uh, another event. That's even worse than stealing from your own chip stack. Someone else pointed out, uh, you also have to watch out that Cat Valdez might show up with with uh, for, for a 10K event with a 1K bounty ticket. <laughs> she ran deep in the Big 50, and from what I could tell, she shot off her stack 
with pocket queens pre-flop in stupid fashion. You, you never know for sure because sometimes poker news messes up the reporting, but she had like six million chips when that was a whole lot of chips. And she went to zero pretty fast and there was a big hand involving queens versus aces pre-flop. So uh, that's a big mistake amateurs make in deeper stacked events as they overvalue queens pre-flop and get it in too easily. Thinking, well, queens is a really good hand, and then they don't realize that the better players are not going to get into massive number of chips in a deep event unless they've got aces. And someone wrote on Twitter, this seems like a reasonably simple problem to avoid. As a tournament director, do you agree that there's a logistical manufacturing element that prevents a different stat from being used? Seems like poor planning and execution on the part of the management team. Kenny Hallert said what I've been saying. He said use uh, chips per dollar if you run events simultaneously of the same chipset or use different chipset like they've always done in the past. Yeah. So either keep the same ratio of the number of chips you get per dollar spent or use different chipsets. Otherwise, boy, is this incentivizing cheating. I mean, this, this is to an extreme. You're getting 60K in chips to start these 10K events. You're getting 30K in chips for a $600 event with the same chipset. So each chip at the $600 event here was worth, uh, looks like, uh, two cents. That's what it looks like. Was it two cents? No, it's, uh, looks like, is it five cents? Yes, five cents. I think it's five cents. I have a hard time doing math right now for some reason. But, uh, is it five cents? Now i got to figure this out. It's bothering me. <laughs> no, it's, it's less than five cents. Um, let's see. I'm going to figure this out. Two cents. I got it. See, I, I, I doubted myself. I said two cents, and I doubted it, and somehow convinced myself it was five cents. This is what happens when I, I've been on radio for so long. But yeah, two cents per chip, and then at the ten k, there it's like sixteen cents per chip. So it's eight times the value. That's a lot. Imagine you can you can steal a thousand dollar chip out of the six hundred dollar event, and uh, you're getting eight times the value to go. Surreptitiously transfer it over to the 10k event, and forget the the, the 1,000. You know, steal a 5,000 chip, steal a 25,000 chip. I'm not saying to do it. I'm I'm saying people will who are unethical. You're making it easy. So stupid. It's a massive difference too by a factor of of eight. Dumb. Just wanted to bring attention to that out there. I bet people are going to start doing it, too. It's just too tempting for that type of reward. Really sad. All right, uh, Trader Ruski still with us. Did he make it all the way through the World Series of Poker Topics, or did we lose him? It's going to be close. It's uh, 121. Well. You're here. I'm here. Oh, you sound kind of awake, too. Wide awake. 
Okay, we're good. By You're- the way, Druff, have you have you ever played that uh, team or tag team event? Um, I played a form of it, not that one, but uh, they had some other tag team event that I played in uh, in previous years. Didn't do very well. But the, the the one they have currently, I've never played it. Any okay? How was that one? I it was it was kind of uh, kind of a mess in some ways, but it was, it was, I don't know. Semi enjoyed it. Uh, it was I don't even know if they had a bracelet for it. It was many years ago, and uh, they did away with it for a while, and then they brought it back, and then there had been some. I'd actually considered playing it in previous years with Brandon and with other people. It just never happened. So, I don't know. I don't have much to say about it. All right, so I'm going to play to you guys a hacked voicemail box. Something I didn't think I'd ever do on this show. I'm a big believer in privacy. I don't think it's funny when someone's voicemail gets hacked. I think it's uh, a violation of people's privacy. It's a violation of the law. It's something that you, you shouldn't laugh at. You shouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't distribute. Let's just say some random guy in poker's voicemail was hacked. Even if the messages were entertaining, I, I wouldn't distribute them because I'd think about the victim of it, and I'd think about how I'd feel if my voicemail was hacked and, and personal messages of mine were put out there. And I, I would hate it, and I would hate anyone who helped distribute it. But. In the case of scammers, it's a different story. And I'm talking about very well-known scammers who definitely have scammed, not ones who are maybe suspected, maybe guilty, maybe not. I'm talking about the ones you know for sure are scammers, the ones who definitely did it. Maybe they've never been convicted, but they, they definitely did it. Scammers, it's a different story. I think with scammers, the, most, the more that can be brought to light about them, the better. The more we can find out about them, the better. The more difficult their life can be made, the better. Now, there's a limit to this. I don't think they should be shot dead or anything. But as far as uh, nonviolent things to make their life difficult, I support it, even if it's uh, not something I would typically support with other people. And I'm talking about 100% certain scammers, not people that just have some moderate suspicion over their heads. Or an accusation again. I mean, ones that we know for sure are scammers. Um, I hacked a voicemail box on some occasions. Uh, The most well-known one was I appeared on Howard Stern in 1996, having hacked the voicemail of uh, KKK guy Daniel Carver, who they used to have him on the show as kind of a kind of a comedy bit. He, he, he thought they were taking him seriously, but it was, it was basically to make fun of him. But he was a, a real KKK member who uh, hated black people and Jews. And he had a hotline you could call up, and he was this uh, southern guy. And you, Every recording would start out this way. Wake up, white people. It was, that was his catchphrase, is wake up, white people. And the point of wake up, white people is he was trying to say that, that the white people need to wake up that the Jews and the black people were uh, ruining the country and that they need to be stopped. And uh, you, you can imagine some of the stuff he said. Anyway, they, they made fun of him on Howard Stern, but he was, he was someone that they – he was like a member of the WAC pack there. He was on the show a lot. They, they even had him appear sometimes on TV. He, uh, 
and they they play his message on 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 the radio. Anyway, uh, I used to call up his hotline just to laugh at how stupid it was. I, I didn't agree with any of it. In fact, a lot of it was uh, about my people, about the Jews. So I definitely didn't agree. But um, I, I would call up to laugh at how stupid it was. And one day I decided to see if I could hack his answer machine, because I was pretty good at that at the time. This was an answer machine, not a voicemail, and I succeeded. I hacked his answer machine. So what I did is I, I changed his message from wake up white people to go to sleep white people with kind of like the reverse. It was a parody message that was basically – see, his message he was always trying to put out there is the, way, the white people need to wake up because of uh, what all the races are doing and, and wake up that this is happening and fight back. So my parody message was the white people should go to sleep and that if they just pretend like nothing's happening, then everything will be great, like an ostrich putting its head in the sand. That was my message, and I did it in his voice. I started out going, go to sleep, white people, and I did it as if I was him. Uh, at first I just did it to screw with him. And I didn't even know he was away for the weekend at a Klan rally, and I didn't even realize it. I thought he'd like catch it really fast and change it, but he was away the whole weekend, so it sat on there the whole weekend like that. So I did this and just told my friends to call up and, and hear his recent message, and then it was actually me. That was the only reason I did it. But then I thought, you know what? Maybe I should bring this to Howard's attention, because it was still up there on Monday morning. So I called up at 3 a.m. Howard started at 6 a.m. Eastern in New York, so I called him up at 3 a.m. my time course howard doesn't answer the phone i was uh stuttering john answered the phone i told him about it and uh then he brought it over to uh, baba Bowie to listen to and baba Bowie thought it was really funny and baba Bowie said you know we'd love to have you on here and we're going to play it on the show but uh we're actually playing uh very unusual for the show that sting was calling in from china and playing like live on the show for 40 minutes so they had like a musical thing from china from sting for 40 minutes so they said that they can't preempt that so they'd call me back so they called me back and they put me on i used a fake name on there because i was a little worried to get in trouble because technically hacking a machine's illegal and uh anyway they had a whole segment what i didn't know is they actually called daniel carver in the meantime and put him on the phone too so they had both of us together debating whether or not i should have hacked his machine but at the time i felt good about hacking his machine because this this guy is in the kkk you know, this guy's always talking about Jews this and you know, black people that. And he's using the N-word. He's not even saying black people. Uh, I, I said, you know, if there's anyone who deserves to, for his machine to be hacked and to be made fun of, it's him. Like, so uh, I didn't feel bad about doing that. And, and he was right. The Jews were after him. Yeah, that's true. I guess they, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You're right. The Jews, uh, I did exactly what he said the Jews are doing. So anyway, we, we they played that on there, and, and Howard thought it was really funny. In fact, uh, this got replayed a lot of times. Howard really liked the segment. It got played, I believe, seven different times over the years, and I was even nominated for an F Emmy, which is an award they give out at the uh, each year to like the best segments they had. I didn't win the F Emmy, but the, I, I was nominated for one. And it would even run on, uh, even reruns. In fact, uh, Benjamin's mom heard it. She listened occasionally to Howard Stern. She remembered hearing that. She didn't know it was me. Even though she knew me at the time, she didn't know it was me as we weren't uh, in contact anymore. But I told her that it was me. She goes, oh, I remember that one. So, uh, Anyway, another machine hacking occurred, this time not by me. This time it was a voicemail, 23 years later. This was uh, not against Daniel Carver, who I don't even know if he's alive anymore. But it was against Adnan Mohammed, the PPP poker scammer we talked about earlier in the year. The guy who ran one of those private PP poker games 
and people deposited into his site, and then he just stole all the money, basically is what happened. And as far as I know, he still hasn't made it right. He claimed to people, when this scandal was coming down, he was swearing to the biggest victim, they're going to be paid very soon, just just hold on, and he gave these deadlines of when he's going to pay, never met any of them, he just kept jerking people around more and more. And yet, at the same time, the guy is really obnoxious about pretending like he's got this high-level baller lifestyle, that he's betting $100,000 per game on sports, that he's playing high stakes in the casino, that he's playing high stakes poker. He, he puts that out on Instagram to try to show off what a baller he is, and yet he's not paying anyone money he owes, even small money. So the whole thing's a front. The whole thing is, is a sham. And it pretty much rubs people's noses in it that not only does he owe them money, but he continues this act on Instagram like he's so rich and so successful. Uh, he goes by New York Poker King. You know, you know what's kind of funny is I, I said something in the original post about him back in January that got people really angry and thinking I was a racist. Uh, what I wrote was uh, Adnan Mohammed, a.k.a. New York Poker King, a trustworthy sounding name if I ever heard one. People thought I was referring to the name Adnan Mohammed not being trustworthy, like I'm being racist against uh, Arabs. I wasn't. I was talking about New York Poker King sounding like it's not trustworthy. I could be like sarcastic. Like, That's a trustworthy name, New York Poker King. Like, really, like anyone calls themselves that, you know you're not going to be able to trust them. So uh, that's what I meant. So I actually had to – when I was talking about someone who was accomplice to the whole thing, someone was like, yeah, well, I don't think you're much in a position to talk, you racist. And then they showed me you know, a, a, what I said there. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I, was, I meant his screen name. So I actually – I clarified it. I changed the post to say a trustworthy-sounding screen name if I ever heard one. But uh, I, I really didn't mean it in that way. But anyway, going back to this, uh, someone posted in that same thread, which is called PP Poker Individuals Running Clubs on an app where they told they had hold all the money, what could go wrong? That's on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum of Poker Fraud Alert. Uh, someone named Dale One, who listens to the show, posted on June 8th something that had recently been posted on New York Poker King's Instagram. He wrote this. Quick tally. Walked into the Rio WSOP for less than 10 minutes. Approached three times all positive people with a, a thumbs up. Then, eating at Oyster Bar. Approached by a nice, respectable kid who said hi after we eat. Thumbs up. Four supporters. Smiley face. But where are the haters at? So this, this is something he likes to keep saying, that the haters are all terrified of him. And that everybody who comes up to him in person is nothing but positive. So that, that's what he's trying to claim. Everyone's afraid of him. Then, But then uh, he went back to... His usual bragging. He also wrote, with a picture in the background, after that long road trip from New York City, got to get the whip tuned up. Now, what does he mean by the whip? You'll hear in a second. Came highly recommended by several people. Oil change. Bentley dealership, $380-ish. Euro auto specialist, $150-ish. And then there's a picture of his Bentley there. So basically, and and he's showing his car in front of this place. So basically, he's saying that uh, he got an oil change for... 150 instead of 380 for his Bentley. And the, the thing you're supposed to come away with here is that he drove his Bentley from New York and that he still got the Bentley. But he's very, very big on, on status symbols to show how rich he is. But you're going to hear about the Bentley shortly, by the way. He does have it, but you'll, you'll hear more about it. So some more discussion started about him and what a scumbag he is and people, you know, he hasn't paid anyone, he's a piece of shit, all that. I mean, we've talked about that since January. That's nothing new. But what is new, well, in addition to those posts he made about a week ago, 
What's also new is the fact that people hacked his voicemail. So, so, I shouldn't say a people, a person, who I don't know. I don't know who did it, but someone hacked his voicemail and posted it on YouTube. And this was brought to my attention a few days ago, and I said, I've got to save this. I've not only got to share this on the show, but I've got to save this just in case YouTube cracks down and deletes this, or the guy who posted it has second thoughts. I said, I'm going to save it, and if somehow it gets deleted off YouTube, I'm going to put it on this show anyway. And that if Adnan doesn't like it, then I'll tell him he can pay people back, and then I'll consider taking it down. He and I never have had contact, by the way. He's never scammed me. I've never directly contacted him, but that's what I'd say if he contacted me. So, someone hacked his voicemail. I'm going to play the YouTube to you. I'll make comments during it. You'll get to hear what type of voicemail Adnan Mohammed, scammer of his PP poker room, owner of a lot of money to people in the poker world despite claiming to have so much and driving a Bentley, we will hear what type of voicemail he gets. Oh, no, I guess we won't. That's why I saved it. I knew it. Video unavailable, it says. I just noticed this now. I didn't try to play it. See, the funny thing is, YouTube will sometimes show you like the preview, and the video is actually down, and you don't know this they'll play it. So I really didn't know it went down. But it says, video unavailable. This video is no longer available due to a privacy claim by a third party. Hmm. Now, who could this third party be? Who do you think would have made a privacy claim? Hmm. Yeah, I looked for it earlier, Jeff. I should have told you. I assumed you knew. Well, so I I did the right thing. I knew this was coming. I knew it. I told the person who gave it to me. I said, I am going to save this so I uh, I can play this. Hold on a second. Now I've got to find it. I hope I didn't lose it. I thought I saved it in this directory. Hang on a second. Uh, if I lost this, I'm going to be so pissed. I'm, I'm just about sure I saved it. What the heck? Uh, oh, yeah, I, I got if it. Anybody has? Oh, there you go. I got okay. it. I found it. I, I, knew, I knew it's here. See? I knew it. What's up, guys? Okay. I got it. It's right here. Okay, Adnan. Too bad. It is here. <laughs> I got it. And again, Adnan, since you want this down... If you hear this, I'm a reasonable man. If if I can see you're paying people, and I don't mean like a token amount to make it look like you're... I mean really paying people, then I'll take this down. I'll go back and edit the show and take it down. That's that's my guarantee to you. That if you pay people back, and I get verification, I'll take it down. If you think you're... And when you edit the show, when you edit the show, Jeff, you got to leave that part in. So he's going to listen and then think, oh, shit, he didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so, and also, Adnan, if you think you're being falsely accused, present to me the information that exonerates you. And I'm, I'm a bright guy. I can figure it out who's guilty, who's not. And if it turns out you're falsely accused, then, again, I will take it off. But I believe you did it. And I believe you owe people money. I believe you scammed people. And you're going to need to pay them back before this comes down. Very important. So here here we go. Now, keep in mind, there's some phone numbers that I have censored. So you'll hear a little beep. That's actually my beep over it. So we don't have innocent people's phone numbers out there. But aside from that, you're going to hear it as it is. What's up, guys? Listen, I'm going to expose Adnan right now. I've hacked his cell phone. This guy's a fucking broke motherfucker that pretends he's so rich. New voice messages and two saved messages. Listen, guys. New message. 
Hi, this is Deborah calling from Genesis Royalty Group. Um, calling about your June's rent. We haven't received it yet. Or, uh, but if you pay, then, a, you know, just to disregard this message. That's his number, guys. As of today, uh, we have not received your um, rent. And also today is uh, $70 in late fees. So um, please give us a call and let us know your status. Oh, my uh, God. sending out a five-day notice today. Uh, so if you have any questions, just give us a call. I'm sorry, 702 Thank you. Okay, so that's that's a uh, realty group that he's renting something, probably an apartment there in Vegas that knows the 702 number, so it's in Vegas. He, he lives in New York also, so I wasn't sure at first what it was, but it, it's definitely Vegas. And he, he not only owes the rent, but he owes the, the $70 late fee. And they said they're going to start eviction proceedings within five days if he doesn't pay. And they're a lot faster to evict in Nevada than they are in California. They get you out pretty fast if you don't pay your rent. So uh, it's, it's, uh, I wonder if Adnan ended up getting booted or if he did pay the rent. But definitely he, he was late on his rent. But you say, okay, people sometimes forget. Maybe he's traveling from New York to Nevada. Maybe he just forgot to pay the rent or was late. Let's continue to listen on. Me- message marked for deletion. New message. We have an important message from Argonne Agency. This communication is from a debt collector. This is an attempt to collect a debt. This is Adnan's number. You guys see there's no bullshit. For that purpose. Please call one eight six six to replay the- Okay, so that uh, that's a standard collection agency message. And that is, uh, it's a recorded message that they play. I- I've gotten these before on my phone, not for me, but for like people who've had my number before. It's actually kind of a pain in the ass when it happens. You get a bunch of those, and you you tell them this person doesn't really live here, and that it's an old phone number, and like they don't listen, they don't believe you. They think it's, you're like the guy lying about it, so they keep calling you back. So this was one of those standard collection agency messages, and the number they gave there, you know, you'd call up and you would tell them, "Hey, I'm responding to the message," and then they'll try to collect the debt from you. That's what this is to collect a debt. So you see, there's like collecting agencies after him. He was late on his rent. It looks like his whole life is owing people. It's not just. It's usually not just people in poker. Usually, when people like owe a lot of people in poker, they owe a lot of people outside of poker too. This message message marked for deletion. New message. This is uh, United Routes calling about the Bentley that you're looking to move from New Jersey to Henderson, Nevada. Uh, please call us to discuss. My phone number is seven eight six. So you see, he has he does have the Bentley, and uh, he was paying to have it shipped from New Jersey to Nevada. He was definitely coming out to the World Series, didn't want to drive all that way, he wanted it shipped there. Uh, that by itself is no scandal, but it's it's showing he has the Bentley, and he's paying money to have it uh, moved from Nevada to New Jersey, probably just, or the other way around, New Jersey to Nevada, probably just for the World Series, so he can drive around it and show off. Uh, like, why not just rent a car? Why not leave the Bentley at home? Well, Andy said, Andy said he drove all the way out. Right. He did a road trip. Yeah. That's, and then that's, now it's saying he shipped the car. Yeah, that's a lie, too, right? <laughs> so so he was looking for a quote for shipping the car. So, again, everything's a lie with this guy. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if I hear from him wanting to take, me, take it down. And what I have to say to him or anybody else listening that he reports this to is that he has scammed many people in poker. He's, he's committed a lot of different scams. You can read all about it. You can go to PokerFraudAlert.com. You can go to 2plus2.com. And you know he's committing crimes against many people. 
and it, it seems very clear that he is. There's many people who come forward and, and will be happy to testify in court if necessary about this. And I, I think it's important for people to hear. And again, I didn't do this. This was I had nothing to do with this hacking. You can hear the voice of the guy who did it. it sounds nothing like mine. It's not me. It's not anyone I know. But this was put out there publicly on YouTube. And, uh, and I think it's important to protect the community for them to hear this guy's real story because when he meets people, he lies. He says, look, if I was broke, would I have this Bentley? If, if I was broke, would I have this? If I was broke, would I be uh, betting on sports as high as I am? You know, he, he, he says a lot of convincing sounding things to make it seem like he's rich and that you can trust him. And then these people get screwed. So I, it's, it, this is a service to the community, the reason I'm playing these, is, is so everybody can hear the truth. And sometimes... Well, Andruff, and he's trying to, you know, I mean, who in their right mind would shift, shift their Bentley? I assume he's just staying there for a month or two for the World Series, right? Yeah, it's for image. That's what it's or about. He, right. So you rent a car, probably, you know, for the same cost as shipping it, but it's all just part of him trying to scam people. Right. It, it's all to maintain this image that he's rich and, has, and, and that any money you're trusting him with, it's no problem because this is a guy who has so much, there's no reason he'd screw you out of something that uh, you think is not that much. Or even if it is like 10000 20000 you say, okay, well, he doesn't need that. He drives a Bentley. He, he, he wagers 100000 per per game in sports betting. You know, why would he need to scam me at a 10 k And then you find out the sad truth. So that's, that's why I'm putting this out here. And that's why it's important. And that's why anybody who... Um, he reports this to who's listening to this should know this is being done because he's a scammer who rips off the poker community and probably ripped off a lot of people. And I heard he was in court for ripping off his own dad. I don't know for sure, but someone dug that up. And it's it's important to look at what he's doing. And this is being done to advise the community of what's happening. And I'm just pre- pre- I'm playing something I found on YouTube that, yeah, I saved off YouTube, but I found it off YouTube. I had nothing to do with myself. I did no hacking of any kind. So I'm just playing this, and uh, and again, if he uh, pays the people back that he stole from, I'll definitely take this down. No question. That's my promise. To replay this message, me- message marked for deletion. New message. Calling on a recorded line. This is Catherine Manalis. I'm looking for Adan Mohammed. <laughs> you see, guys, this guy can't even fucking pay his rent. Hello. Adnan Muhammad, hello. How's this person calling that realize they're on a voicemail? Your response on the other line, I'll be disconnecting the call. Thank you. So we don't know if that's a collection, a collection call, but it sounds like it. Me- message marked for deletion. New- I think how this guy's deleting all the messages. <laughs> Why not leave them there at least? Let, let, let these poor people who are owed money by Adnan at least have a way to call them back if Adnan, you know, for whatever reason... I know, or at least him getting sweated and have to list those messages. Yeah, like, why, why delete them? I, I think it's just to kind of be a jerk to him, but uh, I would have left the messages there. I, I've always thought that the, the best way, even if the person, like, deserves their thing to be hacked, I always thought the best thing to do is just leave everything as you find it. But you don't want to cause any damages that could. Yeah, do you could, be, right, because the, you, you could affect third yeah. parties. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that could happen that you could end up doing. So, I, I wouldn't have deleted these if I were the guy who hacked it. But again, this is I'm I didn't know about this until after it occurred, and and with a gun to my head, I could not tell you who did this. I have no idea who did this or how they did it. Message call from our department is to inform you that there are legal enforcement actions filed against you <laughs> and your social security number has been suspected for fraudulent activities. Oh, my God. So once you get this message, kindly call us back as soon as possible or press 1 to speak to our investigating officer. Wow. Call back number is 
5506, I repeat. Okay, hold on. This one, believe it or not, might be a scam. Believe it or not, this one might be a scam. Once in a while, a scammer targets another scammer without realizing it. This one sounds a little bit weird about that the, your social security number is, is, is being used for fraud and that they're, they're about to take investigative action. The whole thing sounds weird to me. It could be some kind of shady collection agency that this is what they use, but this almost sounds like it's a scam. What, fo- what was the phone number? Well, that's I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to call it. I'm going to try to call it here. Oh, okay. And that, that, that's my idea. That That's the one that he, maybe he's not guilty here. Maybe this one's a scam. As, as scandalous as it sounds. See, Adnan, I'm being fair to you, right? I, I could say, oh, my God, your social security number is being used, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, obviously he was guilty of this, too. I'm like, no, you know, it's, it sounds to me like that was a scam number calling him. It's funny how he saved the message, though. <laughs> you know, Adnan no, actually saved it. I don't think it. it was a scam. I just think it was the the uh, shady collection agency. No, but it looks it like the number's gone. That's uh, it, it wouldn't be gone if it was a collection agency. Here, I'm calling it up on my cell phone. It's a weird ring. It's like fast rings. Your call cannot be completed. Anymore. Yeah, there's no way that was a real collection agency. Unless I got the number wrong. But that, that, the, the, real collection agencies don't vanish like that. That's that's very that sounded just like a scam call and then and then also like press one to talk to us now and 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 then like the number disappears real fast these scammers like move numbers real fast I think it really but the funny thing is he actually saved the message because he thought it was probably a real one because there really are so many legitimate collection agents after him. You guys can hear this is fucking real life. Saved. New message. No fucking bullshit. Hi, my name is Javon. My unique ID number is ten two four seven. I'm calling on behalf of Citibank in reference to Anad Muhammad City Double Cash Card account. Please return our call at eight eight eight. Now that one's real. That one is real. You hear that, Trader Risky? You could reach me at my. I did, and that was a different number. He left, I think. No, well, this is a new one. This is this is this is a uh, the Citibank oh, that's one. Insane. That's this, 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 is, this is Citibank, but you can hear it now, right? Yep. Correct extension, which is seven zero three two. Yeah, this sounds very real. Now this is not a sales call. It's a personal. <laughs> message saved. Oh, he saved that New one. Message. Uh-huh. Oh. Hey, I'm going from St. Medical Dental Center. This message is for Adnan. I'm going to confirm your appointment for tomorrow with a Dr. Nick Geary. Time 3.15 p.m. To confirm, cancel or reschedule your appointment, please... Yeah, he has a doctor's appointment. Contact us at 267-X718-336. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. At least he saved the message from the doctor. Thank you for being a part of the Citibank family. We know you're busy, but if you could please just take a few minutes... We know you're busy scamming people on poker, but... Please come to our website and pay your credit card. Come on, Mohammed. Pay us a little bit, scam a little bit more, and pay your credit card off. To review your account status, it would be appreciated. (laughs) Review your account status, like your late status. Message saved. New message. Thank you for being a part of the Citibank family. We know... Message saved. New message. Thank you for being a part of the Citibank... (laughs) Citibank's pretty uh, persistent here. New message. Thank you for being a part of the Citibank family. We know you're busy. Message saved. New message. This guy couldn't pay a $90 fucking rent. To replay this message... Now, that's not really true. He doesn't owe $90 in rent. He actually owes rent plus $70 late fee. But whatever. You get the idea. Me- message saved. Saved message. 
yes, hi. Um, this is Deborah calling from Genesis Road. Okay, so it's, it's the same ones again, so I'm going to stop this here, but... Yeah, you heard. I mean, a lot of collection agencies. You had Citibank. You had you had even what sounds like a scammer trying to rescam him. You had a lot of things here that make it clear that he he's moving the Bentley from uh, New Jersey to Nevada, even though he claimed he drove it. Interesting stuff. So that add more evidence to add to the pile that Mohammed's a piece of shit. But again, Adnan, I know you don't want this out there. I can understand that, and you know what to do: stop scamming people, pay your bills, be honest with people, take care of the poker players that got screwed by you and uh i will be happy to cooperate with uh, keeping these things private so it shows you what happens when you scam people there's people who come out and, and do this to you now this was originally posted to two plus two i don't know if it's still up there i know that the youtube is now gone but i don't know if this is uh, still on two plus two and the person who brought this to me said that they suspect two plus two would eventually delete it so it is interesting to me whether or not it would have been deleted. Well, it doesn't matter, Jeff. They probably just embedded the YouTube video anyway, right? Well, I'm, so I'm saying, I, I, anyway. right? I wonder if they deleted the message though in the first place. Here, let me let me go to. Um, yeah, it looks like it's just gone. It's a uh, who's next? Uh, Malad on two plus two wrote, "Sorry, sorry, two plus two does not allow hacked voicemails to be posted on its site." That's what I thought would happen. That's exactly what I thought would happen. The 2 plus 2 was going to remove it just because it's a hacked voicemail and that Adnan was going to complain to YouTube and they would take it down. But can't complain over here. So... I would definitely wrap all of the uh, stuff that he did around it. Yeah. And you should probably edit out the vendor numbers too so people don't start blowing them up yeah maybe I should it's a lot of work but I may have to do this <laughs> definitely for the doctor's office the collection agencies yeah I probably should what a pain in the ass I have to go edit files after this but okay well, I'll just do the doctor's office the no, I mean, agencies I, I, they I, probably I, want everybody's help to track them down <laughs> right <laughs> they probably do yeah you know it's uh this, this is what has to be done in order to get these scammers to pay up. That's uh, Sometimes things have to be done to, to make it happen. And as I said, I didn't do this. I don't know who did this. I'm just uh, reposting it, what was posted already up on And you YouTube. probably had to ship the Bentley out because you didn't have a Citibank credit card to rent a car in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> So it's uh, it's unfortunate that these scammers are out there, and normally I would never support this, but uh, in some cases it has to be done. And in this case, uh, and the problem you may say, well, why don't you just sue him? The problem is, it's you sue someone like this, and uh, to collect is very difficult because this is probably someone who subsists on cash that he scammed and so he never has any money you can collect from even if he's driving around a bentley and apparently making sports bets whenever you you can't just collect he doesn't have a bank account you can collect from he doesn't have a house to put a lien against he doesn't have anything that you can grab he can go into court and claim he's broke and probably be telling the truth so collecting is very difficult from someone like this this is what this was so annoying with trying to go after someone who scams you? It's very hard to get the police to take an interest from a per, from a criminal standpoint, 
And from uh, a civil standpoint, you, you can't collect, and you just spend a lot of money on legal fees trying to sue these people, and then they're uncollectible. So sometimes, uh, sometimes you have to do other things to try to get money back that's rightfully stolen from you. And he stole nothing from me, but uh, I feel bad for those who were victimized for a lot of money, and from all the reports I've read, it seems very credible, including from some very credible people who've been in the poker world many years and have never been known to lie or exaggerate. So there will probably be some people who bitch at me about playing this on here. Say, oh, you should never play vo- hacked voicemail. I don't care who did it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could see that, but whatever. But again, this is uh, being shared out here only in an in interest to uh, get those who were uh, scammed to uh, hopefully get their money back. I am just a messenger. Let's move on. Uh, I just th- I do think it's funny how he saved a message from a, a sc- another scammer. Thinking, yeah, that sounds credible. My social security number was used to defraud people. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> that's, that's probably what he thought when he listened to it. He's like, yeah, another one. Okay, yeah, I, I believe it. I'm not even going to call him back. I believe it. I did it. Sounds like something I'd do. Okay, moving on. Uh, a sad story where we don't quite have the answer yet. But definitely something happened that isn't good. A Russian online poker pro has died at the age of 26. But not just any Russian poker pro, but a female, very attractive Russian poker pro. Her name was Lilia Novikova. She was from Russia. She played online as Lie 5 that's L-I-A-Y-5. She was pretty well known in Russia. She had an Instagram page. She uh, loved to post pictures of herself in uh, in various poses and states of undress. There's no nudes of her that I can see, but some scantily clad photos and towels and stuff I found uh, online of her. She had a, a really nice-looking picture. You can go find it, by the way. Look for the... I'm going to move this over to the Poker Community Discussion Forum, but it's right now in the Flying Stupidity Forum called uh, Hot Russian Online Poker Pro Dies Due to Accident in Bathtub on the Poker Fraud Alert. You can see the uh, main picture of her, which I believe is filtered. you got to watch out these days for girls that post pictures. There's these filters out there that can make them look much better than they really do. Even hot girls do this to make themselves look even hotter. So you got to watch out, especially on dating sites. Especially on dating sites with women over 40, you got to be real careful because they filter their picture to make themselves look 20 years younger. Uh, anyway, there's a very filtered picture of her sitting in front of uh, online poker tables on her computer. But if, if you scroll down, you can see some more realistic pictures of her, like one of her playing uh, <clears throat> live poker with a Poker Stars patch on that is not filtered, and she still looks very good. And she is uh, no longer alive, unfortunately. She was once a member of PokerStars Team Online Pro. She was a prolific streamer on Twitch, apparently. She was uh, very popular among uh, Russian poker circles. And 
here's what happened. She was found dead in the bathtub. But it's not clear. There's different reports as to what happened to her. There have been some electrocution reports. There's a report that it happened from a hairdryer, which is a common electrocution scenario in the bathtub where someone is sitting in the bathtub and drying their hair and they drop the hairdryer in and it electrocutes them. This has happened for decades. There's the uh, another scenario about electrocution that she had her phone charging on top of the bathtub and it fell in or she, or she was using it and dropped it in while it was charging and it electrocuted her. And then there's another one that uh, she slipped in the bathtub and died in some way. Like either she knocked herself unconscious and couldn't breathe in the water or just some kind of blunt force trauma killed her. There are all kinds of bathtub-related accidents that happen every year, usually to old people, but occasionally to people who aren't old. It's kind of hard to get the whole story, and the Russian news media has not been particularly transparent about this, and there's a lot of different stories going around. I even wonder if this was foul play, and she was murdered in some way. This is Russia. She is known to be a successful online poker player. She's a female living by herself. Uh, in Russia, this type of thing, it, it wouldn't be shocking if someone murdered her in Russia. Maybe there could have been someone threatening her, trying to extort money from her, and she didn't pay, and they did this to make it look like an accident. Uh, maybe it's an ex-boyfriend or some stalker she had that did this. You never know. Especially in Russia. Uh, it does seem confirmed that she has died and that it involves a bathtub in some way. The phone thing, and maybe you guys can tell me if you think this is plausible. Something like a dryer falling into a bathtub, it's pretty obvious that that would kill you. But a phone, that doesn't draw very much current when it's charging. Um, could that really kill you? I mean, maybe if the cord from the wall that was plugged into the socket went in with the phone. But I don't know if that would really... Yeah, I guess it could. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, those are kind of power sources they use there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's, It seems like something that wouldn't kill you, but maybe it would. Maybe it just seems like it wouldn't, but it would. Uh, I guess it's possible that it was from slipping. You know, you could slip, you could knock yourself out, and you could be... Uh, your face could be in the water and die that way but uh, something involving a bathtub happened and she passed away that's it's very sad and uh it would be even worse if somebody killed her to be honest i mean either way she's not alive anymore but if someone it's one thing to be an accident it's another thing to someone to do this on purpose to uh, another human being that'd be very bad uh hopefully the, the information eventually comes out so if someone did do this that there's an investigation and the person is caught uh if it was an accident, then it, the truth coming out doesn't matter as much, but just you know, for everyone's peace of mind that she wasn't killed. Uh, you'll see on this thread, there's various pictures of her, and she, she, she also likes to dye her hair different colors. So sometimes her hair is this weird kind of unnatural-looking pink color. Uh, other times it's, uh, it's blonde, other times it's brown. It, it, there's a picture of her standing on a balcony. I'm not sure where it is. It almost looks like a place with a ski resort. It looks like kind of a ski resort in the background. But it's like a very snow look, snowy, cold-looking place. 
and she's standing on a balcony in just a towel and flip-flops in what looks like a very cold scene. So this isn't, this isn't something you'd normally do. You don't just normally uh, go on the balcony in the freezing cold in a towel right after you take a shower, but she took that picture and posted it. Uh, there's other pictures of her in, in similar style. Again, I didn't see any nudes or anything, but she definitely was trying to play up the fact that she's a hot chick who plays poker. And this did get her onto Poker Stars Team Online Pro at one point. Let me look at her live results. That's the one thing I haven't done yet. I know she was successful online. That I do know. Um, as far as uh, live results, I see she played live from that picture, but I don't know. I don't know uh, how successful she was. So he does have hand and mob results. Yeah, she's she's cashed less than 100k total. She played, uh, it looks like, mostly in Russia. But she did play uh, in other places in Eastern Europe as well. And uh, she has some caches. She, so far, uh, her last cache was in June 2018. So far, she uh, she only got one big score, and that was in December 2015 at a 1,100-euro deep stack in Prague. She finished in first place for about 54,000 U.S. dollars. That's uh, The rest of the caches all seem to be four figures. But as I said, she was mostly an online poker player. So, very sad when someone of that age uh, passes away. Some people on the forum criticized me for my post, and I don't understand it. I really don't. I, I try to when people criticize me for things I post, I try to look at it from their point of view. Even if I don't agree, I try to look and say, okay, well, why are they criticizing me? Do they have a point? Do they have like part of a point? Or I couldn't understand it at all. I, I reported it exactly as it is, and I didn't even say anything bad about her. Uh, I, I basically put out all the facts. Uh, I said that uh, there's a lot of different reports of how it happened. It has to do with a bathtub that she's a hot female poker player, or was a hot female poker player who's 26 years old, um, that she streamed on Twitch, that there's some suspicion there was foul play. I mean, these are, these are all true statements. and It's not saying anything bad about her. But I, I don't know if the people have a hard time with me uh, talking about possible foul play or saying that she was hot. I mean, she, I think she'd be happy to hear herself described as hot after she died, because the, she definitely made the attempt to play that up online. This wasn't a girl who said, oh, I just want to be known for my poker accomplishments, don't look at me. This is someone who really wanted you to notice that she was a hot chick who played poker. So fine. So that's it. I'm sure she'd be happy to hear that she's being described this way after her death. Not, nothing degrading about that. I mean, that's, that's good for her. Up till up till what happened, uh, uh, she had both the looks and the uh, the poker success. A lot better than being an ugly poker player who's successful. <laughs> it's not insulting to say someone's good looking. I don't understand people's criticism sometimes. I just don't get it. I don't even criticize those who are attractive females that do play it up because. There's a marketing op- opportunity there. Yeah, the truth is, if you're a hot f- young female who's good at poker, 
there's a lot of ways to get yourself sponsored. And and why not use that? Why not market yourself for something that you have that's unusual? Nothing wrong with that. If, if I were a hot 25-year-old girl, I'd do the same thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's why... Uh, I remember when Maria Ho first... Uh, kind of came to people's attention. I knew who she was before that because she played Limit Hold'em at Commerce, but when she came to people's attention by finishing like 32nd in the main event, I thought she kind of underutilized the whole like hot young chick playing poker angle. I felt that she wasn't exploiting that enough. And then shortly thereafter, she did. <laughs> she appeared on uh, some TV show with Tiffany Michelle. I think it was like The Amazing Race. And then she... Then she finally caught on, and then she, she started trying to appear in as much as she could. That, in fact, that's why she and Tiffany Michelle became friends, to kind of do this together. But I, I was saying that she didn't do enough of that. Now she does, but I was saying before she didn't do enough of that. Nothing wrong with getting attention that way if you have the ability to do so. I don't like when people get attention in some ways through dishonesty, through lying, through scamming, but not by using something true that they're attractive. Okay, let's move on here. I hope the true cause is found, even if it's never revealed. I just hope it's found. I just hope it's found and understood. Because it's tragedy when someone dies and then someone gets away with having done something. Here's someone who gets away with a lot of things, though it doesn't seem like anything violent, but definitely on a, from a financial standpoint. Randall Emmett, who we recently talked about on this show, for owing a million dollars to 50 Cent... And that whole flap they had on social media that got pretty contentious and 50 Cent threatening him and Randall being scared and accidentally calling him Fofty instead of 50, which people started laughing at. And in fact, that's why the Big 50 event at the World Series is called the Big Fofty by many people, including me. So that story started to die out finally until it got uh, kind of restarted. The story took on new life when it was found that Randall Emmett owed people in poker as well. I know you're shocked. I know you're shocked that someone who owed a million dollars to 50 Cent, who, and this guy also plays poker, that he might also owe people in poker. I know that's a shocker, but it's true. The first one to call him out, Kelly Minkin, darling of last year's main event. Very uh, an attractive female who is aggressive and good at poker. She goes by the illest, T-H-E underscore I-L-L-E-S-T on Twitter. She tweeted, after being jerked around since January, Emmett, referring to Randall Emmett, finally paid his debt after I ran up on him at the World Series and had multiple people try to collect. Heard he owes many people. If he owes you, comment in this thread. Enough is enough, Randall Emmett. Pay your debts. So good for Kelly for calling him out after she got paid. She didn't like, okay, well, I got my money. Not my problem anymore. She like, you know, she gets the money and then she's like, okay, 
now I want everybody to know what a piece of shit he is, and he owes a lot of people money, and everybody put your story out there. Very good. Very good, Kelly. I approve. Give you a big thumbs up for that. She then went on to write, no one wants to call people out on shit like this before they get paid for fear of never getting paid, and no one wants to call them out after they get paid because they got paid. This practice needs to stop. But I don't understand because she didn't call out before she got paid, but at least she called after. So, again, still a thumbs up. So then uh, someone responded, he only pays under immense pressure. If you make a, a bet or make a loan, you'll have to fight for it. Been there, done that. So this is uh, someone named Nick Vertucci who was implying that he got ripped off as well after he had to pressure him. Someone named uh, Lewis Shepard claimed he owes me 10 k uh, A listener to this show actually included me on it and, and said, uh, didn't owe me, but thanks for the chips, Randall. And this is actually someone who played against Randall. And I heard about this. This person told me, it's a radio listener, this person told me that Randall uh, was at their table and it was one of the best games they'd ever played at. It was five ten no limit and he was just shooting off like crazy. Just going nuts. So this guy kind of just sat back and waited for quality hands and spanked him and won like 10K against him. So that's, that's where your money's going, is to shoot off at the poker table. It's not that Randall doesn't have the money, he just doesn't want to pay you. You saw he, he rounded up a million bucks to pay Fofty pretty quickly, when he was afraid Fofty was going to crack his head. <laughs> so, uh, scrolling down here, uh, let's see here. This might be the reason he calls around, he walks around with a bodyguard. That looks like just a random obese man. Uh, a, name, a guy named Peter at Peter Poker two six nine zero said Randall owes me seven hundred fifty three dollars forty five cents, and then called on fifty cent to collect for him. I don't know if these people are all serious, but uh, I have to imagine some are. Brendan at B Doyle D O Y L E seven 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 B Doyle seven 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 wrote he owes me five k. It would be funny if people are just saying that and they just assume he'll pay them. <laughs> if like that he forgets who he's borrowing it from. That would be a good angle on him. Just say he owes you money and then he'll go, oh yeah, I probably did. Okay, here it is. So here's one that you can definitely believe. This is a very credible person. Daniel Anderson. She wrote, In poor judgment, I spotted Randall 5K at the table in exchange for a check. The next day, it took three trips the bank, multiple texts, and way too much of my time before there were sufficient funds for the check to clear. In an LOL twist, as they are finally counting out my dollars, he has the nerve to call me and say, see, I took care of you, didn't I? Don't be so dramatic. No apology, no thank you. Super cool. <laughs> That's pretty screwed up. So she, He writes a check to her in exchange for 5k at the poker table. It keeps bouncing, and she has to keep going back and forth to the bank. And keep calling him over and over. Come on, come on, get the money in there, get the money. Finally, he gets it in there after all his attempts. Finally, the check clears and he, she has the money. And then he has the nerve to call up and say, See, I took care of it. Stop being so dramatic. Leave me alone. Instead of saying, Sorry, this whole thing happened. Amazing. That's from Daniel Anderson. You can definitely believe that. 100% that's true. Very credible person. Um... I don't know if this guy is joking. This has nothing to do with Fofty, but it's kind of a or Randall Emmett, but this is kind of a funny 
thing he said. I, I still don't know if this person was screwing around or if he's serious. I kind of think he's serious. He wrote, I gave a platonic friend, uh, sorry, platonic female friend, I gave a platonic female friend some money to pay her phone bill. It wasn't that much, but she promised to pay me back. I also sent her leads for jobs and paid for a few dinner dates. I asked for the money back before coming to Vegas. She played it like I was harassing her and blocked me. Yeah, I saw that one coming. Jeez. There's a lot of gullible guys. You may think, oh, this is a joke. This is probably a real story. There's a lot of really gullible guys who want to get a date with certain girls so badly that like, the girls will ask him for money and they'll just do it. They'll just give them whatever and just hope this is going to lead to a date. And then what happens a lot of times is the girls will just use them for what they can and just ignore them. Like the girls are not even intending upon dating them. And they, and they don't ever promise that. They just kind of, they know the reason the guy's doing it and then they just take, 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 take and then they're like, what? What, what did you expect? You thought you were going to buy my love? No, I never said that. I thought we were just friends. How could you think that about me? But of course, you know, the girls know what they're doing the whole time. So there's girls who do that. And there's gullible idiot guys that fall for it. Sometimes even offer it on their own, thinking it's going to get them somewhere. Never does. This never works. At best, you'll, you, you know, you, it could be almost like a prostitution situation where you can hold out and say, you know, you do something for me, I'll do something for you. But then, yeah, why not just get a prostitute then? But in most cases, these girls are never going to have sex with you. They're never going to think better of you. They're, they're never going to do anything for you. They're not going to date you. They're not going to have sex with you. Nothing like that. They just you're, – you're, you're so much in the friend zone if you're to the point of lending them money without ever having dated them. So keep that in mind. Scrolling down here. Let's see what else I can find. The Daniel Anderson was the most interesting one. Aside from the Kelly Minkin story. Um, let's see, anything else? Yeah, from M. Shine, who's at Big Boss Ballin, exactly as it sounds, at Big Boss Ballin. Emmett owes me $7,500, hasn't paid me since... November 2018, despite repeated promises since then. I think I kind of believe this. He's probably not that ballin' anymore, this big boss. He's probably big boss, uh, formerly ballin'. <laughs> At one point he was ballin' and loaded Emmett $7,500 and has not been paid back, and it's been since November. Not good. And let's see here. Uh, scrolling down if I can find anything else here no that's about it here I think anyway one one more here from uh, Johnny Brownleader which is at Johnny English 1 wrote I've played with him in a home game in LA similar issues of taking forever to pay his debt but dead aside, what a massive loudmouth douchebag. Guy needs to shut the fuck up and have some grace. So you get the idea. Randall Emmett uh, just apparently borrows money at the poker table and people give it to him. And the reason people give it to him is not out of generosity. Because he's a fish. He's a fish. He's shooting off money. 
And he says, oh, man, if only I could rebuy it. I just don't have it with me. Hey, can you take a check? Hey, you know, can I just can you loan me some? I'll pay it back tomorrow. And people are like, oh, sweet. I can win even more off the fish. Yeah, this is some rich producer. Of course I should loan him the money. Like, okay, picture if you had Steven Spielberg in your poker game and he was a fish. I don't know if he is a fish, but I don't know if he even plays poker. But let's say Steven Spielberg was in your game and was a fish. And he shot off all the cash he brought. And he said, hey, can you loan me some money? I'll send it back to you tomorrow. You go, yeah, it's Steven Spielberg. Of course he's going to pay me. This guy has a fortune. Of course he's going to pay me tomorrow. Yeah, sure. Let's keep the game going. Here you are, Steven Spielberg. I'm sure you'll pay me. So Randall Emmett is nowhere near the level of Steven Spielberg, but you get the point. You see why people loan the money to him, because they want to keep the fish in action, and they figure he's this uh, known producer. He's got to have it. And he also flaunts his lifestyle, much like Adnan Muhammad. So people loan it to him, and then they find the bad news that uh, he won't pay. It's not even that he can't pay, he just won't pay. I think uh, he just constantly goes through money. He obviously has money coming in, because that's how he eventually pays people, and that's how he gets the money to shoot off in the first place. Well, it's probably a con- and it's maybe a cost also that he's borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Sometimes his money is being sent, it's uh, being borrowed. But like this million dollars he sent to Fofty, like where'd that come from? Did he borrow from someone, or did he really have it? And he just uh, he just has a habit of borrowing and not paying people back. Maybe he just gets away with it. He just figures he might as well, even if he has the money behind. This uh, Lala Kent from Vanderpump Rules, that show, uh, very much younger than him, very shallow. Really doesn't seem like the type would stick around if he's not spending money on her. I wonder how long that's going to last before she ditches. So. Screwed up guy for sure. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, okay. Daniel Negreanu is in more controversy. On his Twitter, I know that shocks you, but Daniel Negreanu is in an argument again, this time over a suggestion he made regarding a form of satellites. This is uh, a tweet he started on June 13th. Love it or hate it, a tourney idea where, say, there are 100 players, 10 tables of 10, dealer deals a hand, and whoever wins the hand is in the money and in the final 10 then you play the tourney as normal. So I guess this isn't so much a satellite, this is more like, uh, well, I guess it's kind of like a satellite and a poker tournament, where he's saying uh, the first 90% get eliminated by luck, the last 10% play it out as a regular tournament. So he's saying that uh, everybody gets in the money who lucks into the first part, and then everybody else from there goes on with the same stack to play out pretty much like a one-table sit-and-go. Now, Matt Glantz, a listener to this show, said, I've seen this before as a last-minute single-table satellite to get into an event. Most people love it, especially if the venue makes it rake-free. But I'm guessing most people would prefer to leave it as a satellite to get into the event and not an actual part of the tournament. So Matt Glantz is saying, look, if there's no time to play out a satellite, people like to just do the kind of a flip, a 10-way flip, to where one person gets it. But uh, if given the choice, people would rather just play out a regular satellite, which I think I agree with. 
So then Daniel said back to Matt Glantz, they did these at the PCA, the PokerStars PCA, and called them flip-outs. Easier to do online, but there's a lot to, to like about these events. Gives casual players a much better chance of making the money and experiencing the thrill of a final table. Not for the World Series of Poker, obviously. So what Daniel's saying there is uh, give the just gambler a chance to luck his way in, because there's no skill in the first part. Everybody goes all in blind, and whoever wins the hand moves on at a, at a table of ten. And... He's saying that since the first part is luck, that bad players will win an equal number of times as good players, and then they'll go on to the final table, which at that point is skill-based. So it gives these fish a thrill of making the final table, and also allows the skillful players to win the second part. So, you know, some people agreed, some people disagreed, uh... Moore didn't like it. He made a poll, love it or hate it, in which 13,200 people voted, and 77% said hate it. So most people didn't like this who were following him that uh, voted on this. But then a poker player named Jonathan Zahn responded back. And Jonathan Zahn is not uh, particularly well-known. He only has a few hundred followers. Uh... I'm not even sure what he's done tournament poker-wise. Let me see. Yeah, he's he really doesn't have much. He's played some like three-figure buy-in events and cashed a total of 7,200. So this is this is not uh, a well-known pro by any means, but uh, nevertheless, he got in an argument with Negranu. He said, you can take the aging poker star out of poker stars, but you can't take the aging poker stars out of the poker star. So Negranu responded back, creating formats that would benefit recreational players and also be fun is good for poker, period. But okay, bro. Now, now here's his first mistake. Here's his first mistake. Jonathan Zahn is, is it's not like some big-name poker player responded. This, this Jonathan Zahn is, is not a known player in poker. I'm not saying he doesn't have a right to comment. He, he does as much as anybody else, but he doesn't have a big reach, and the way Twitter works is that people pay much less attention to those that don't have many followers. So, And there's going to be trolls. When you're a guy like uh, Negranu, you're going to have a lot of people trolling you and making fun of you and criticizing you, and you've just, you've just got to ignore them. So, so he responds back, and they gets in this argument back and forth, and and Jonathan Zahn makes some decent points, and then Negreanu doesn't look good. This this is where he should stay away. This is where Negreanu just shouldn't engage. And, and you know, I'll, I'll have people troll me sometimes on Twitter, and I'm re- tempted to type a response, and they go, no, this person has like like five followers. Why, why would I want to give this attention? So I, I don't even answer. Anyway, uh, before I go on, Trader Risk, are you still there? I didn't bother to ask him if he drank his tea yet. That was an important question. I forgot. No, I'm here. You're here. I'm good. But I am. But the tea has been. I'm drinking the tea and fading fast. Okay. But I'll be up a little bit. Okay. So so he goes on to say this uh, in response to Negreanu saying, "But okay, bro," and he's saying it benefits recreational players. Jonathan Zahn said, "Your idea doesn't benefit recreational players. Just folks who enjoy lottery and poker as a lark, best of both worlds, etc." Clearly an awful idea conceived by the Stars group and pitched to Daniel, who forgot about it, but then, quote, created it all of a sudden now that he's a free agent. So uh, Jonathan's accusing him of taking some kind of discarded Poker Stars idea and, and putting it back out there 
as his own. I don't know if this is true. Perhaps Negreanu really just came out with this on his own. Negreanu wrote back, you're wrong. Take the worst player in a 100-player field. How often will he make the top 10? How about never? Now that player can experience what it's like to play at a final table. Now kindly go sip your haterade somewhere else and get off my lawn. Hmm. See, this... You don't have to do this, Daniel. You don't have to engage every troll who calls you out. So then Daniel goes on to say, this event has less skill. That always helps the weaker players. It's not rocket science. It's obvious. Jonathan Zahn came back with, I mean this respectfully as a fan. This is the fundamental disconnect between your stars group paychecks and real poker. Even the worst poker player in a 100-person poker tournament wants to play poker. They paid to play poker. Not a lottery or a contest or a drawing. Poker. That's a good point. And that's what I was saying before about these day two entries, that uh, the fish all enter on day one at the very beginning because they're there there to play poker. And even if told there's an advantage to entering day two, they're going to go, yeah, but I get to play like one hand. If I bust and I'm out, so screw it. I, I don't want to enter day two. That's what this fish would say. The fish are actually there to play poker. So Jonathan Zahn saying the fish aren't going to like this. They're not going to like where they have to do some kind of mindless gamble to get to the final table first and then play the poker. He also says, and I don't even begrudge you, this is Jonathan Zahn, I don't even begrudge you those checks. I congratulate you for becoming a bona fide household name. You earned the stars checks, and their corporate decision-making doesn't change that. But now that you're not getting paid by stars, parroting their company line is weird. Now, I'll say that I don't think this is necessarily parroting their line. He's not doing this for stars, Negranu, but uh, I, I do kind of see Jonathan's point that he's saying like that stars almost brainwashed Daniel to think that, quote, anything that equals the playing field for rec players is what everybody wants. Uh, Jonathan's on saying, no, a lot of times the fish want the same thing as the pros, even if they're not as good at it. So Daniel says, I'm not, and it's tilting that you go there. Just an absolute asshole thing to say. This is a fun format. If you don't like it, don't play. I'm not towing anyone's line. It's called common sense coupled with fun. Some like to gamble. Let them. Jonathan says back, the next time I see a Daniel Negreanu smiles as he plays table games in the pit photo somewhere, I'll agree with you. Only thing is, I won't because you don't. You play skill-based games because you enjoy them. So, so do online poker players, even bad ones, even the worst ones. Daniel says back, first of all, this isn't about online poker. It's about a poker game, period. Not sure why you keep going there. I don't have an edge in the pit. I would have an edge in these. Lastly, you are being super annoying right now. Seriously. Jonathan says back, vlog about a dude. You posted this bullshit here, so I'm responding here. You, re- you follow me, I follow you. That's how Twitter works. Until some genius creates a randomized Twitter feed that makes this nonsense more fun or less skilled tweeters, you'll be in luck. Daniel says back, feel free to tweet at me, but when you post dumb accusatory shit out of nowhere, I may call you a jerk. It's a simple idea. You don't like it, cool, but to insult my character for suggesting the idea? What's wrong with you, seriously? See, Daniel needs a lesson in just ignoring trolls. When, when you're a big name like he is, one of the biggest names in poker, you're going to have trolls. So uh, don't, don't engage these, these trolls who, uh, even if they got a good points or, or, or question your character, just ignore them. That's what you got to do. I'm not even saying I disagree with this Jonathan guy. I know he's, Jonathan, he's not even trying to troll so much. He's just kind of aggressively disagreeing with him. But Daniel's cl- clearly getting insulted by it. So if he is, just don't respond to him. Jonathan wrote back, I'm hardly the first to question your motivations, not your character. You're obviously a decent dude for hawking nonsense, chance-based bullshit poker games. And hey, I like nonsense, chance-based games like anyone else, but your platform makes said hawking irresponsible. 
Daniel says back, I don't represent any online company nor brick and mortar. I like fun formats. This isn't a suggestion to appease anyone who pays me. This sounds like fun. You took it to a place that was just way out of line and uncalled for, totally unprovoked. Jonathan says back, I never said you do. I said you did for 12 years, a feat in which I congratulated you on sincerely. What I said was, you can't take poker stars out of the poker star because I believe after that, after 12 years from a Maya to stars group, a corporate entity subsidized you. Which again, congrats. That's awesome. You were the best. It's the best paid you. Bravo. But they don't pay you anymore. Your, your present tense of framing pays me earlier notwithstanding. So I'm simply questioning why you're carrying on Star's recent strategy of chance more than skill. So I think the point he's not making clear here, I think if he did, Negroni would understand better. I think Negroni is kind of not understanding the guy's point. What the Zon guy should have said very clearly is, I think you've spent so long with defending these chance-based games that, that Amaya kept introducing, that it's, it's kind of warped your thinking. And now you're so used to doing that that even when you're not being paid, you're, 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 you still think these things are a good idea. You've actually kind of been brainwashed into thinking it's a good idea, and you've got to change your thinking. You're, you're out of touch. That, that's what he should say. But in, instead, it's, it's not quite getting through. And that's why Negron is not understanding it. Negron wrote back, you make the mistake of thinking that my views are shaped by my previous employer rather than my own independent common sense. So I guess he finally understood it. Uh, all my life I've believed pros are far less important to an ecosystem than Rex, because it's true. So my views align with that. Jonathan wrote back, here's the thing. I'm not so much concerned with your previous employer shaping your views. I'm concerned that your views will shape your future employer. So yeah, if you sign with party, then party rolls out another lottery-like poker product. That's a sucky situation in my book. So, so now Jonathan is, is claiming his concern that the next time uh, he gets hired somewhere, that he'll throw things out like this and, parties, and the party or whatever his next employer is going to be go, oh yeah, good idea, we're going to run that out there. <laughs> so he, he's afraid that if this is what Daniel thinks is good, it's going to influence poker for the worse, which is a fair point. So when influential advocates things that kind of ruins poker in a way, makes it more chance-based than skill-based, uh, that can be dangerous because... He has influence, and venues and sites can agree with him and start rolling out those products. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut <laughs> these type of things. I can, I can go along with that one. I do think Daniel still has too much resentment towards pros. I think that was kind of a brainwashing that he got. I think he always understood the fish were important to the game, but I always understood that too. So you can understand fish are important to the game without vilifying pros. And Daniel's taking this extra step, like that pros are bad for the game, fish are good for the game. And the correct way to look at it is fish are good for the game, and pros are inevitable to be there. So as long as the pros are not scaring off the fish, as long as games are not unfair to the fish, then everything's fine. But you can't hate the fact that there's going to be winning players. And you know what? And this is something that Daniel ignores. Let's say we took away the top 80% of all poker players. So just let's say they just were banned from playing poker. They all just massively died. Whatever. We just take them away so they can't ever play poker again. Nor can anybody else enter the game. So we're just... The only poker players we have left are the existing bottom 20% in skill. Guess who would be the new pros? 
the former fish who were in the 19th and 20th percentile in skill. Because now they're the best. Now they are going to be the winners. It's the reverse of the old saying, if you are the ninth best poker player in the world and they sit you at a poker table with the eight best players, you are the fish. This is the reverse. You have the worst players. If you're the least bad among them, you're the pro. You're the shark. I saw kind of an example of this on the Boss Media Network back in 05. There were very few good players there. There was me. There was a good friend of mine at the time. And then there were a few kind of otherwise break-even-ish type players who suddenly were winning a lot of money there because everybody else was terrible. And yeah, everybody else was terrible. And there were actually people who I know would have been losing players, clear losing players on you know, average sites at that time, like Poker Stars Party, the people who would have been not huge fish, but kind of eventual losers who were winning pretty well on there just because the competition was so soft. There just weren't enough sharks there to beat them. But if you took me away and you took uh, my friend away and you took the next two best people there, and I can tell you that me and my friend were the best two because they actually published by initials who the biggest winners were each month and it was always either me or my friend. But you took away the two of us and you took away the next two people who were win- consistent winners there. You really would have fish who are winning players on there. You would actually have had fish, or at least semi-donks, who were consistent winners on that site. If you took just like the top four of us off of there. So I've seen it happen. And Daniel doesn't understand that. Daniel just thinks... There's bad players, there's good players, the good players are bad for the poker economy, let's get rid of them, let's thwart them, let's hurt them, let's uh, let's do away with them, let's make things tougher on them. No! You're always going to have people at the top, doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter how good they are. There's always going to be better, there's always going to be worse. Impossible to have a poker game where everyone's the same skill. Impossible. So it's, it's a stupid goal. You can try to make things where the sharks are not predatory toward the fish, such as uh, banning those HUDs, banning seating scripts, and uh, you can put things like anonymous tables, which I don't think help very much, but uh, at least it stops the practice of bum hunting. I I don't agree with them because uh, the fish lose anyway. The only thing that ends up happening is the pros play each other longer before they realize they're playing pros. But, you know, you can make attempts to make the fish uh, last longer, but it shouldn't be trying to vilify the pros or stop the pros or uh, ban the pros. You're going to have better players no matter what. Stupid. Daniel doesn't get it for some reason, and I think that is kind of a brainwashing. Somebody, uh, I want to mention this. This is uh, we're done with this topic here, but I want to mention something else before we go on, just briefly. Jess Wellman 
who I respect a lot. She's a, a smart woman who has uh, worked in poker media, worked for the World Series. Um, she's been around for over 10 years, associated with the poker scene. I agree with most of the things that she tweets, and uh, I think pretty highly of her. I don't really know her very well. Uh, you can find her at Jess Wellman, that's J-E-S-S-W-E-L-M-A-N. Wellman is with uh, one L. And she tweeted that she found somebody at the seniors event who obviously has to be at least 50 who was on Tinder, the dating app, listed as 40. (laughs) So she didn't name the person. She just mentioned that it was funny seeing someone listed as 40 that she knows for sure played the seniors event, meaning they're at least lying about their age by 10 years. And presumably it was a guy. Presumably she was on Tinder and was scrolling through the uh, the guys there and found this guy here and it says 40 and she knows for sure she's at least fi- that the guy's at least 50. Uh, Kessler actually did this. Alan Kessler, a, a spat came up about uh, a year and a half ago where a woman mocked Kessler, not because of his false age, which would have been a fair criticism, but just mocked him for being on the dating site at all. And she wasn't even attractive herself, so... Uh, she was kind of like making fun of him, like, oh, look at him, you know, a big swipe left or whatever whatever the no is. I think it's left. Um, kind of mocking him, like, for being on there at all, which I thought was kind of mean-spirited. But the actual insult there that she didn't realize was that he put his age down as, I think, 46, when in reality he was 56. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people lie about their age on these apps, these dating apps. But it's funny when something like that comes out that uh, shows them. But I responded back to Jess Wellman saying this is useless unless we know who it is. And I wasn't criticizing her. I just, I knew she wasn't going to say anyway. But I was just, uh, I was hoping, I was kind of just taking a shot that maybe she'd say who it was. or Because I, 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 would, I would say it on this show. I mean, it's not a huge deal. I just think it's kind of funny. And I would say it on the show. But then someone jumped on me and said, the, uh, what are you going to do with it? And I said, I might or might not put it on my show. And they gave me a hard time. And look, you know, if it, I'm not looking to have anything bad happen to anyone who does something like that. But it's kind of funny. You know, it's kind of funny if you, you put yourself as 40 on a dating app and then you go play the seniors event. That, that's worth mentioning. If someone calls you out for that, that's your fault for putting yourself down under a totally false age. I've heard so many stories of people meeting off these dating apps where they look nothing like their picture, especially people over 40 who use either old or filtered pictures. It's usually the guys usually using the old pictures and the women using the filtered pictures. But I've heard so many stories from people of both sexes that they meet people off Tinder and then they look way older than they really did or way worse than they did in the, in the picture. Like every time the pictures are way better or way younger looking. And I always thought that was stupid because what's the whole point of these apps? The whole point of these apps is to either get a relationship going or to have sex or, or both, okay? So what happens when someone thinks you're much younger looking than you really are or much more attractive than you really are and then you show up and you're not? Do, do you think they just don't notice? you think they don't have eyes? 
they, they have a letdown. And that's the last thing you want on a first date is, is an immediate letdown. You want the reverse. You want them to have low expectations and be pleasantly surprised. You do much better that way. Um, I, I had that myself back uh, when I met girls off of computer bulletin boards back, back in uh, 89, 30 years ago. Makes me feel old to talk about 30 years ago with dating. But okay, 30 years ago, nobody had pictures. You're on computer bulletin boards, and there was a girl I was talking to on the phone for a while, and I, I, I stupidly told her that I was still a virgin, which I was, but I, I told her I was still a virgin. And uh, yeah, I wasn't that experienced talking to girls yet. I, I probably revealed some things I probably just hurt my chances with her. But anyway, as a result of me revealing that and other things, that it, she just wasn't that excited about meeting me. Well, she liked me as a friend like on the phone, but we, like we, we, she wasn't really that into meeting me. She never suggested it. We just kind of always talked. And I liked her, but I didn't really say anything. Anyway, uh, one day my friend who, who I put on three-way with her, and he kind of pressed the whole thing pretty quickly to meet, and he didn't have time to make the same mistakes I did on the phone. So she said, okay, sure. So he came and picked her up and brought her to go meet me. Or, you know, to meet him, and then you know he ended up bringing her back to my area, so she met me too. And when she met me, all of a sudden she starts flirting with me really heavily, like she never had on the phone. And she was pretty too. I was I was actually pleasantly surprised by how she looked. And she started flirting with me really hard. And I'm thinking, I, you know, why is this happening? Why is this happening in person? And on the phone, she never acted this way. And I found out later is that because of the stuff I said about still being a virgin and having little experience with girls, and all, she pictured me to be like really ugly. So she was sure. She'd never seen a picture of me. She only heard a description, which was you know, pretty generic. Uh, she was sure that she would meet me and not be attracted to me. Therefore, she just wasn't that interested in meeting. Then she met me and she was attracted to me. And it was like a, such a pleasant surprise that it made her like me even more. Now, however, if I had bragged about how I'm like the best looking guy she's ever going to meet and just constantly hammered about how great-looking I was, and we met, I bet she would have been let down. Because there I would have fallen short of her expectations. But here, the expectations were so low, and then she met me and actually thought I was attractive, and I was so much higher than what she expected, it was it gave me a big boost. And she told me this later. I, I'm not just guessing that. She told me this later. And and I realized at the time that that I actually had discovered something, that you don't... I, I didn't make some of the same mistakes of making myself seem like uh, uh, I was having trouble getting girls because then you know they, they have too low expectations. They don't want to meet you at all. But I, I learned that you don't try to build yourself up too much or otherwise uh, you can fail to meet the standards you set for yourself. And it's sometimes better if they expect you to be worse in person than you really are, at least looks-wise, because then you'll usually beat their expectations. I never understood people using fake pictures. And and rarely have I heard about someone using fake pictures and then it ending up well. Like, the guys who use the fake pictures, they usually are not the ones who get laid from Tinder. And the women who use fake pictures, you know, they'll have sex if they want, because guys are usually down for that no matter what, but um, they usually don't get much farther than that if they've uh, presented themselves as much younger looking or more attractive than they really are by use of filters or old pictures. I just never understood that. As far as lying about your age, I guess if you're if you can pass for that age, and she didn't say well, Jessica Wellman didn't say 
how young the guy looked. So maybe he could pass for 40. I don't know who it was. But if he could and the only goal was just to have sex, I guess, I mean, it's dishonest, but I guess it wouldn't hurt him if he could meet and actually appear to be 40. But he probably couldn't. Not many 50-year-olds appear to be 40. He could even be older than 50. He could be 53. Who knows? Also, another problem is even if you can pass for 40, like, it also hurts you because even if you can just barely pass for it, they're still going to see you and go, ah, he kind of doesn't look that great for 40. He kind of looks like they judge you in a different way. Where if you're 50 and look very good for your age and they meet you, they're like, oh, cool. You know, I expected a 50-year-old to look ancient, but you know this guy actually looks pretty young and attractive. Okay, good. Like they'll actually Sometimes being 50 and then them seeing you and you don't look 50 helps you a lot more than them thinking you're 40 and just don't look that good for your age. But I, I found really early on, it's, it's never good to present something of yourself online that's, that's better than you really are, especially looks-wise. You, you really don't want a situation where you meet in person and, and fail to live up to what their expectations are of you. But some some people just think, hey, you know, I got to get my foot in the door some way, and I, I you know, I don't want to put on fifty three because I'm only going to get women who are fifty three, and I don't want that. I want I want the younger women. I want the ones in their thirties, maybe the twenties, and uh, you know, so only way I can do is by putting on forty. And if you're going to lie, at least lie realistically. At least you put forty five or forty seven, something like that. Don't don't put forty if you're over fifty. It's not going to work. So. When I when I meet people at uh, you know, who don't know my age, uh, they usually think I'm younger than I am. I, I never get older. I never get people like saying I'm fifty. Um, I, I get a mixture of people thinking I'm younger than they, I am, or people who think I'm kind of like close to my age. You know, I'll say how old do you think I am, and 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 I'll say you know tell the truth. Don't try to spare my feelings. Just you know tell me how really old you really think I am. Uh, you know, sometimes I get ones that guess close. You know, forty five, forty four. Uh, 46, you know, th- then I'll get other ones that, that say in the 30s, like 38, 37. Um, never I get more. I, n- I never get older than I actually am. And I, I usually don't even get like within, I usually get 45 or younger. I'm 47. So, in fact, so, someone tried to make some snide comment on the forum about me aging badly. I'm like, you know what? You're going to be at the World Series. Let's, let's, let's place a bet. And I was serious too. I was thinking, any amount of money you want, and we'll during some crowded break at the World Series, we'll just grab ten random people and ask them to honestly say how old they think I am. And I guarantee at least six of those ten will say that I'm uh, younger than my age. And the person wouldn't take me up on it <laughs> because they they knew they they knew that they, they, that would probably happen that I'd probably win that one. But at the same time, like if I said I was thirty-seven, even though. I've actually met some people who think I'm around that age and who compliment me when they hear my real age and they say, oh, wow, I didn't expect, you know, you didn't, you don't look that old. Um, if I put 37, if I was on a dating app and, and I met a woman, they, they would, you know, the problem is they'd see me and they'd probably think, oh, this guy, he probably let himself go. <laughs> he, probably, he doesn't look very good for 37. Looks kind of old. That would probably happen. Okay, I guess it's like a 3 a.m. rant here. I think I got one more topic, too. I shouldn't have ranted about these dating sites. Um, 
Oh, yes. Yeah, so Saw24 in chat says, Daniel ignores the fact that fish want to be winners. Yeah, there's that too. A lot of the fish, they, uh, they want to eventually become a winning poker player, even if they know they're not. They feel like while they're playing, they improve. Every time they play, they get better. Which, which in some cases, it's true. Some, some fish, you'll play against them, and then a year later, you'll play them, and they'll be much better. Uh, most of the great players today started out as fish. But even the ones that will never improve, they, uh, they either think they'll get better, or they think they're already much better than they are. And they'll blame their losing on luck. So you, you don't have to ring fence around the fish and protect them so much. You just let them play. That's what you need to do. Just let them play. It, it's, it sounds very simple, but that's really the best approach. Just let the fish play. Okay, so final topic. Party Poker has decided to stop allowing hand histories. And this is a terrible decision. Now, it doesn't affect those in the U.S. because we can't play party poker. But it is still a very bad decision. And it's pretty surprising given the history that online poker has. Think about the ultimate bet scandal, the absolute poker scandal, where people who actually were in ownership and management in these sites were cheating their own players. And the way this was caught and proven was through hand histories, through analysis of hand histories that were put through tools that can do this analysis. Without these hand histories, this would have been impossible to prove. It would have just sounded like paranoia, being a sore loser. Instead, it was proven that they were cheating, that the rate that they were winning, that the rate that they were betting on the river and being correct was 100% and that nobody can do that. This was proven through analysis of hand histories. And it's very important for players to always have access to that. And Party Poker is going to completely remove access to hand histories on their site on June 17th, which is now just two days from now. It's now June 15th. This will likely coincide with the mandatory screen name change, which is designed to reset all player data to making uh, all the tracking tools like the HUDs less useful because you won't have information. The, the old names will be gone. and You won't know who the new ones are yet. I think the name change, as I mentioned last week, is something good. I think that's something positive, the mandatory name change. But to eliminate the hand histories is outrageous. And all that does is make it easier for cheating to occur, collusion to occur, botting to occur, because players can no longer analyze hand histories to figure out what has been happening to them. On 2 plus 2, a representative from Hold'em Manager, which is a piece of third-party software that analyzes play, uh, they were obviously against this. This hurts their business, but they raise a lot of good points as to why this is bad is that even though poker sites have internal game security, in their own blog, Party Poker reported that for April 2019, there were 39 account closures in that month, and that 15 of them 
almost 40%, were directly attributed to reports submitted by players. So that's interesting, because those probably would not have happened. Almost 40% of the account closures that were as a result of players reporting suspicious activity probably could not have been done without hand histories. They wrote, the lack of the most critical tool, meaning hand histories, allowing players to help police game integrity should be a key factor to consider when deciding which online poker site you support in the future as a player. So they're saying to stop playing at party because of this. And Party Poker recently stated, the uh, CEO of Party Poker, uh, Rob Young, stated, uh, I think he's a CEO, he's someone high up there. He said, uh, I'm absolutely, like 100% sure that Party Poker will eradicate all bots, collusion, and cheating. Which is ridiculous. To claim they're going to eliminate all bots, collusion, and cheating. It's delusional. So Holder Manager wrote, Why should a party poker player be comfortable with a site removing their hand histories when their public statements demonstrate this kind of naivety, or at worst, a willingness to intentionally mislead their players by stating all bots, collusion, and cheating are going to be eliminated by their internal game security going forward? Rob Young also stated, a loss-making bot must be the best thing for a site, but obviously it doesn't matter because you have bots playing poker. Because you can't have bots playing poker. So they're, they're calling that out too. Saying that, why should a bot ever be acceptable? This guy's saying it's the best thing for the site. And he's saying, look, hold the manager saying, look, this is not true. If a bot is there and can beat certain players but not others, that's not fair to the ones it can beat. He says, the fact they make statements like that on some level should undermine confidence or at least raise reasonable questions as to why Party Poker's commitment to eliminating bots. Or, uh, yet, once again, players are asked to, quote, trust us but do not verify. And this post also mentions that eliminating hand histories will provide no benefit to players. True. There is no benefit a player can get from the elimination of hand histories. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, there is one. What about HUDs? What about these uh, tools that analyze people's play? Eliminating the hand histories will prevent those from working, right? Wrong. Because it doesn't mean that they cannot still mine data. There will be third-party tools that will be able to scrape as much data as they can out of these sites. Because screen names, they're being changed, but they're not being eliminated. It's not anonymous play. So third-party tools will pop up that can scrape all the information it can out of every table on Party Poker. And then this can be put together to basically do the same thing. However, these will be accessible only to those who have such tools. And furthermore... Since there won't be information on the hands at Showdown, like the hands that are mucked at Showdown, then there will be less information to use to collect things like cheating, or to identify things like cheating. So this is a very bad thing. 
there's never a good reason to eliminate hand histories. Hand histories are a very, very important part of poker. Now, if you don't play online poker, I know what you might be thinking. When I play live poker, there's no hand histories. Those games are okay. And I never get to see the mucked losing hand. That's only an online thing. So why, why should that be the right of online poker players when live players never get to see that? If you if you beat someone in a hand in a live game and you say, I want that hand turned over, people get really pissed. Not just the guy you're making turn over the hand, but everyone else at the table looks at you like you're the biggest asshole ever. It's a big breach of etiquette in most cases. So how come it's standard in online poker to be able to see the whole cards of losing hands? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, because online there's no way to ask to see the winning hand, so or the mucking hand. So it's it's always been every player's right to see it if they want. It's just an etiquette thing where you usually don't. But you always have the right to if you think you need to in order to find some useful information, especially related to what might be collusion. So online you can't say, hold on a second, show me that hand. Online there's no way to do that. So that's why they provide the hand history so you can just see it all the time if you want. That's the reason they do it. But second, it's more important to online because online you can't see who you're playing against. You can't see if you're playing against a bot. You can't see if you're playing against uh, the same guy using two different devices. You can't see if it's someone who's uh, using multiple accounts on the site. You're just seeing a screen name, which doesn't mean a lot. So there's a lot more opportunities to cheat online than there are live. Live, you can't bot. Live, you can't multi-account. Live, you can't uh, be two people at once. So there's so many ways that you can cheat online that would not be doable in a live game. And for that reason, more information needs to be provided to the player and hand histories, including mucked hands that get to showdown, are an important tool. And it's fair because everybody has access to them. So there's nothing that can be gained from taking these hand histories away. Why is Party Poker doing it? You can just say that because they're evil, because they're assholes, because they love cheaters, but that's not true. So why are they really doing this? They're doing this at the same time that they're forcing you to change your screen name. And that's not a coincidence. The reason they are doing this is, again, kind of the whole Negranu theory of you have to protect the fish. And they've come to the conclusion that hand histories are being used by pros to mine data and identify the fish and then only playing when the fish are sitting, and the fish get destroyed that way. And so, so number one, they're trying to reset all the data so that anything that's been collected so far is useless by changing screen names, which again is fine. And, and second, that going forward, they're making it a lot tougher to collect such data on the new players by eliminating hand histories. And on the surface, that might sound okay, but it's not because of all the problems it opens up that the players no longer have the ability to police their own games. And that's a disaster. That third-party software can still identify who the fish are, identify betting patterns, things like that, but they, as far as policing the games, now you won't be able to anymore. 
So it's very bad. And it shouldn't continue. And hopefully party will be convinced not to do this. They have been talked out of bad decisions before. So hopefully they will reverse on this, which is coming very soon. To show you how 2 plus 2 has fallen, while if this were posted in uh, 2009, this would be a 200-page thread already, this was posted a week ago, or not a week ago, five days ago, on uh, June 10th, and there's only six pages, which means there's uh, fewer than 120 posts on the whole thing. Right in the news, views, and gossip forum, too, the most active forum on 2 plus 2, and they... They have uh, actually, I guess there's more. There. There's ten. There's ten posts. There's ten pages. So it's right now they're up to uh, 240 posts. It looks like, but still, that's not very much for such a huge topic on a site where there are so many poker players. On on Poker Fraud Alert, I'll be honest. On our forum, most of the people who post on the forum aren't very active poker players anymore. Some are poker fans. Some are former players. But there's just not that many active poker players anymore. There's some, but it's not. A lot of people just don't play that much anymore. But 2 plus 2, most of the people are posting there because they play poker. And to only have 240 posts in a thread like this, it, I know I know this doesn't affect people in the U.S., and that's some of it too, but 2 plus 2 has really fallen upon hard times regarding their level of activity compared to what they once were. It's probably why Mason's willing to have me participate there. Lord knows it's not because he likes me. <laughs> he, he hates my guts, but I think he knows that I make good posts and I keep discussions going. I, I don't post there very often, though. Screw him. Like I, I'll post if there's something to say or there's something I really want to comment on, but you'll see I, my posts are sporadic there. It's kind of like a thing I like to have. A, I like to be able to bring attention to certain subjects, but or put in my two cents in certain situations, but I'm not a an active poster. I don't think Mason deserves that, and I don't think that uh, my time is well spent giving Mason free content. So, I post eh, on and off sporadically, and that's it. Well, this show is on and off sporadically during the World Series of Poker. We're done. Assume Trader Ruski's gone. Trader Ruski, there? I have to do my editing job short in a short time here, as suggested by Trader Ruski. Not much editing. If you're going to listen to the archives, it's just uh, editing out. Of, I'm here. Oh, you made it to the end. I can't believe it. Yeah, I, I'm going to be editing a few <laughs> phone numbers out, and I, I think I'm going to kill some fail with me trying to make that call to that number over and over and over again failing. It just wasn't very entertaining. Like, that's the type of stuff I'll remove. I'm going to leave this in. I'm going to, remo- I'm going to leave the discussion of what I'm editing, just for transparency. But I, I am going to – what I do – when I, usually I don't edit at all. Usually I just slap it up as is. But when I'm editing anyway, if I remember a segment of the show, which is like really frustrating to listen to, which is like me trying to call a number over and over and can't get a hold of it or something like that, it, it doesn't make good radio. So I, I'll just wipe all that out. I think I'm going to do that this time. Okay, well, Trader Ruski, how, how did you make it till 3? Did you wake up late today or what, what happened? <clears throat> nope, I'm surprised I did. I may have dozed off a couple times towards the end. Okay, you made it somehow. Trying to hang on to the song. Now, what did you think? I don't think you talked about the uh, new All in the Family or Jefferson's. I don't know if you wanted. Oh, did I not talk about it? Maybe I didn't. Um, 
Yeah, I watched it. Uh, I, so let me see something. I, I'm surprised that they just redid two episodes verbatim. They just took the exact scripts from these uh, from two particular episodes in the '70s, one one from each show, and just did them as is with new actors. The only actor who was the same was uh, the uh, uh, the Florence character on. The Jeffersons, which is a surprise. They didn't uh, say that Marla Gibbs was coming on there. But uh, anyway, this was, this was first of all, the commercials were brutal. It was a 90-minute special to do two reenactments of 30-minute programs, which weren't even really 30 minutes back when they were on, because they had commercials too back then. So you have 30 minutes minus commercials back then. They're doing the same scripts. They have two of them, and somehow it takes 90 minutes. You know that's a problem. So they, boy, were the commercials long. I, even, even DVRing it and fast-forwarding it, I was like, oh, my God, these commercials are going on forever. Or they do something like for two seconds and go back to commercial. That, that was the first thing that irritated me. Uh, second, I, I don't know why they – it was kind of a weird thing to do, to just reenact the episodes again. Uh, I, I like the fact that yeah, – how the sets looked. It was, it was cool that they pretty much – made the exact same sets and it really looked like they were back on those sets in the 70s and that was a cool thing uh, obviously they had a decent budget to make this whole thing because it was on primetime ABC I, I, di- I did feel it was kind of like creatively bankrupt to just completely copy the scripts from the past and, and the problem was most of the actors and actresses were trying too hard to be like a caricature of the actor that had played the part originally. So you had Jamie Foxx trying too hard to be George Jefferson. You had uh, Woody Harrelson trying to be what Carol O'Connor did for Archie Bunker and not doing a good job of it. So I I felt that most of the actors just uh, came off kind of weird and they didn't really do a good job in in, uh, doing this. It would have just been better if they just made their own version of the characters. It was more like impressions that weren't particularly good. Uh... Also, what was weird is that they chose episodes that weren't that great, especially the All in the Family episode they chose. I, I thought that was one of the weaker episodes in the series. I'm talking about the original series. It was a really kind of strange episode that wasn't that good. And it, I think they chose it because it had a variety of characters in it and because it had the Jeffersons, too, so they could bridge it over to the next show. But it just it didn't I, – I didn't like that episode when it originally ran in All in the Family. And I, I put that among the worst ones. I, I was surprised they chose it. So I, I think it would have been a lot better if someone put me in charge of this project. And keep in mind, I, I liked, both, I really loved All in the Family. That was one of my favorite uh, sitcoms of all time. And, and I was a, a kind of a moderate fan of the Jeffersons. But if they put me in charge of this whole thing, first of all, I, I would have had an original script for both. Either I would have set it in the 70s and just have something original, like as if it was written in the 70s, but something that hadn't been seen before. Or I, I would make a, a more modern version of them, like how they would be in 2019. Uh, I, I would keep politics out of it as much as I could, because that's... Uh, the problem is whenever they're... And I know here they were just reenacting the scripts in the 70s, so they, they weren't bringing new politics into it. But I, the problem is... Modern Hollywood has a very hard time doing anything with politics because they're just too tempted to bash Trump and the right. Like, like, and yes, all in the family bashed the right somewhat, but they they did it in in a more subtle 
and much more tolerable way. And they even sometimes showed the left being hypocritical. So like they, uh, the, the modern Hollywood would never do that. They're, they're so afraid to ever make the left look bad in any way, except for sometimes from further left, like the, like criticizing the left from further left is okay. But, uh, they're so afraid to do that these days. They're so afraid to give like validation to Trump and the Republicans. They just won't do it. So like, like I would just completely keep politics out of it. I would write a new script, either set presently or set in the seventies. And I, I would have the actors uh, just be their own version of the characters, not trying to imitate the way the original actors and actresses did. Another weird thing was that the Gloria character, they, they picked a girl who did not look or act like the original Gloria. Didn't look like Sally Struthers, was the wrong hair color. <laughs> how, how hard was it to get a blonde wig for her? And... Uh, she didn't act like Gloria. Like it was so. It was like a totally different character, which is weird. The Mike character they tried to make look like Mike, but he kind of had. He didn't seem to have any energy. It was like a low energy Mike. So, I didn't like the selection of the actors for those two. I, I thought the whole thing just wasn't acted very well. Uh, I did like the sets. I thought that Jennifer Hudson's version of moving on up that she did with a choir in the background. Not a full choir, but like like a four-person choir behind her. I thought that was excellent. thought that was probably the best part of the whole show. thought she did a really good job of it. A little bit weird how she was... They, they had her walking through the entire Jefferson set throughout the whole thing. But uh, aside from that, I thought that was excellent. Really well done. Um, I didn't like how often they were panning away from it to show you that it's it's being done in a studio. It kind of ruined the whole effect, especially to, to see the same setback was cool. You wanted to kind of feel like you're transported back to that time and, and then all of a sudden they show, they're showing the audience and they're moving back and you're seeing the cameras and it kind of ruins the whole thing. Like, fine, show it at the beginning, show it at the end, but don't keep doing it every time you're going to commercial break or otherwise you're you're like being reminded, oh yes, look, you're watching a TV show. There's an audience watching this. Uh, it, it, you know, none of this is real. Like, you know it, but you don't want to be like hit over the head with it. And... Uh, like like the enjoyment of watching the original All in the Family is really yeah, like really you know you're not but you really feel like you're watching a real family from the seventies you really feel like you're you're watching Archie Bunker the real person Edith Bunker the real person like that's way you kind of feel like you're watching and you kind of get into it and forget the fact that you're watching a TV show you don't want to be reminded constantly that uh, you're not uh, even with the, the laugh track you kind of just still get into it. you kind of you just think it's like people watching along with you and laughing at things so. I, I thought this was not that well done. I thought it had potential to be good. I don't know if they're ever going to do it again. But uh, I think they need to do some original things. If you're going to copy the characters in the set, at least make an original story. Very, very strange. Did you watch it? Uh oh. Did Trader Ruski fall asleep through my answer to his question? That's when you know it's time to turn off the show, is when you're. Uh... Oh, no, I, Sorry, I, I, Josh. You're awake, okay. I might have. I didn't know you answered my question. Still. <laughs> okay. Well, when's the next show going to be? The next show is going to be probably on Thursday the 20th. But uh, I can't guarantee that. I, I'll tell you guys the remainder of my World Series schedule before we shut this down. 
Um, and hopefully it goes better than the, the first portion because uh, that was kind of tilting. But here's what I've got left. On June 25th, the 1500 PLO-8, and I will fire a second bullet if I bust the first bullet. You guys have paid for it if you bought pieces of me, so if I don't fire a second bullet, you'll get a refund. Two days later, on June 27th, the $1,500 mixed Omaha. Again, I'll play two bullets if necessary. The 29th, just two days later, $1,500 limit hold'em. Always look forward to that event. July 1st, three days later, I will be playing a satellite for $1,100 buy-in to the 10K limit hold'em. If I uh, make it or don't make it, it doesn't matter, because I'm going to be playing the 10K Limit Hold'em no matter what on July 2nd. I skipped one thing here. Let's go back a little bit. On June 30th, if I don't make Day 2 of the Limit Hold'em, the 1500 Limit Hold'em, that is, I'll play the 888 Crazy 8s event. That one is not part of any packages, so if I cash in that, I get the whole thing, like I did with the, uh, the Big 50. If I lose, my loss is not subsidized. It's all my money that goes away. I didn't sell that one just because it's under $1,000. Then July 4th, on the 14th year anniversary, not 14th, the 14-year anniversary of winning my bracelet, the main event. I'm going to be playing the main event for on July 4th. And then on July 8th, if I'm, in, if I'm out of the main event, which uh, hopefully is not the case, but if I'm out of the event... On July 8th, I will be playing the 3K Limit Hold'em 6 Max. And that's it. After that's over, I will leave. Hopefully not with my head held in shame. And that will be the end of my 2019 World Series of Poker. It's possible I will have played my last hand of poker at the Rio, because it may be at the new Caesars Convention Center in 2020. In fact, I hope it is. I'm getting real sick of the Rio. Though someone brought up a good point to me. Someone brought up a good point. They said, be careful what you wish for because you're going to have to learn everything new. They said, you know so much about the Rio. You know all the tricks. You know what's good. You know what's bad. You know what to do. You know all the ways around. It's all going to be new to you. You have to learn everything all over again. I go, crap, you're right. (laughs) I'm going to go in just like all the noobs. I'm not going to know anything. Gonna have to learn everything all over again logistically at the World Series of Poker when it moves. But uh, those are the growing pains. There, w- there will be benefits of moving, such as I'll be on the strip. I won't have to drive if I want to get to the strip. I can walk places finally. Uh, I don't have to stay at the Rio. I can pick from a wide array of hotels nearby to stay. Uh, probably it'll be easier to get a room because there are so many choices for everyone to stay and not just the Rio, if you want to be close to it. Uh, it'll be a nicer venue. Everything's new. Everything will be modern. So there's uh, they may have more space. Hopefully they will. We won't have to play in warehouses anymore, probably. So there will be some advantages. With this sort of thing, the, you know, moving into the future isn't a bad thing. Staying in the old rundown property that's been there for 30 years and not improved is uh, rarely the best thing to do. Even if you're familiar with it. Like, I, I, I know a lot about the Rio. I know the exact best rooms to stay. 
I know how to get around in it quicker than most people. I know what rooms are cold, what rooms are hot. I know where the food is the best, where it's the worst, where it's the most expensive. I know the hours, everything you're open. Like There's a lot I know there. That will go away once I have to move to the convention center. All those years of experience will be out the window. But things change. Some things improve. Some things get worse. But I think it'll be more improvement than getting worse. Maybe it'll be done by next year. Maybe it will not be. By the way, everybody I talked to about this at the freaking World Series says it's going to be a baseball stadium. It's not going to be a baseball stadium. Stop it. Can't say for sure, but it's unlikely to be a baseball stadium. Maybe a minor league baseball stadium. I don't even think that. Major League Baseball would not work in Las Vegas. I just don't believe it. Nor have I heard anything, and I'm a big Major League Baseball fan, nor have I heard anything rumored in baseball that they're going to open an expansion team or move a team to Vegas. Why? Because Vegas does not have the population to support either an 81-game home package where people have to show up for 81 games uh, to watch the team play, it's just not enough people in the area to do it. And second, they don't have the TV market because there's no population surrounding it. You've got Vegas, you've got Henderson, and that's it. For, for hundreds of miles, there's nothing of any size in any direction. So Vegas is not going to have outlying areas where there are also fans. And that's important to have for a Major League Baseball team for the TV market. And then for the market that uh, goes to the stadium, you just don't have the population there to fill it for 81 games. The hockey team is different. The NFL team is different because they don't play that many games. And the NHL team plays half as many home games, and they don't need to fill as many seats. It's cheaper to run a hockey team. NFL, they have eight home games. That's very easy to fill. 81 home games? No way. It's not going to be a Major League Baseball stadium. There was a stupid rumor put out there. It's not going to happen. The truth is the Rio is going to be put up for sale. It also hasn't already been sold. That's also a lie. It's, it's possible there's a sale w- with some kind of tentative agreement that when they're ready to sell that someone will have first rights to it at a certain price or something like that. But it has not been sold. It is owned by Caesars. It will go for sale once they don't need the convention space anymore. And then what the new buyer does with it is yet to be seen. It depends on what the buyer wants. They may want to renovate it. They may want to knock it down and build a new hotel. They may want to wreck it and and put something else there. Probably not a baseball stadium. That's what's going to happen. Trust me. I told you guys quite some time ago that the new convention center was going to house the World Series of Poker. And I had people mocking me. I had people telling me, I'm just guessing that there's no evidence of this. Then they told me reasons that's not going to happen. Told me it's irresponsible to say things like this. And then what happens? Much later, people report, oh, this is going to be the new home of the World Series. Well, where did they come up with that? I mean, it's... Trust me on these things. I know this type of stuff very well. I don't know everything very well, but this is one of the things I know really well. I understand how all this works. you got to be careful what you listen to. I I posted this on December 11th, 2017. I'm looking at it right now. Way before anyone else. In fact, when I was posting about it, hardly anyone even knew about this convention center that was being built. 
let alone about the World Series of Poker. But I wrote that if the Rio sells, where will Caesars hold the World Series of Poker? We may finally have our answer. Caesars has announced the construction of the Caesars Forum. This is when it was to be called that. They changed the name since then. A new convention center. Uh, it will be a fairly large project. The company will invest $375 million in this convention center slated to open in 2020. It will fig- feature two gigantic 108,000-square-foot ballrooms and two other ballrooms of, of 40,000 square feet in size. So, I said, Caesars has not announced that they plan to move the World Series of Poker there. It seems that the space would be perfect for it. And then I went, to, went on to explain why. I said, it seems like a natural move. I said, they're not announcing it yet because it hasn't been decided upon. But still, you have to imagine this is going to be the WSOP's ultimate destination, whether in 2020 or some year following that. I wrote this in 2017. You show me anywhere else on the web that anyone said this in 2017. So trust me, I'm right about this one. Listen to me. Don't listen to Vital Vegas. Don't listen to people on 2 Plus 2. Listen to me. Because aside from management at Caesars, who are not talking, I'm the best source you've got on this thing. You'll see. I will refer to when they finally make the decision and announce it, I will throw a big I told you so in everyone's face. So check pokerfraudalert.com or check that too. Check twitter.com slash pokerfraudalert for information on when our next show will be. You may notice that we may have an issue with the following week's show because I have events on the 25th, the 27th, the 29th, the 30th, the 1st, the 2nd, the 4th, and the 8th. That's uh, a lot of events without a lot of time in between. What I'm going to try to do is, um, if I don't make a day two and then I have a day in between, I'll try to do the show on one of those days. I hope that I make all day twos and maybe some day threes so I have no time to do this show. And then after all this is over, I can tell you guys about how well I did in the second portion of the World Series and how I had no time to do radio because I was so busy playing poker and winning at the World Series of Poker. That, that is my hope. I hope I don't have an abundance of time to do radio. So if you don't hear from me, it means I'm either doing well or I'm sick or I'm stuck playing cash games and losing a lot of money and don't want to quit or my anxiety and depression has come back big time and I'm in a panic or I forgot my equipment which has really happened once this year or my laptop broke or my laptop got stolen or I decided I hate all of you and you don't deserve a radio show. These are all things that could be happening if I don't appear not next week, but two weeks from now and three weeks from now. And whatever the case, I will try to come out here and give you guys 
the same thing I always give you, just brutal honesty, whether it makes me popular or unpopular. Good night. Shalom.